Greetings and good afternoon, everyone. This is Cheryl, and I'm so pleased to be here to welcome you to Tara and Rama's Saturday afternoon program, The True Planetary and Galactic History Herstory, and True History Herstory of Nasara. Infinite blessings in the sacred month as we complete this very, very amazing week. So let us take this time to go into our heart center as we prepare for our work here today. Just going into the heart center, the beautiful portal of light within your being, as we call forth to connect with our soul, our higher self, our monad, our mighty I am present, completely merging and integrating these aspects of our multidimensional being. We ask for the activation of all of our divine presence through to our God presence and Goddess presence. But it is at that Christed level, at the level of the mighty I am, that we are one with all humanity. And so we invite them in here now to join us in this work of activating heaven on earth. Please affirm after me. I am my I am presence. As my I am presence, I am one with the I am presence of all humanity. I am one with the I am presence of every man, woman, and child. I am one with the I am presence of all my family members and loved ones. I am one with all that is. And feel the flow of energy that this brings. The flooding in of all of the 12 solar aspects of deity. The love of our Mother God, our Father God. The love and the light that anchors us directly to source through our sacred pillar of light. All the way down through the pillar, anchoring our pillar of light to the heart of Mother Gaia as we recommit ourselves to this service work, as we recommit ourselves to being the bridge between heaven and earth, the anchor for the new golden age, and the open door that no one can shut. Allow your heart to expand, feel, sense, and experience this planet, and all upon her in your sacred heart portal. See everyone joining us in this divine work. As we invite in for one and all, all soul extensions, both planetary and cosmic and galactic, we welcome all of our ancestors, all of our genetic lineage, our ancestral lineage, 
all the generations past and forward. Our spiritual lineage, our soul families and soul pods. We welcome for each and every soul, all of our guides and teachers, our healing teams, our beloved guardian angel, our beloved twin flame, our ascension council, our mission council. We welcome all of the kingdoms to join us in this work. The plant kingdom, the tree kingdom, the mineral kingdom, the animal kingdom, the diva kingdom, the elemental kingdom, the fairy kingdom, all the kingdoms of nature. The whales, the dolphins, the unicorns, and all magical kingdoms. We welcome all of the realms of the angels. From the angels and archangels through to the cherubim and seraphim and all angelic healing teams. We welcome the assistance of the ascended masters, the brotherhood of light, the sisterhood of the rays and rose, the order of Melchizedek, the radiant ones. All of the enlightened masters, all divine mother emissaries, divine father emissaries. All of the planetary and cosmic hierarchy of light and all ascended master healing teams. We welcome at this time our precious friends from the Galactic Federation of Light and all of their healing teams, especially those that we work most closely with from Arcturus, from Pleiades, from Sirius, from Andromeda, from Chiron, and from Venus. We welcome the inner earth temple workers. We welcome all cosmic galactic universal healers that can be of service. And we welcome the assistance of the entire company of heaven. Asking that Mother, Father, God, overlight all that we do and magnify, magnify, magnify it in divine order, individually and collectively, 10 billion times, 10 billion fold, in alignment with divine will and divine law. Each individual receiving all that they can on all levels of beingness. We call forth the assistance of all of the rays, all of the flames, all of the universal laws, and all of the ascension ways. And we welcome with every energy and frequency, every prayer and invocation, every blessing, every grace, every dispensation, every activation, we ask that to be received on a conscious, subconscious, superconscious level. Through every cell, chakra, meridian layer of our arc field multidimensionally, and the maximum that we can receive for both personal and planetary ascension, ever expanding to perfection. We ask to easily and effortlessly assimilate and digest, ground and anchor, integrate embodied all that we receive with the greatest of ease and grace and joy, peace and bliss and ecstasy, serenity and tranquility, balance and equilibrium, without resistance on any level, without discomfort on any level, without fear on any level, in love, in light, in laughter. And we give thanks for this. We call forth all those in our 
circle of support. From the very first name that created it to each and every individual, each family member, each loved one, each person that has transitioned, all of our pets, our animals, every group, every organization, every corporation and business, every institution, every government, every government leader, every nation, every weather event, every meeting and summit, including the Olympics, every situation across the planet that has been placed in our circle of support as we hold all life in perfection. And we invoke the violet flame in, through, and around each one. We call forth all of the attention given to this week's events, be it the new moon, the lunar new year, the Chinese new year, the Imbolc, the Candlemas Day, the Olympics, and all that's gone on on the world stage. We call all of that attention into our collective cup of consciousness to be used for the transformation, the transfiguration of this planet and all upon her. As we call forth Gaia to receive all that we receive through all of her chakras and meridians and layers of her orc field multidimensionally, through every ley line and song line, through the grid system, the love grids, the light grids, the unity grids, all of the multidimensional grid system, through every portal and vortex and monument and sacred site and place of power, every stargate, every city of light. As we continue up, the spiral of evolution with Mother Gaia, and she takes her rightful place as Freedom Star. Now, once again, with all that is going on, this is such an important time on the planet, and I'm going to share Patricia Cotarobo's information from yesterday, February 4th, about the powerful opportunity for humanity during these Olympic Games. So there'll be some discussion. We'll go into some prayers and continue with the prayers. So our focus will be on the violet flame. If you can bring that into and around you, see everyone on the planet utilizing the violet flame with us. See it around the planet, in through and around every person, every living being. We'll also call in the gold of abundance as well. But let's focus on the violet. Again, breathe it in, see it in through and around you as we proceed. The Winter Olympic Games that are being held in Beijing, China, will build the momentum from the opening ceremonies on February 4th, that was yesterday, to the closing ceremonies on February 20th. Numerically, February 20th will be an 
5-2-2-O-2-O-2-2-Day. That's 5-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-Day. The Divine and the Olympic symbolic resumes the family of humanity setting aside differences and coming to peace with the goal of our highest level of excellence. This incredibly powerful form has been building in since the first known Olympics were held in the summer of 776 BC at Olympia, a site southern. It is estimated that during the 17 days of the modern Olympic, approximately 5.5 billion people turn their attention to the Olympic Games at one time or another, thus greatly empowering the divine intent of this global event. This positive focus of attention creates a collective cup of consciousness of humanity's unified consciousness that serves as an open door for the light of God Goddess. Due to the incredible shifts that have taken place within humanity, the elemental kingdom and Mother Earth, since the birth of the new decade in 2020, humanity is being presented with an unprecedented opportunity during these Olympic Games. I'm just going to make an observation that within the blue light of divine will in the ceremonies yesterday, they show the words faster, higher, stronger, together. To me, that was representing part of the divine intention. During the Summer Olympic Games that were held in Japan in July 2021, the company of heaven revealed to us that the beings of light from the violet flame temples that pulsate in the etheric realms above Mount Fuji were able to receive for the first time ever a brand new frequency of the violet flame. This expression of the violet flame pulsates in the core of creation, in the heart of our Mother Father God. It is known throughout the cosmos as the flame of cosmic forgiveness. We're going to blaze that today. The company of heaven said that this frequency of the violet flame is a gift from our Mother Father God that will assist humanity in powerful ways as we continue through the process of transmuting into light all of the remaining residue from our painful miscreations in the past. <clears throat> During the Summer Olympics, mighty solar archangels breathe the sacred fire through the collective cup of humanity's consciousness to bless all life on Earth. The gift of cosmic forgiveness has been building in intensity since that time. 
and was instrumental in the success of the 40-day purging process that took place between November 11th and the solstice on December 20th in 2021. Through the unified efforts of heaven and earth, that purging resulted in permanently dismantling the obsolete paradigms and structures that have been used to manipulate and control humanity since our fall from grace. Now, during the Winter Olympic Games in Beijing and the rare numerical frequencies we are experiencing during the month of February 2022, this assistance from on high is going to be accelerated in powerful ways by the Ascended Lady Master Kuan Yin, the Solar Archangels of Cosmic Forgiveness, and Kuan Yin's legions of mercy and compassion, all of whom abide in the temples of light above Beijing. You and I and the rest of awakening humanity can help immensely by volunteering to be the open door and by invoking this greatly intensified flame of cosmic forgiveness on behalf of our sisters and brothers and the family of humanity the Elemental Kingdom, and Mother Earth. The Company of Heaven has once again given us light-filled invocations so we can amplify God's gift of cosmic forgiveness on a daily basis through the power of the spoken word. If you have a heart call to empower the light of God on Earth in this vitally important way, I have included these invocations in this newsletter. Please share them freely with those in your sphere of awareness that you would that you feel would be willing to help in this loving way. And I did send this out yesterday to my mailing list. Before I share the invocations, I want to mention that in 2021, the Company of Heaven assisted us in co-creating a powerful tool that would be tangibly assisting us to help prepare our physical bodies to assimilate the frequency of light that would accomplish the divine plan. For that year of 2021. That facet of the divine plan involved the transmutation of self-destructive illusions. Let's ask the violet flame to do this. We're not going to be talking about specifically the tools. They are a sacred elixir and oil but we are going to share about what they are doing. So let's call them in energetically and ask for that transmutation to take place. That facet of the divine plan involved the transmutation of the self-destructive illusions of separation and duality, thus clearing the way for awakening humanity to co-create the tangible manifestation of a quantum field of comprehensive divine love and an evolutionary shift into unity consciousness. As we at Era of Peace have shared in our weekly vlogs and our newsletters, that facet of the divine plan was God victoriously accomplished. Once again, our earthly bodies are instrumental in the facet of the divine plan we are being called to accomplish now. 
our physical, etheric, mental, and emotional bodies are literally comprised of multidimensional technology. In the new paradigm we are creating, with the assistance of God's cosmic forgiveness, it is important that we have the ability to hold space within our bodies for the highest frequencies of vibration. All we have to do is consistently pay attention to who we are being in every single moment through our thoughts, words, actions, and feelings. Every single one of us already has all of the skill, wisdom, knowledge, strength, and courage we need to succeed God victoriously in the mission we have volunteered to accomplish. We just have to listen to our heart and respond accordingly to the intuitive inner guidance from our I Am Presence. With this shift of consciousness that is taking place now within each of us, we are capable of withstanding and comprehending higher frequencies of cosmic forgiveness, which will help us to transfigure our lives in the physical plane of Earth. Every time our I Am Presence exposes the residue of our human miscreations, and floods them with God's cosmic forgiveness, the residue is dissipated and humanity moves forward in the light. Light is infinitely more powerful than our human miscreations, which are void of light. Now is the time for all of us to be the creative forces of light we are destined to be. Our I Am Presence is fully aware of what is occurring at this time in our earthly bodies and is fully participating in this life-transforming process. The next step is the expansion of God's cosmic forgiveness is unfolding in humanity's earthly bodies. This involves recalibrating our nervous systems, our chakras, our acupuncture meridians, our acupuncture pressure points, so that we can safely assimilate the brand new frequencies of the fifth dimensional crystalline solar light that are building in momentum and bathing the earth day by day. As we safely assimilate the flame of cosmic forgiveness, the vibratory rate of our earthly bodies is being quickened. This quickening is allowing our body elemental to cast the mutated substances contaminating our carbon-based cells into the violet flame of cosmic forgiveness, where they are being transmuted back into their original perfection. The brand new frequencies of God's cosmic forgiveness that are gradually intensing within the core of purity in every cell of our earthly bodies are vitally important in preparing physically all of humanity the elemental kingdom, and Mother Earth for the fulfillment of our individual and collective facets of the divine plan for 2022. We have been blessed with some very powerful tools that will assist us through this process. So there are sacred light elixirs and sacred anointing oils to assist with that process. And we call them in now individually for us and for all humanity in divine order. 
and we invoke the highest frequencies of God's cosmic flame of forgiveness as we proceed. Now, during this rare opportunity, the company of heaven is guiding us through these invocations that will take full advantage of the Olympic Games in Beijing and the intensified gift of God's cosmic forgiveness. If you have the heart call to do so, please join with light workers around the world as we do this now for these invocations, which are, as always, stated in the first person, so that we will each experience them personally. And so we begin. I am my I am presence. And I am one with the I am presence of every man, woman, and child on earth. Collectively, humanity's I am presence, all of the I am presences, now merge into one luminous being of light that is cradling Mother Earth and all life evolving upon her within the divinity of our unfed heart flame. Humanity, the elemental kingdom, and Mother Earth are now breathing in unison with me as one elevated holy breath. what I invoke for myself this sacred and holy day I invoke on behalf of every person on this planet in perfect alignment with each one's divine plan and the highest good for all concerned I invoke ascended Lady Master Quinian the legions of mercy and compassion from her temples of light above Beijing and the solar archangels associated with God's violet flame of cosmic forgiveness. Beloved ones, I ask that you gather up every electron of precious life energy being expended by humanity during this sacred and holy time. Purify this energy with the power and might of a thousand suns using the highest, newest, fifth-dimensional solar, crystalline, and diamond frequencies of God's violet flame of cosmic forgiveness, which are now pouring through the portal of light above Beijing, China. Weave this purified energy into the collective cup of humanity's unified consciousness that is now being formed by our collective focus on the Olympic Games. I accept and know that through this activity of light, every electron of precious life energy is being released by the sons and daughters of God on earth, is being used to manifest the immaculate concept of the divine plan for this cosmic moment in earth's evolution. Now, beloved legions of light, I ask that you breathe through the greatly expanded portal of light above Beijing, the most intensified frequencies of God's cosmic forgiveness that universal law will allow. Blaze the full divine momentum of this incomparable frequency of cosmic forgiveness in, through, and around every electron of precious life energy. 
that has ever been misqualified by the sons and daughters of God Goddess in any time frame or dimension, both known and unknown. Now, with the full power of my beloved I Am Presence and the violet flame of cosmic forgiveness, we say, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive. Every person, place, condition, or thing that may have wronged me in in any way, at any time, for any reason whatsoever. And I love free all debts owed to me by life everywhere. I now invoke the violet flame of God's cosmic forgiveness on behalf of myself and every person on earth for any misuse of God's gift of life since the beginning of time. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And as I am forgiven, I send forth a gift of God's comprehensive divine love to balance all debts to any facet of life that I have created, which still remains unpaid. I am grateful for God's gift of cosmic forgiveness. I am loving all of my misqualified energy free before it can act, manifest, or longer be sustained. Now I speak directly to the heart of the violet flame of cosmic forgiveness. Sacred fire, enfold me in your purifying, forgiving, healing substance, which will cause the consciousness and feeling of God's cosmic forgiveness to flow forth from me to all life everywhere. Let this purifying essence saturate the atmosphere around me. Wherever I live, move, breathe, and have my being, allow your miracle working force of cosmic forgiveness to give daily tangible proof to your reality, of your reality to all life. Beloved Kuan Yin, send legions of your solar archangels of cosmic forgiveness to intensify and guard this frequency of the violet flame around me and all of humanity in order that we may use our life and our light to their fullest in our service to life and the cause of cosmic forgiveness throughout the earth. So be it, and so it is. Now I am flooding my being, and every single etheric record since the beginning of time with the joyful experience of God's cosmic forgiveness. In forgiving, I let go of all the effects of misused energy impinging upon my life and the lives of all humanity. I let go of the ignorance, confusion, and pain of this world. I now know that I have come to love all life free. And through this gift of God's cosmic forgiveness, so I shall. This is the heart center of my existence. The joy of forgiving life as it enters my awareness 
from this moment, I am setting free all life into a higher vibration with the gift of cosmic forgiveness that my mother, father, God, that Kuan Yin, the solar archangels of cosmic forgiveness, and the legions of mercy and compassion from the temples of light above Beijing have given so freely into my keeping this sacred and holy day. I am a force of the violet flame of cosmic forgiveness, now flooding this sweet earth. Please join me in saying, I am the joy of cosmic forgiveness. I am the joy of cosmic forgiveness. I am the joy of cosmic forgiveness. And so it is. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am that I am. Take a nice deep breath. That concludes Patty's update. We're going to expand the violet flame further as we say the following decrees. In the name and the power and authority of the presence of God, Goddess, I am. I invoke the beings of light in the realms of illumined truth and all that we have invoked to blaze the violet fire with the power and might of a thousand suns in, through, and around every electron that makes up the atoms of humanity's physical, etheric, mental, and emotional bodies. Hold the cosmic violet flame of forgiveness sustained and double it each hour until these earthly vehicles are fully assimilated into the perfection of our solar crystalline light bodies. Expand and intensify daily the mightiest action of the violet fire through all nations, races, cultures, creeds, and religions in every country of the world. Blaze the violet flame through every person's home, place of occupation, and overall environment until the perfection of the new earth is manifest for all life. Expand, expand, and intensify daily the mightiest action of the violet fire in, through, and around the cause and core of the creative centers of all doubt and fear in the earth, on the earth, and in the atmosphere surrounding the earth. Transform these creative centers into expressions of God confidence, trust, hope, and inner knowing. Expand and expand the violet fire of cosmic forgiveness, purification, and transmutation in, through, and around the landed surface, the waters, and the peoples of every country, every province, state, city, town, and hamlet in the world. Establish a mighty focus of the violet fire in the etheric realms above each and every location and intensify this purifying activity of light daily and hourly with every breath I take. 
in the name, love, wisdom, power, and authority of the beloved victorious presence of God, Goddess I Am. I speak directly to the heart of the violet flame in its highest, purest frequencies of crystalline, diamond, solar, light, and the light and love of the flame of cosmic forgiveness. Sacred fire, enfold me in the purifying, forgiving, healing substance of your light, which causes the consciousness and feeling of divine love and freedom to flow through me constantly to bless all life. Let this purifying essence saturate the atmosphere wherever I live, move, breathe, and have my being, so that its miracle-working presence will give tangible proof of your reality to all humanity. Beloved Violet Flame and Cosmic Flame of Forgiveness, direct legions of your angels of the violet fire to blaze the cosmic flame of forgiveness and freedom into the heart of every evolving soul so that we will all use to learn our light to the fullest in our service to life and the cause of spiritual freedom on earth. Beloved, victorious, violet fire of freedom's love, I love you. I do now most earnestly and sincerely call you into dynamic action. Perpetually blaze your transmuting flame into the beings and worlds of every man, woman, and child on earth. Enable each one to know that your healing presence will always bring happiness and release from anything that is not of the light. Enfold every person in the power of your divine light and transmute all imperfection in their lives in divine order with divine love. So be it and so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. Now we know the violet flame with its power of transmutation and transfiguration has the alchemical properties to go ahead and transmute something of a lower level, a base level, including a base metal, into gold. And so we bring in the golden light, asking the violet flame to work with us on our prosperity and abundance. We call in the golden flame of abundance, as well as eternal peace to flood the planet, to anchor in through and around us and every man, woman, and child, as we say. Through the power of God, God is blazing in my heart and the hearts of all humanity. I joyously receive and accept the gift of God's golden flame of eternal peace and infinite abundance. On the wings of this divine light, I ascend into the causal body of God, Goddess. From this realm of divine consciousness, I have the clear inner knowing that God is my supply. I relinquish now in the name of God. I am. All of the power I have ever, ever given to lack and limitation. 
through any and all of my thoughts, words, actions, and feelings in any time, frame, or dimension, both known and unknown. I relinquish now, in the name of God, Goddess, I am, all of the beliefs I've ever had that were based in poverty consciousness. From this moment forward, I consecrate and dedicate my very life to be the open door through which the new frequencies of the golden flame of eternal peace and infinite abundance will now flow to bless me, my family, friends, co-workers, and all humanity. As I breathe, think, speak, feel, and act, the presence of God, Goddess, within me is perpetually expanding the golden light of eternal peace and infinite abundance to all life evolving on earth. So be it, and so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. Feel, sense, and experience that flame of abundance and eternal peace as we ask it to blaze even more strongly and allow us to be a catalyst for abundance for ourselves and all humanity. The golden flame of eternal peace and God's abundance is now blazing through every particle of life. Be it, sense it, feel it as it bathes the physical, etheric, mental, and emotional strata of Earth. This activity is forming a powerful catalyst for God's abundance, which is empowering, awakening humanity to joyfully accept our financial freedom. With the assistance of the entire company of heaven, I now seal and permanently sustain this activity of light for both abundance and eternal peace within and without. As I breathe in deeply, I expand and expand the divinity within my own heart flame and the divinity within the heart flames of every man, woman, and child on earth. Together we create a mighty chalice of light that cradles the sweet earth and all of her life as one breath, one voice, one heartbeat, one energy, vibration, and consciousness of pure divine love, I affirm. I am open and receptive to God, Goddess's abundance, and I joyously receive and freely give my wealth. I am therefore eternally blessed with financial freedom, opulence, abundance, and the God got a supply of all good things. Through my newfound prosperity consciousness, all of the financial sustenance I need to fulfill my divine plan is now flowing into my life daily, hourly. 
I am divine image of God, goddess, manifesting infinite abundance in my being and world. And for the children of God, goddess, everyone, everywhere, in God's supreme name forever. Wherever I am, my very presence in the universe is a constant outpouring and release of God's life and light, God's transfiguring love, God's eternal peace and abundance, God's truth and freedom to all I contact every day in every way. I so decree it and accept it done through the power of God, Goddess, I am. And so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. So feel the blessings continue to flood in and around you, allowing yourself to be the divine vehicle to share it with the planet as well. I thank you for joining me in this divine service. Please join us for divine service each and every Sunday and Monday evening for the Ascension Meditation and Activation Call. We begin with greetings at 8.45 p.m. Eastern Time, 5.45 p.m. Pacific Time. We have about 25 minutes of greetings, and then we have a brief update from Tarn Rama. And then we begin our work in earnest, bringing heaven to earth, doing all of this transmutation work, anchoring the new golden age at 9.30 Eastern, 6.30 p.m. Pacific Time. We'd love to have you join us as a regular. We are so appreciative of our family of light. This is a teleconference call, so the phone number is area code 425-436-6260. Again, area code 425-436-6260. The access code is 946-7441-POUND, 946-7441-POUND. We'd love to have you join us and let us know that you've joined the call because of the Saturday program. There are additional numbers. There are international numbers. There's a way to access the call on your computer. So please let me know if you need that additional information. Contact me at Cheryl Croce at AOL.com. Let me spell that for you. C-H-E-R-Y-L-C-R-O-C-I at AOL.com. I'll get you that information. Put at the top the memo add to list, and we'll make sure that you get that immediately. In the meantime, thank you, thank you, thank you for your service at this most amazing time. 
We certainly want to thank Taran Rama for the service that they bring to the planet. We thank each of you. We thank Rainbird for her divine service as well. So, Rainbird, this is blazing with all of the 12 solar aspects of deity and every color imaginable coming through that violet fire and that golden frequency filling us all with that infinite abundance and eternal peace. Again, symbols of our golden age. So with that, and with all of the amazing frequencies and assistance available to us, and the blessings of Kuan Yin, I pass the talking stick to you, Rainbird. Thank you, everyone, and have a glorious week. Oh, and thank you, Cheryl. Thank you for the divine service and thank you for the good meditation today. <clears throat> Claiming that abundance. <laughs> so much gratitude. So I'm here to do the housekeeping as we are a listener supported radio program. It's each of us that makes it happen. So um we need um money for our BBS radio for our services there. And we also need to uh, assist Tara and Rama with their support. Um, so these are these are two critical things that we do, and we do it well. And right now we're needing uh, some funds immediately for BBS Radio so that they can get paid. We're uh, we need three hundred dollars each week. We're fifty dollars behind from last week, and this week's fee of $300 needs to be paid by Monday, so we need $50 right now, we need $300 by Monday, and here's how we make it happen. We go into our heart space and see what is ours to give, and then go to bbsradio.com, click on radio station 2, or scroll down, and you'll find the, the menu uh, for radio station 2. What we're looking for is the listings of our programs on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So the Thursday program at the 6 o'clock hour, and these are Pacific times, is a night at the round table with the panel. You can click on that icon there. That'll take you to our account. And the same is true for the Friday night program at the 6 o'clock hour. Uh, hard news on Friday nights with Tara and Rama. And that icon there, as you click on it, takes take you to your our account, and then also on this program at the 1.30 hour, the true history, history, and the fair and our galactic origins with Tara and Rama, and that icon also takes you to our account. So that's how you get there, and using your bank card, you can make a donation at any amount. So thank you for taking that action, and thank you for your generosity. So much gratitude for all that BBS Radio provides for us. And, and we're really grateful for all of you for your participation. And we're grateful for uh, staying up to date to honor honor those good folks at BBS and make sure that they have what they need when they need it. So, um, so there you go. We need fifty dollars today and three hundred on Monday, and that'll take care of our business with BBS in a good way. 
So, 13, thank you, honey, in your heart. Thank you for taking that action and showing up in this way. It's so important for all of us, and it's so important for all of us to contribute. So, thank you. Thank you, thank you. And um, we're also assisting Tara and Rama with their needs, and they have two bills that are due. Um, the gas bill is 150 and the electric bill is 115 uh, I, I rounded that up to nice little numbers, so a little less than both of that. And then, then they need $250 to cover their basic expenses for the week. So that's $515 right there. You add that to the 350 for the radio, we're looking for $865 to come in in a, in a timely way. So, uh, Embracing all the, uh, abundant, <laughs> abundance laws that we know. We know it works to pay it forward. And so we hold that faith. We take that action and we receive in return as the universe provides exponentially for those of us who pay it forward. So. For Tara and Rama to make a contribution, you want to go to the web address to link to Rama's PayPal account. So that web address is rainbowroundtable.net. And there on the home page, you'll see that menu grid. Click on that. You'll, the menu will drop down. You'll see it near the bottom right there, the donate button. Click on, click on that, and that'll link you directly to Rama's PayPal account. And you can use any bank card there to make that donation uh, in a good way. So thanks for taking that action. As you have your own PayPal account, you would want to access the friends option by using Rama's email. That is, he uses at PayPal. So that email address is Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 999949 at hotmail.com. And to that Personal link, then you can link to, uh, you could make that payment to Rama's PayPal that way. That just uh, eliminates the friends option, just eliminates the uh, commercial charges. You do it in a friendly way, and it just makes that donation go a bit further. So thank you for taking that action. Thank you for contributing in all the ways that you do. Um, as you're sending something, please email Rama and let him know that you sent that. And that email for Rama is Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 999, at Comcast.net. So that's three nines, and that's at Comcast, and that's Rama's personal mail for getting that information. So that's a good way to go, and we appreciate that you let him know what you sent and when you sent it. And then, of course, if you need it, the mailing address is Ron D. Berkowitz, R-A-M-D Berkowitz, B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z, Post Office Box, 280, 280. And then at Town, Santa Cruz, State, New Mexico, zip code 87567. So, again, Santa Cruz, New Mexico, 87567. So there, thank you for for all your support and all the ways that you show up. And I would also like to give you the address for Free March. 
this is where you would go join it and look around, see what you like about it, and, or you set up your own account from there to uh, make do your own activity with Fremark. So that address for joining Fremark, HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash www.shopfreemark.com forward slash T-A-R-R-A-M. I know it's a tedious address, but the way things are set up, that's the way it works the best and most assuredly. So thank you for participating with Fremart as well. We, we, we like supporting Fremart and we like all that Fremart does is support the people. So, uh, in health, in environment, and in abundance. All those, all those things are covered there. So. With 13 thank yous and honey in the heart, I'm catching this talking stick. So much gratitude to all of you and all the ways that you participate. And this talking stick, well, it just got so much color on it from all of those, those rays of the rainbow and all those flames. And you heard it from Cheryl and it's, it's accompanied by all the little people and lots of fairies and feathers, gnomes and menahunis and in Hobbits. So greetings, Tara and Rama. Here comes this talking stick. <laughs> greetings, everyone. Greetings. Yes. May the humans wake up. <laughs> That's what I hear from all the fairies, whether and angels and hobbits and menahoonies and Yes. May the human race wake up. Um well, and thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, Cheryl. So much for setting the tone. And Rainbird. <laughs> yes, and Rainbird. And I just want to reiterate that it's really important that we finish up with uh, what we owe from a week ago yesterday. Uh, the times are really tight right now. And um, BBS Radio needs to be taken care of from a week ago Friday. <laughs> uh, so uh, at least a $50 will take care of that. Uh, and again, then by Monday, we owe another 300 So that's how that breaks down. So I'm just encouraging everybody to please uh, do as best as you can and See what you can to keep everything going. We can see the other side of the rainbow, can't we, Rama? Yes. So, you want to tell us? I'll pass the talking stick to what you had the experience of today. I didn't really get to talk to anybody today, but I got to listen to Dr. Daniel Ellsberg. On uh, living on the edge, and he was talking about the great danger that we are putting ourselves in by putting U.S. troops over in Europe on the Ukraine-Russian border, and the oh, it's not on the Ukraine-Russian border; it's only on the Ukraine border. Yes. And um he talked about the 
likelihood of false flag events are very high because, you know, uh, President Joe Biden is losing it, according to Dr. Daniel. And he said Miss Kamala Harris would certainly make a good president right at this time. And it's, in a sense, time to hand the reins over to a black lady. It, it is just high time about what is happening here on the larger story. He talked about um Dr. Stephen Cohen, Katrina Vanden Heuvel's husband, who was a great Russian scholar, and he warned of this, what we're looking at right now. And, of course, I'm sure Dr. Daniel Ellsberg knows about our friends from the stars, and he can't exactly go there, <laughs> yet Astar has said no nukes, so I got to put it in that cauldron. As they are playing this cat and mouse game, and Mr. Putin is very good at this. He's been doing it for 500 plus years. Mm -hmm. Oh, and by the way, the queen today did her 70th coronation. 70 years ago, she took the reins of sitting on a fake stones of scone. One stone. Yeah. Lady Di is the true queen. And I gotta leave that there. They know how to show up when they are gonna show up. And, uh, also it was the death of King George at that time when Queen Elizabeth took the throne. And, uh, it's a big deal over across the pond. And I gotta just say with all due respect, the, we are all kings and queens of the Most High. This is what all the masters, teachers, angels that come to this planet, like Tryon keeps talking about how magnificent we are as we could see ourselves from just looking from the fifth dimension, even though we, you know, Look like we've been through Mordor and then some. <laughs> and it, it is, it is about crossing that threshold and believing in the magic. And I, you know, I just see Master Yoda saying, you know, trust your feelings, lift the ship out of the swamp. It's as light as a feather. And with our consciousness, we can do this stuff. Dr. Greer is teaching us and many others about how we can contact other consciousnesses across the galaxy. They're all... <laughs> They're all here. 
and they're saying, call on us. This is how we collectively change this. And Dr. Daniel Ellsberg can, you know, come forward and tell us something of what's about to happen here. What he knows, the Pentagon Papers is a, was a huge deal because it took down Richard Nixon, yet it is even deeper than that. And I'm past the talking stick. <laughs> okay, so there's been some uh, uh, consternation around uh, Mr. Boris Johnson. Boris the animal. And, uh, yeah. I heard five members of parliament have quit, resigned because of him. And yeah, they don't want to be connected with the energies he's representing. Yeah. Or misrepresenting. I mean, just when you brought up Dodie and Di are going to be taking that throne, but they're not going to take the monarch, no. monarchical. They're going to represent democracy coming to the UK. Yeah. And we're getting there, are we not? Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, there's a lot going on in terms of this young man that was murdered over the weekend here, or just yesterday, I guess it the was. The no-knock warrant story in Cincinnati. Oh, it's just unfathomable where we have come and where we started off took a sharp turn towards the dark basement here somewhere. <laughs> um, let me just see here. Yeah, no-knock no warrants must go away. Tomorrow, Al Sharpton. What was that about? Oh, spam. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um the no not warrants must go away. Al Sharpton's going to have the parents of Amir what's his last name? The being that was who passed on here from being killed. He wasn't it wasn't even his home. He was there uh on a guest basis at the time and it was nine seconds from the time they went and unlocked the door they got a hold of the key the police there were three of them they unlocked the door and he was asleep he had a gun with him and uh I don't sleep with my with a gun, and we don't have it. Yeah, that, that that's a strange bed partner, I must say. Not if, <laughs> not if you're 
walking around black, Grandma. I understand, and I don't understand at the same time because, um, what comes to mind is when you take that quantum leap into the quantum field, I have seen it with my own eyes as you use the energies to touch another soul, uh, things can shift space, time, and matter. And you saw Neo stop the bullets in the Matrix. These things are real, and I'll leave it there. Now we got to go through this, because the... Uh the dream for the United States of Altia America to manifest, <clears throat> meaning the new Atlantis here, fifth dimensional life on planet Earth. We got to go to the depths of our souls and this issue of racism, this particular land has been, it has been with us. We're very unusual in the sense that we have a multicultural heritage from all over the world. That's not the norm in any other place. That was part of the plan of the gardeners, the great silent watchers who came here in the beginning to create diversity yeah okay so there's there's over 50 books now that schools across the nation want to ban and Texas has been leading the way and that means the, the 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 names of the particular states that are really doing this is Texas, Nevada, Oklahoma, Virginia, North Carolina, Missouri, Florida, Mississippi, Washington, Washington, D.C., I guess, and other states. I know one of the books that's banned on that list is Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn. And... Oh, my gosh. I read that, I mean, in kindergarten. Oh, you did? Yeah. Yeah. What kind of kindergarten did you go to to get that? (laughs) (laughs) The Hogwarts School of Wizardry. (laughs) Uh, you wish, right? Yeah, I wish. <laughs> that was a little early, right? You didn't read it in kindergarten. No, maybe like the first, second, third grade. I remember reading that, and I had to give a report. And I, I just recall that Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens, was a friend of Nikola Tesla's, 
And there's more to the story about Mark Twain that meets the eye because he knew about the star people. Uh-huh. Yeah, at his time when he had to do what he had to do, there was this thing called racism, and I don't know where to go with that. Oh. Yeah. I mean, he... Well, wasn't Mark Mark Twain was a contactee? Yeah, he was a contactee. There's a Star Trek, Star Trek Next Generation story about that. Yeah. He literally <laughs> went on to the ships. Yep. Yep. How many books are we going to read that story in? <laughs> Just trying to get rid of books. Uh, and the other thing <clears throat> that is really necessary to teach our children is how to be mindful. And that can start very tiny. And how we have been extorted in terms of having time with our children. That's another story. And again, how do we be mindful? I just remember when, when I was, uh, a single mom, uh, way back there, in <laughs> the 70s, uh, and, uh, I collaborated with other parents and we started a parent school for the younger ones and it grew up into, you know, like we had kids in one room that were, you know, from the kindergarten age all the way up to the third, fourth grade. Mm. And then, uh, it progressed so that, you know, uh, it was a little bit later when I had my third child, Micah there. And then there was a parent school and it was connected to the Santa Fe school system. Mm. And they also decided to create it so that you just go half a day, four days a week. And that would really be good to do instead of the, except we got to change the whole story because, you know, if there were only four days a week, a half a day, oh my God, the workforce would not have anybody in it. You know, somebody have to take care of those kids. And so this is another thing that the community, uh, this is what the star brings. And it's, this whole competition is ending and we're going into co-op. Co-op, cooperation, co-ops, cooperatives for our children, for our, uh, workspace on any topic that we choose. And it's quite a big leap right now. Every man, woman, and child on earth and I said we make the exception that 500,000 of them will be getting a royal ride on a starship somewhere in the galaxy to uh, Dracos. It's, it's adjacent to the Orion's Belt. Yes, it's in our galaxy. 
and I have been to Orion. There are beautiful places in the Orion Belt, and there are some places that are, let's say, it is about souls evolving back to love rather than war. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's a big topic, Mama. <laughs> it is huge. Yet they are, they are, uh, showing up in people's lives all over the world. And they've been doing this for decades and decades now, and it's been increasing over the decades, especially since Harmonic Convergence, December, I mean, August 16th and 17th at midnight in between those two days, 1987. And what happened that day, too, is that the photon belt, which is Alcyone's charge and his energy, you can find the star Alcyone in the Pleiades on a star map. You can go to the planetarium and have them show it to you in the sky. (laughs) Open up the... The, 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 the whole ceiling, you know, opened up to the stars. Did that a number of times. You know, I was fortunate to have a planetarium in Chicago and I visited that place often. Yeah, had a good historical society there too. And, and Egyptian, um, you might say museum <clears throat> at the University of Chicago too. Uh, there's a lot of culture yeah. and a lot of art and a lot of education that you can have in Chicago. And you could also be sitting there in the street. Oh my God. Looking at the other end of all the stolen guns that are in there from across the border in Indiana. And so, I mean, and we have been told and it's getting closer, right, Emma, that the guns won't work. That's right. And the uh, bullets won't fly. Yeah. And the nukes won't function. You can't really do that now. You can try, but they won't, they won't um, function. The energy's too high. Yeah. I just, you know, one second it looks like this, the next second, um, Ashtar's giving us a little dissertation on uh, sweet potato pot pie. Sweet potato pie? Yes. I have never pictured Ashtar as being a cook. Oh. Of that kind. Uh, <laughs> there's many things I know about the captain. <laughs> Are you telling me that he is a cook? Yes, quite a Of that kind? Yes, an excellent cook. <laughs> <laughs> so have you had some of his Hussein? I have. Just for you. Yes. Okay. <laughs> we will we will explore that sometime. Rama, good. Okay, so um I'm going to play a few things first here. It's time to get started, but uh 
let's start off with um, just uh, thinking about this. Well, there's the 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 uh, the uh, Olympics began in the middle of last night. I recorded a bunch of stuff. And Mr. Putin and Mr. C had a little talk about how NATO needs to be gone. That's simple. Why do we still need to point phallic symbols at each other? I just want to leave it there. <laughs> well, Mr. Putin. It's not funny, but it's, it's, it is about the misqualified energies of the male that have extended to nuclear missiles. I'll just, you know, describe it like that. Well, I think Mr. Putin and Mr. Xi uh, got together and exposed the United States as the derelict yeah. empire that it is that's going away. And that is a reality. And it's so stark, you know, President Biden, the hologram, which he is right now, is living so far in the past. We were going, thinking about this way a year ago or more. He, he actually was thinking he was still a senator and talking like he was a senator at the podium as president. That happened. Place the violent fire. <laughs> And it's just not appropriate for that to continue. Um, And it's been said before by others that you've talked to that it's time for Kamala Harris to take the stand and then just uh, take over the presidency. I'm just, you know, have you had any conversations about how that's going to happen? No. No, not a. Well, there's got to be some plan. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, that the the people of the galactic realms might have it going on, right? I I would say that they they know this story. And here we go. Welcome back. It's 24 hours after several major nations and their allies stopped the Beijing Winter Olympics fire a diplomatic boycott of its opening ceremony over alleged human rights abuses. This days after China celebrated the Lunar New Year, and as we enter the year of the tiger, in words of Sun Tzu's art of war, unless you enter the tiger's lair, you cannot get hold of the tiger's cubs. Could this be symbolic of the economic and political repercussions for NATO nations after the boycott? Joining me now from New York is someone who has spoken out against the boycotts, CEO of Interpersonal Intelligence Advisory, Viv Jaswell. Thanks so much, uh, Viv, for uh, coming on. Um, Boris Johnson's government, following Joe Biden's lead, boycotting the Olympics. Uh, is it going to make a big difference? Didn't seem to make any big difference in the opening ceremony? Not at all. Uh, for the simple reason, if you look at the history of the Olympics, I mean, there have been about seven to eight boycotts. Um, nothing's been achieved. The world didn't change uh, if anything, it's uh, ineffective, irrelevant, inconsequential. You know, the Olympics are governed by the IOC, not China. And and these were playground tactics uh, that present-day leadership is trying to use as a strategy. They just have toxic consequences. I mean, you know, this is just a reflection of incompetent leadership or not able to uh, negotiate effectively or come to some sort of resolution. I mean, how sad is it for me in my country 
to be sending our athletes who are at their prime, who are performing for our country, and not have their leadership with them. Well, I'll get on to what Anthony Blinken and Joe Biden say, and Johnson, um, but even you, who are contracted to uh, promote uh, the games, uh, must be surprised that Ai Weiwei, an opponent of the Chinese government, has said the West's boycott is futile and pointless. China does not care about it at all. China is not auditioning for anyone's approval. People don't seem to understand that. And they won't tolerate being disrespected. Uh, you know, we're in a serious position where they might not forgive and they might not forget. Well, uh, I should also say that uh, uh, in the United States, the something called the American Values and Security and International Athletics Act, enacted by Biden on December 27, 2021, included in the Natural Defense Authorization Act, appears to uh, mandate, as reminded by the House Foreign Relations Committee, uh, the briefing of all U.S. athletes competing at the Winter Games about the human rights abuses and safety concerns existent in the host nation, i.e. China. What do you think of all the U.S. athletes having to be educated about the evils of China? Are they also being educated about the good of China? And if they have all this concern, why are they sending the athletes to China? Flip-flop the leadership is only going to lead you down a slippery slope. So all this, uh, you know, I, I find it bizarre that you're giving a history lesson that isn't necessarily balanced. And remember, we are guests in the host country. So is it a case of much to do about nothing? I think so. Yeah, but in fairness, sporting boycotts against South Africa, against Nazi Germany, surely were important. Shouldn't the Chinese government, instead of just dismissing this and saying, stop politicizing the games, they should actively be saying that there is no genocide in Xinjiang, rather than saying, don't politicize the games to Joe Biden and Boris Johnson? Well, I think the United Nations uh, General Secretary is saying exactly that. Uh, you know, these are the facts. We have 3,000 athletes coming in from 90 countries. The United Nations Secretary General has himself said that, you know, in the spirit of the games, let's observe a truce. NBC in this country, because who have the exclusive broadcasting rights, as an example, um, they have sold out of their advertising inventory for this whole period of the game. They've secured 100 advertisers, and the, and the, the, the rates they're charging are higher this time round than they were for the 2018 Olympics. So in this whole flatulence of, of opinion and, and, and hysteria, at its core, we have the majority of the world who want to put aside their differences and maintain the Olympics as a global event where nations come together. And if they can come together constructively, hopefully, it can build relationships constructively. Surprised that uh, these countries, USA, Australia, Canada, Denmark, Japan, Lithuania, and Britain aren't saying to boycott uh, Chinese products, uh, chips, say, and Apple computers, and um, all you know what really amuses me, uh, and the irony of it is not lost. We have so-called smart leaders uh, using smartphones made in China, trying to send out ridiculous messages on some social media platforms made in China. Um, it's, 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 like I said, the irony of it is not lost. 
maybe those Chinese companies should have something in those electronic <laughs> devices to prevent them uh, uh, damaging their uh, businesses. Um, you know that uh, yeah, apparently there will be a lot of teaching of history of China as part of the cultural events that surround the Winter Games. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Because I know that you, you've said that also social media will be used in an ever more sophisticated way uh, to uh, tell the world about uh, about China. Well, you know, my firm, uh, we're acting in an advisory capacity, and our objective is to promote awareness, engagement, and excitement um, of, of this event for the, uh, and, and promote a sort of good, a sense of good cheer for the Olympic athletes and Team USA. We're using social media stars from the genres of uh, food, fashion, uh, entrepreneurs, and ex-Olympians. Uh, we're using social media platforms like Instagram, TikTok, Twitch, and YouTube. And really, we're just, you know, uh, highlighting the good of this event. But not highlighting the alleged genocide, as uh, Rick uh, Scott uh, claims. Uh, what do you what? think? I mean, he, he hasn't written to uh, uh, big U.S. multinational companies uh, about the fact that they are technically foreign agents. I don't know, because they're selling products uh, made in China. What did you make of the fact and he wrote to the uh, editor, global editor-in-chief of Newsweek, the chief executive officer of Newsweek, complaining that you, I mean, he didn't say you should, they should ban you from being able to write in a publication, but uh, effectively saying that they should uh, uh, print a warning every time you write for the magazine. I write to bring your attention to a troubling issue with one of Newsweek's contributors, Vip Jaswell, a registered foreign agent. Readers should be informed through a disclaimer in his biography. He is shilling for a genocidal regime. Makes me sound like a criminal, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> but the fact is that Senator Rick Scott suffers from a dereliction and distraction of duty. I, I do question his judgment of priorities, considering the uh, the chair of authority that he occupies. I mean, he chose me to be his first order of PR business in 2022, considering that his own state had various issues that they were coping with, like COVID and, and a few other things. Um, you know, in all of this, I, I do feel sorry for him because he even tweeted it out. And I don't have to criticize him. And of course, I'm not being derogatory. I'm merely being descriptive. And I call him a socks and sandals kind of guy. Um, you know, he tweeted it out and his followers, uh, attacked him. I wouldn't say they came to my defense, but they attacked him. They attacked him on his position on, uh, or on the 6th of Jan, the Capitol riots on the 6th of Jan, they attacked him for his position in the largest Medicare fraud in the history of the United States. Yeah. They attacked him when he was deposed, how he invoked the Fifth Amendment 75 times. Okay, but he was democratically elected as a senator after that uh, uh, Medicare fraud uh, fine. I mean, what do you think about taking a job with a, a country that is routinely, I mean, you can watch our coverage of Xinjiang, where we have actually challenged the official leader narrative, some might uh, see it. What's it like to work uh, for a country that is uh, routinely in NATO nation media accused of, of genocide? Well, actually, we, this contract that I have has got to do more with the Olympics as a global event, and it's a social outreach campaign 
This is not a so-called influential campaign that, that people are projecting it to be. Uh, you know, I've been involved in this so-called swamp of um, people giving opinions uh, like amateur journalists, professional trolls, uh, and one or two senile senators. Uh, and of course, like I said, you know, I'm not being derogatory, I'm being descriptive. Okay, but you wouldn't, I mean, if in an actual genocide, you wouldn't actually take the job from the Nazis if the games were in Munich and we were back in the 1930s. No one would. It's as simple as that. But I've received death threats, I've received death wishes. Um, and now, you know, I have nothing to hide. Everything is filed in the Department of Justice. It's accessible to everyone. I should say, I mean, when you say no one would, of course, a lot of American companies were involved in that, in the Nazi games and U.S. multinationals, people who read about their history, uh, of that. Do you think, uh, do you think there is something of Joe McCarthy in these attacks on people trying to, uh, promote, trying to, uh, uh make this uh, Winter's Games a success in Beijing? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, in, in my example, the people are trying to sabotage and mon- marginalize my purpose. But, but, but to what gain? I'm, I'm still confused. Uh, Will it help Joe Biden's popularity? Obviously, I'm speaking to you from a country where Boris Johnson is under threat, his leadership. Uh, Biden's poll ratings are very low. Do you think it, uh, uh, they see it, uh, their advisors see it as important to attack other countries as a means of showing them their power on the world stage? I don't think it shows power on the world stage at all. Uh, it'll come and pass like everything else. We're living in a, such a fast news cycle uh, that once once this is over, within a week, uh, people will move on. I'm sure there'll be lots of social media tweets uh, showing pictures of the uh, U.S. athletes and athletes all around the world. Uh, any idea of what the athletes must feel competing in a competition which is being diplomatically boycotted by their own governments? Yeah. Well, I'm sure they feel sad on the day when they, when they see their peers from other countries and their leadership around to support them, and they are, you know, uh, on their own. And and it doesn't help if they are sort of, the so-called the education they're getting before they go, it only adds to the fear, and then it could affect their performance psychologically. So, you know, we should be a part of the United Nations, and the General Secretary himself has said that, you know, let's observe a cruise. Uh, we should be going with as positive a mindset uh, as, as possible. And if our media reports to us that the international community is boycotting this year's Winter Games in Beijing, what should, uh, what should someone viewing or listening to that kind of media coverage uh, think? I guess they're being critiqued. What has one to do with the other? Good, Jaswell. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for the show. We'll be back on Monday, eight years since the 22nd Winter Olympic Games opened in Sochi, Russia, that also saw protests and calls for boycotts. Until then, keep in touch by all our social media. Let us know if you think Beijing's Olympic Games should be boycotted over human rights allegations. As legal tender and so much is changed, we are... <coughs> Hi, I'm Max Kaiser. This is the Kaiser Report. Max and Stacey are in San Salvador, El Salvador. And uh, we are really just amazed at the revolution taking place here as this country goes Bitcoin as legal tender and so much 
is changing and and for the better. Hey, Stacy, what's up? Hey, Max. So while we are here, of course, the IMF is very concerned. Of course, the United States is very, very concerned about the debt levels in El Salvador. So while we've been here in the past week, everybody knows that the U.S. national debt has hit $30 trillion. Put that into context. The GDP of the United States in 2020 was $21 trillion. Of course, that counts a lot of the money being printed. Um, also, that is about $90,000 per individual in the United States, per citizen uh, of U.S. debt. So they hit $30 trillion. Max and I, of course, were reporting here on Kaiser Report when it was, oh, when it first hit $10 trillion, I believe. Right. Now, of course, this is always uh, talked about in liberal media, like the New York Times, that doesn't have any effect. All Krogan will say it's money we owe ourselves. But let's walk through what this really means, folks. I want you and the international audience to pay very close attention. The United States now has 30 trillion debt, which means that uh, it's a statistical impossibility and a non-event that they can never raise interest rates because of this enormous Ponzi scheme they've created. They can never raise interest rates. Okay, so what about the U.S. dollar? Okay, the U.S. dollar would normally fall because the country is becoming bankrupt. However, the U.S. Uh, threatens other countries to accept the U.S. dollar or they bomb them, right? So, for example, ah. it's, you can understand what's happening in Ukraine if you understand what's the interest of the debt and interest rates. The U.S. has created a kerfuffle in U- Ukraine because that's what backs the U.S. dollar. So it's a war machine. It's a death machine. It's a death cult. That's the U.S. dollar. It can't last forever. It'll probably be completely obliterated in 2022, so prepare. Right. Well, the debt will be obliterated because debt that can't be repaid uh, won't be repaid, and that's the case throughout history, as we've discussed with the likes of Michael Hudson and others. Uh, by the way, you know, we are at Casa del Bitcoin right here in San Salvador. We're in an open-air room filled with an umbrella above us, so if you hear some noise, I know some people in the international audience do get alarmed when they hear noises, but they don't know what it is. But that's where we are. We're in an outdoor location. Um, I do want to also now turn to just to put into context for you the debt of the United States and how that compares to history. So here is from Alex Gladstein for context. Here's debt expressed in GDP over time. Today, we are at debt being 133% of GDP. We are now beyond World War II territory, which means financial repression as inflation outpaces interest. Of course, I want to point out to you that this is one of the many, many, many things that occupies this notion of make America great again and this notion that there was the best times are behind us because you can see the debt being at a low in like 1980 uh, compared to our GDP in the United States. So we boomed all the way since the 1980s. We've been in a, what, 30, 40-year bull market and bonds that whole time. This is the cost of that bull market. That's what drove the bull market, that rise in debt to GDP. So, however, leaves you, as all countries with a lot of debt, so much, with so much less sovereignty, particularly for the individuals within that country due to the inflation and due to the, um, 
absence of any maneuver room and how you can grow your economy. Right. Another uh, byproduct of all this debt is censorship. So the reason why you have a lot of pushback against independent media like Joe Rogan is that the mainstream media, the Washington Post, New York Times, CNN, they cannot even have a single dissenting voice that will point out the obvious that the U.S. is simply printing money and giving it to a few crony friends, making them multi-hundred billionaires, and then driving the deaths of despair, of suicide and drug overdose to new all-time highs. Those facts cannot be said. Uh, so they need to get rid of folks like Joe Rogan. So once you understand the debt, once you understand interest rates, you understand the dollar and how it all works, then you understand pretty much everything. Well, so fortunately, I'm, like, really positive about what the situation is at the moment because the situation is that these are just, like, the the, the end is near. You know, the end for fiat is near. It's game over, as they say. And Bitcoin, fortunately for everybody in the world, Bitcoin fixes this. So I feel, like, a lot of relentless optimism. That's why I'm here in El Salvador. That's why I feel positive about the future. So, you know, when you look at these headlines and you look at the presentation and you look at the data and you look at the charts, and it can be easy to feel sort of overwhelmed and filled with despair. Of course, in America, as we've covered, you know, the, there are huge numbers of deaths of despair. But there's no reason to do that because there is an opt-out now. There is a plan B. There is a way out of it. And that is... Bitcoin, right? It's a way out of the system. We're seeing a more and more rapid hyper-Bitcoinization. At this point, it's almost uh, difficult to keep up with it. You can't keep up with it in three days a week uh, of news of new, yet another country, whether it's Russia or India or, uh, you know, other nations now starting to say, okay, we're going to allow Bitcoin. We're going to, uh, we're not going to ban it. We're not going to regulate. We're just going to regulate it. Blah, blah, blah. So it is like it, it, hyper-Bitcoinization is already here and it, at this pace, it feels to me like we're going to have um, total hyper-Bitcoinization and a replacement of the dollar, perhaps by the summer, because this is going much faster than I ever anticipated uh, years ago on, on Kai's report. Well, I look at a company like PayPal, whose stock has crashed because of Bitcoin. Uh, that just applied that idea across all payments processors, across Visa, MasterCard, across the banking sector, across the central banking sector, across the failed nation states like the United States or Great Britain. And you see that they can very quickly crash. Or Enron, remember one day it was worth $80 billion, the next day it was worth zero. Uh, it'll be very, very quick. Uh, one day you'll wake up probably in 2022, the dollar will have lost 80% of its value against other currencies around the world. Bitcoin will be at $800,000 or $900,000 a coin. But Michael Saylor will be the richest man in the world. And it'll all happen very, very quickly. But, you know, uh, we've been telling you for 10 years, like Noah, if you didn't get on the ark by now, uh, you know, get an umbrella. So Max believes uh, <laughs> the U.S. dollar might fall at 80% against other currencies. I don't believe that. I believe it will only fall against Bitcoin because that's the only money that will be left standing. All other currencies will fall at the same exact pace. You see it with the all-time market always. They never fall like, oh, one of them is falling against it. The entire sector will collapse, crash like 80 90% in one month. And that's what's going to happen with the dollar, the euro, the yen. Every single currency you could possibly think of that is fiat will do the same against Bitcoin. Sure. Absolutely. Agree with that. So I want to, uh, nevertheless, we're, you know, we're still Kaiser Report. We're still making Ooh. programs here and we're still reporting on the, this, the collapse of it. Of course, 10, 11 years ago when we first started, we didn't, uh, 
see that it would happen so rapidly. This was something I thought would happen in 20, 30 years and preparing you for it, but it looks like it's happening this year. So here's another sign of the sort of collapse of the dollar because that's the, the number one fiat, right? That's the best, strongest fiat of all. Um, well, you're starting to see the signs of the Zimbabwe-like and Venezuela-like sort of situation when you see these headlines. Home prices in 2021 rose 16.9%, the highest on record. The median home price sales was 346900 in 2021, up 16.9% from 2020, and the highest on record going back to 1999, according to the National Association of Realtors, home sales had the strongest year since 2006 with 6.12 million homes sold up 8.5% from the year before. And this is the most important thing right here. Okay. In the last days of empire or the last days of a powerful country of colonial power or anything like that throughout the past thousand years, what you can always see is something similar to this quote here about the cost, the high cost of a group of cantillionaires supporting that group of cantillionaires who are, uh, you know, benefiting from the house price gains. And that is this quote. While that was bad news for would-be buyers, it was a boon for those who already owned a home. A typical homeowner accumulated $50,200 in housing wealth, looking at the median price from 2020 to 2021. So you're starting to inch up to actual household uh, average income or median income across the United States. It's like you're making $50,000 just sitting there at home. And in fact, if you quit your job because your house price is gaining $50,000 a year and you could extract that equity, what happens is not only does ultimately the economy destabilize in the long term because nobody's having to produce and these people are able to stay home and in America, that means you have zero income, even though your wealth is increasing. You're, you have zero income. You get to collect free health care worth about $25,000, $30,000 per household in America if you're on Medicaid because you have zero income, but you're extracting the wealth from your home rising equity. So you, you create a, a doom loop of bad economics and um, resentment, a lot of resentment because those who have to still go to work and, and do all the jobs that are needed to keep the, you know, maintain the electrical system and the electrical grid, the sewage grid and all that sort of stuff. Uh, they're the ones that are, are not uh, happy staying, having to work. Right. So it's like feudalism as a service, right? So for those who are getting direct transfer payments from the central bank, they can yeah. just extract those payments through their bank by keeping their house at the bank as collateral. Everybody else, they're seeing prices for food and energy go up. Oil looks like it's going to top $100 a barrel pretty soon now. Uh, and they are living like serfs in the Middle Ages. And that gap is getting wider and wider because nobody in policymakers, like a Nancy Pelosi, for example, I see she was trading on her Microsoft options insider trading again, Bitcoin, Nancy, criminal. And uh, so they're not going to do anything to stop it because they are also got their uh, you know, snouts in the trough, uh, so to speak. So they're not going to stop it. So median household income, according to the census in America, was 67,521. So it's not quite at the same sort of uh, level as in the United Kingdom, where ha- home equity lines of extraction far surpass any sort of median income. So you're, you're getting at that point where it's total destabilization, 
total uh, wealth and income gap and ex- extreme extremity and, and sort of a lordly aristocratic class. Right. Well, the United Kingdom never pretends to be something other than a constitutional monarchy. It's like they have over there. In the U.S., it's the same thing, except we have tech monarchs. And money-printed aristocrats. All right. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, much more coming your way. <laughs> Okay, hold on, everybody. This is a good thing, everybody. Very good. Welcome back to the Kaiser Report. I'm Max Kaiser. Time now to turn to William Soriano, a congressman for the La Union area of El Salvador, where Bitcoin City is being built. He's with President Bukele's party, New Ideas. Which is three years old today. William, happy birthday. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here in Kaiser Report. Um, I've always watched you guys. I've always been a fan of your show. But right now, as you mentioned, it's a th- the third year of Nuevas Ideas reaching the government, defeating the bipartisanship for the first time. And the people going to become president of El Salvador. I want to talk about that, and I should mention that we're in, we're downtown San Salvador, and there's a construction boom going on. People might hear construction going on. There's yeah. a huge library being built. There's going to be a ceremony here this evening. Uh, I know one of your dreams growing up was to revitalize this whole area, and that seems like it's on schedule. It's part of the incredible transformation, a revolution going on. Uh, here, and let's, so to your point about the defeat of bipartisanship, as you say, uh, Bukele, President Bukele, the New Ideas Party, it was, it just broke open the model. It broke everything apart and introduced really a, a new way of looking at politics, not only in El Salvador, but this entire region of Central America and Latin America. Is that a fair statement? Yes. You know what? El Salvador was a victim of the Cold War. Let's put it that way. Let's start this way. Yes. One side, the United States supporting the army, the government, and the other side, um, communists supporting communists, right? And they made Salvadorans kill each other. 70,000 Salvadorans died in the war. And that allowed us, or made our country, to become a bit violent as a society. Right? And there's a whole bunch of problems that came from that part, from from the war that we lived for almost 10 to 12 years. But also, that led to the born or, or the rise of two political parties that dominated politics in our country for 30 years. Left and right, both corrupt. In the script, there were enemies behind the scenes, they were friends. And they just tore our country apart. And that's where a new generation of politics or politicians led by Najib Bukele came into the stage and broke and shattered all the models. Right, so this this two-party system, the, the pantomime, as you describe it, really, opposing uh, 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 each other, uh, uh, it's in the press, but really working together behind the scenes. And the left has always been about redistributing wealth to the poor 
And the right has always been more of a heavy-handed military type yes. of organization. And uh, the ebb and flow goes back and forth between these two parties, not only in El Salvador, but all of this entire region. Okay, along comes Najib Bukele, who was uh, of one of the major parties. And he had, uh, I guess, one day, he had a, a, a political awakening, what you could say, yes. and realized that it, this was the time to make a major, uh, I wouldn't call it a gamble, but uh, uh, to see things in a new way. And I think new ideas is a good day for the party. You, uh, how, much, how many of the uh, existing Congress immediately joined him? None. None. When when Diaz was born as a political party, it was for different presidential elections, but they blocked her party. In those elections, he couldn't participate under new ideas as a flag. So he had to join another party to be able to run, since they blocked every effort he made to participate. The system blocked him away. But, you know, when people decide that there's... This is the right time to actually change things. Okay. Oh, coming. Yeah, I guess it just didn't. It didn't get. Something happened here. <laughs> it uh, it went off. Okay, so. It's good enough. It's good enough. So we're going to go to this next piece here. Uh, um, hmm. Oh. Oh, oh. It's doing a correction course. All right. Well. Uh, we'll do this one when they're done. You know, the, they reboot the receiver. So here we go. I'm going to read something here. This is from um, February 2nd, 2022. Five twos. Um Hotan Belt Ascension. Maybe, yeah, Hotan Belt Ascension, Energy Signs and Symptoms Update. The author is Justin Mazza. This article explains the Hotan Belt's Ascension energy signs and symptoms and what the Hotan Belt is. And it's been updated from 2021, so for 2021. For 2022. So according to Barbara Hanclough, I haven't heard Barbara Hanclough's name mentioned forever, Rama. Wow. Barbara Hanclough used to live right down the street from us in Santa Fe. That's a long time ago. (laughs) And others, Barbara Hanclough and others, according to these ones, we are moving into a zone in space that is a band of photon energy. Our star moves into that band for about 2,000 years. And this event happens about every 11,000 years. 
The last time this happened, we were in Atlantis. Is Earth passing through the photon belt? Could this explain all the bizarre behavior currently on this planet? What is the photon belt? The photon belt is a spiral formation that our galaxy passes through as it goes around its orbit of the galactic center. It is also known as the photon band. And many spiritual people believe that the Earth will enter this band for 2,000 years, creating a a spiritual advancement known as the out as the quickening for the uh, for the planets. I'm just gonna move this. No, I can't do that either. Okay. Um. um it is felt that roughly every twenty-five thousand. 4,000 to 26,000 years in a galactic timeline, which is slightly different, about two year difference in the timeline. It's uh, exactly 26,826 year cycle. Our planetary system finishes one circle around the Pleiades focal sun, Alcyon, the all seeing eye of the one God. God is all that is. <laughs> um, Segment's consort, twin flame. Our sun arrives at the midpoint of the photon belt roughly like like clockwork. It requires around 2,000 years to navigate it and afterward an additional 10,500 to 11,000 years before our solar system enters it once more. These numbers are rough estimates. The belief is that a gigantic belt of photons exists and circles the Pleiades, a star group somewhere in the range of 440, 440 light years from Earth, made out of approximately 500 stars. The photon belt, ascension signs and symptoms. Can you feel it? The pace of life has gotten so fast that as you can barely keep up with it, it's not that you are getting old, tired, or lazy. The worst possible thing you could do now is to try and keep up with the hectic flow of life. A better choice would be to simplify your lives. Get a smaller home, work close to home, or even better, work from home as you can. Trim the excess from your lives the best that you can. As it isn't essential to your life, then let it go for now. Make peace with yourselves and let go of the inner conflict. Resolve to love, to care. For yourselves unconditionally. Earth has entered new territory. The old Earth paradigm will no longer work. In fact, it hasn't worked for a long time. Let go of worn out traditions 
and cultural expectations. Go within and do what feels right for you, even as it gets goes against societal norms. <laughs> for the record, many people believe that the photon belt is just a new age of disinformation theory or belief. And many researchers have debunked it as fake. Maybe it's not real. However, like anything you read or hear, make sure you aren't taking it all in as truth or dismissing it entirely either. So the photon belt ascension energy below is a list of photon belt ascension systems. All right, I'm just going to read them off. Feeling stress, feeling of disorientation, unusual aches and pains, waking at night between 2 and 4 a.m., memory loss, heightened sensitivities in your surroundings. Can you tell her, give her something, Rabba? Heavenly days. Dizziness, loss of balance, back and neck pain, ringing in the ears, gritty eyes, and blurred vision, heart palpitations with difficulty in breathing, headaches, crying about anything, not remembering the meaning of anything, you don't feel like at doing anything, a loss of desire for food, you know or sense that something is happening, something is changing, you feel it's different for reasons you don't, you can't explain, stomach and digestive issues, IBS, gastrointestinal problems, loss of appetite, periods of unexplained nausea. Sudden changes in body temperatures, increased sensitivity or intolerance to, to heat or cold, abnormal heat Cerebral and cold bowels. in certain body parts. What? Irritable bowel syndrome is part of the... you got to say that loud if you want to say it, then say it. Oh, irritable bowel syndrome, IBM... Or IBS yeah. is one of those ascension symptoms. Is that because you have had an experience? No, I'm just saying I read about it. That as the energies increase, it causes that as you got to get off a, a carnivore diet and go to a plant-based diet. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So then we go on here. Yes, stomach and digestive issues. You know or sense that something is happening. I'll see. Uh, gastrointestinal problems, loss of appetite, periods of unexplained nausea, sudden changes in body temps, all that stuff. Um, cold or flu-like symptoms, frequent headaches, Increase in sensitivity of smell, changes in vision and perception, changes in hearing or sensitivity to sound, hearing strange sounds, tones, frequencies in your ears. Yes. Whooshing, buzzing, ear popping, pressure. 
uh, periods where you feel freezing for long periods or have a chill in your body, cold hands or feet, circulation issues, changes in diet, appetite, and eating habits, sudden cravings for or aversions to foods, unexplainable weight gain or loss, sudden intolerances, allergies to a specific food or other products and chemical sensitivities, changes in sleep patterns, waves of extreme fatigue that come and go unexpectedly, periods of restlessness or insomnia, a need for more or less sleep than usual, sporadic sleep schedules, repeated waking in the middle of the night, especially around 3 o'clock in the morning, unusual dreams or more lucid dreams, increase in day daydreaming, fantasy, flashes of insights and visions, Increased creativity and imagination, intense heat waves throughout the body, hot flashes, chills, or night sweats, feeling extremely hot or waves of warming energy in various chakra centers, increased static electrical charge in the body, energy zaps, tingles, itching, pinpricks, muscle spasms or twitches, that occur sporadically in certain parts of the body. This goes on in eternally. I think we'll just, uh, Rama, you can put this up on our website, right? Okay. So I'm going to go to the next section. There's 64 of these descriptions of changes you go through. But uh, humansarefree.com, this is a website where you can read about the folk song belt. Since May of 1998, as Mother Gaia officially entered the first vortex, there is no turning back. Within the next years, Mother Earth will be going through each of the 12 vortexes of that light with the intensity required for her purification and preparation for her ascension process into the fifth dimension. Since then, the light from the photon belt's various frequencies and intensity is no longer released as at intervals. They are now bombarding the earth much more intensely and continuously. There are many adjustments to be made in this vortex before we can move to the next, to the next one. Feel the new energy. In one form or the other, all of humanity is feeling the effects of the new energy of this deep cleansing. Every person on earth will have to do whatever it takes to adjust their consciousness and make the necessary changes within themselves to move with and be transformed by that light. There is no turning back at this point. You will have to decide for yourselves how, as you want to ride the ascension wave with the planet or be transformed into the new species of humans that will emerge from this transformation. You gain your immortality and 
You gain your immortality. Excuse me. Let me back go. Uh, and ascend into the consciousness of the new earth on the fifth dimensional level or be crushed by the wave and stay on the fourth dimension. We are in the fourth dimension, not the third. Time is a dimension and we must consider it for another round of incarnations. Yeah, incarnation is over as you can grasp that meaning. Earth is ascending now. Okay, the choice is entirely ours, and the opportunity is for all. Those who resist the new energy will not be able to maintain to make it through the 12 vortexes. We know that many will choose at a soul level and at the conscious level to leave or vacate their physical bodies rather than let go of their fears. Preconceived ideologies and personal agendas that are not serving the highest highest good of all rather than lovingly allow themselves to go through the necessary steps of this transformation. Some would be ready to come along for the ride, yet they will be choosing to transform from the other side of the veil because of their age. This option is acceptable for those precious ones. And we ask you, not to worry for those loved ones and allow them that choice. The body feels weird sometimes. Many of you are already feeling and noticing the effects of cellular and genetic levels in your physical and emotional bodies. Many of you are experiencing new unpleasant physical symptoms you never had before, such as headaches, heart pains, palpitations, chronic fatigue, dizziness, nausea, changing sleep patterns, ringing in the ears, blurring the vision, and many more. You are also experiencing changes in your emotional state. Your bodies are evolving and cleansing Yeah, themselves. All old, worn-out negative eruption, emotions excuse me, and ways of thinking and perceiving things are coming to the surface to be examined, purified, and transformed. Many of you are emotionally confused and many of you feel sick. I tell you, this is only temporary. Just hang in there and remain in the frequency of love for yourselves and others. Stay calm and loving, balanced and happy. According to Barbara Hanclaw and others, we are moving into a zone in space that is a photon energy band. Our star moves into that band for about 2,000 years, and the event happens about every 11,000 years. The last time we were in, we were in was Atlantis. The 11,000 year out of the photon belt, she calls the galactic night. Our star system is the eighth star in the Pleiadian star group. Oh, our star circles the star Alcyone as well, as do the other Pleiadian stars. Alcyone is in the photon belt all the time. Others are in and out for varying periods depending on their orbit. The experience we have on Earth at this time 
is precious for the range of experience moving between dimensions that happen as we move into and out of the photon belt. Trillions of souls are trying to get into the body for this ride. We are starting to move into the photon belt now and we'll be totally in the belt all the time by Oh, this was written a long time ago. So, oh, this is so interesting. By, by 2012. So, this is already done, everybody. In the photon belt, the walls between the different dimensions become increasingly thin or non-existent. One thing that has to happen as we move into the photon belt is to master the fourth dimension and integrate into the planet. Strange weather patterns, radical weather patterns, and earth changes. Oh, yeah. Characterize the transition into and out of the photon belt. And this will be interesting as the fourth dimensional world begins to precipitate into our third dimensional realm. All of that's already done. We're in the fifth dimension now. Okay. So I'm going to let that one be. That was good. That was just a good review. All right, so there we go. That's enough of that. Um, and now, Matthias de Stefano's Nine Dimensions of Spiritual Reality. A, Syrian, a serious star system view of the spiritual dimensions of reality. And this was updated from December 21st last year. So this has been updated, but I'm going to take the challenge and read this. Hmm. The different dimensions, let's just see here. Yeah, the content, spiritual dimensions, Matthias de Stefano's dimensions, some basic principles, and then the dimensions are listed here. One, pure light and dimension and consciousness. Two is polarities and vibrations. Three is the diversity of space. Four is mastering time. Five is full integration of 3D and 4D. Six is creating universes and reality. Seventh dimension, enlightenment and heaven. Eighth dimension, the Akashic Records. Ninth dimension, the void beyond dimensions. Uh, so I'm not going to read all of this, but we'll get this up there. This is, this is like a, a thesis. Let me put that there. So now I'm going to go to something else here. This is, we haven't listened to Chris Hedges for a long time, but he's got a, a good one this time. Not that they're not all good, but I'm going to play this one now here. Just turn this up. Here we go. Use and you'll get Who's doing this? Professor. 
Welcome to On Contact. Today we discuss how we all became temps with Professor Lewis Hyman from Cornell University. One of the things I said in the book was every time someone says robot, we should really imagine a woman, usually a woman of color, who's doing this kind of work. Because that is this imaginary transitional workforce, the kinds of people whose work is not appreciated and is thought of as something that eventually a robot will do. And this language of robots is central to legitimating the present-day inequality of Silicon Valley because of a portended future where robots will do all our work, the Jetsons future, legitimating a very utopian future, legitimating a very dystopian present. After the end of World War II, Two generations of workers in the United States were blessed with a period of unprecedented prosperity. Wages for the working class were high. Jobs were stable and came with benefits and health insurance. Unions protected workers from abuse by the business elites. Taxes on the wealthiest individuals and corporations were as high as 91%. The public school system provided a quality education to the poor and the rich. The nation's infrastructure and technology were cutting edge and unrivaled. But by the 1970s, it had all begun to go south. Wages stagnated. Income inequality grew until by 2008, the top wealthiest 10% of Americans received 87% of the economic growth compared with 29% from 1933 to 1973. The good industrial jobs vanished. In their place rose the tent or gig economy, one where wages were low, the jobs were not secure, and did not provide benefits. Unions were emasculated, and the nation's great democratic institutions, along with its infrastructure, crumbled into decay. What went wrong? How did it happen? And what does it mean for our future? Joining me to discuss these issues is Lewis Hyman, professor of economic history at Cornell University, and the author of TEP, a real story of what happened to your salary, benefits, and job security. So uh, I know the book was fascinating, and I learned a lot from it uh, about business theory, of which I know about zero. Uh, but I just want to begin with uh, the rhetoric that is used to reconfigure uh, this kind of stable corporate structure. They talk about leanness. They talk about flexibility. Um, but what fascinates me is what that rhetoric means for the elite uh, has no correlation with what happens to the worker. Uh, so the rhetoric that the worker would use, job insecurity, wage stagnation, a loss of benefits, disempowered, is com the discourse is completely uh, uh Opposed, you know, the, 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 and I just, just want to begin. I thought that was really interesting because they're speaking a kind of language, uh, that, uh, rhetorically doesn't address the reality of those who are affected most. That's right, Chris, and thanks for having me on the show today. It's about the way in which language overwrote reality in certain ways as people began to sell ideas. This idea of selling ideas seems almost antiquated today. It seems a necessary part of being in the world in 2021. But this is 
a novel idea in the middle of the 20th century that consultants and business gurus are selling new ways to think about things like work and business and the purpose of American capitalism. And so part of the story here is this shift in language that you're pointing out, the story of how it came to be that smallness is celebrated over bigness, that the corporation itself is reimagined. And as it's being reimagined, well, there goes the kinds of jobs that we think of as the goal of American, uh, the American economy. So before we go back to that, you make this point in the book. In fact, uh, the business elites were doing very, very well under this stable system uh, and were, in essence, sabotaging a system that worked. Uh, but talk about what the system looked like. You go back to the man in the gray flannel suit. Uh, but just let's lay out what what it was that we had. So we had something that was itself pretty new. When we talk about the corporation, we imagine it's always been thus, that it is uh, we talk about capitalism, we think it's always been the same. But actually, both of these change over time. The very first corporations in the East India Company had guns. Uh, thankfully, most corporations today don't have guns. But this corporation that's created in America in the 20th century is one that is bureaucratic. It is multidivisional. It is enormous. And this is not the case in the 19th century. And these new kinds of bureaucratic corporations were extremely successful. They were able to bring us things like electronics and jet travel and the very first computers and everything else that marks an amazing technological break with the 19th century. These corporations focused on stability above anything else. They limited their interaction with the market. They provided long-term stability to their workers. Uh, and in return, they could invest in their workers. They could expect their workers to be with them for a long time. And this was actually amazingly productive in terms of GDP growth. It was the moment when our GDP grew fastest in our history, the largest corporations never failed to make a profit. It was a time of extreme technological change, um, faster than today, I would argue, in many ways. And it was something that we are nostalgic for today. And yet, we threw it all away. We threw it all away in the name of finance, in the name of new ideas being sold to us by a bunch of consultants and business gurus around 1970. Yeah, I think people forget. I mean, for instance, my uncle, who was a uh, cryptographer in World War II, he was at Bletchley Park. They built the first supercomputer. He's immediately hired after the war by IBM. He stays there till the day he dies. Uh, there was a kind of loyalty between the worker. I don't think he was ever unionized. Uh, but uh, there was a kind of loyalty between the corporation and the worker, a kind of stability. I grew up outside of Schenectady. Everybody used to work for GE. Again, these were lifetime jobs, uh, which paid well, which provided security. Uh, and let's talk about some of the theorists, uh, McKinsey, you bring up, and others, uh, the guy who founded Manpower, I blank on his name, but let's talk about the theorists, uh, because before the tsunami came the theorists. 
So that's exactly right. And it's important to realize that these investments in workers were also good for business. I mean, I think that gets left out of this. It's not business is doing this at the kindness of their hearts. It actually makes for better business. But you're right. These business ideas are essential. And oftentimes when we talk about this, we talk about economists. We talk about the economists of the 1960s who came up with new ways to think about portfolios. And I'm not to say these are not interesting, important people, um, but if you read the business literature, the business press, you see how actual life is being managed. They're not talked about. So you occasionally hear a reference to Friedman, but mostly because he was a television personality. Who really, the people that really matter are people like Elmer Winter, uh, who is the founder of Manpower Incorporated. And in that role, he basically invented the temp industry, and he advised the largest corporations in America. Or you could think about Boston Consulting Group or McKinsey that were paid millions for their ideas about corporate reorganization. Or just look to corporate leaders themselves, like James Ling, who was the founder of Ling Temco Val. He grew that company from a small Dallas electrical contractor shop into one of the largest corporations in the world by using finance. And so there's new kinds of ideas and practices that are coming out of business, the business adjacent, um, that have very little to do with the universities, which, you know, when we think about the rise of neoliberalism or something along those lines, we often hear a lot about economists. Um, but I didn't see that in the actual archives. But the ideas that we see here are ones that focus on leanness, on smallness, about the dissolution of the bureaucracy, the very things that made American corporations so successful in the post-war. But also destroys economic stability. Uh, Ling over-leverages himself and, and goes bust, like Lehman Brothers. Uh, and so they're pitching, these, these uh, theorists, uh, that uh, you're right, the, the post-war institutions, big unions, big corporations, powerful regulators, that's a very important point, that insulated us from volatility and made possible the steady economic growth and broad equality of the post-war era were swept aside in the name of resurgent faith in the market. This transformation was not a conspiracy of a few, but a consensus of the many, and then a little later go on, the right way to view a corporation, this is what they're arguing, Economists and consultants told business leaders was to see a firm not as something that produced valuable goods and services, but as a way to make money. Managers began to hop from firm to firm, focusing less on climbing the ladder, i.e. investing for the long term, than on garnering, than on garnering the biggest bonuses. Even for founders, getting acquired rather than building a firm became the new goal. No one at the top was committed to the long haul, so why would they be committed to job security for anyone else? These market fundamentalists believed their own hype and turned their backs on the ideas and institutions that had made the post-war boom a reality. In essence, they destroyed the, the very thing they had created. Yeah, they turned their back on it. Um, there is a crisis of confidence in the corporation, when the conglomerates in the 60s, led by Ling, all collapsed for a series of complicated reasons, but basically over-leveraging. And then in doing so, they tossed out all the stability that they had. They had been hard-won after the Great Depression, that 
had been hard won after the 19th century with all its crises, its ups and downs and swings. And then the 1970s, instead of saying, how do we return to security uh, so that people feel safe, so they can be creative, so they can feel um, cared for, that we can build a better society. In fact, we doubled down on that insecurity in terms of market volatility. We devolved the risk to the worker, to the consumer, so that all of us now have to navigate a world that's very uncertain, um, as we now know in terms of all the volatility in the last few years. Again, you're reminding, reminding us of that. And so it doesn't lead to an economy that focuses on radical long-term transformation and growth. It leads us to the incrementalist next small thing, not the big thing, but the small thing that can make us a little more money. And so we see in the last, you know, in this period of time, the last 50 years, the flatlining of American earnings, the erosion of many different democratic institutions, um, but also the erosion of our corporations. The fact that GE is now collapsing, it can be traced right back to this moment. Well, well, we're going to take a break. So GE decided to become uh, switch from making things to, to go into financial services. So when we come back, we will continue our conversation about the declining prosperity in America with Cornell professor Lewis Hyman. Hold on, everybody. Uh, I. Okay. Were we there to question more? Welcome back on Contact. We continue our conversation about declining prosperity and the temp economy in America with Professor Lewis Hyman. So uh, I just have to ask you before we talk about the consequences, uh, whether there's this debate uh, between figures like David Harvey with his great book, A History of Neoliberalism, Brief History of Neoliberalism, political scientists such as Wendy Brown who uh, at uh, Berkeley, who was also written on the same subject, uh, she argues that figures like Hyman and others were just naive, uh, that they uh, didn't understand the consequences not only to the economy, but to the democratic institutions. They thought they were buttressing and strengthening. Harvey argues that the elites fully understood, uh, he is a Marxist, of course, and in Marxian terms, uh, this, the dominant ideology served the interests of the ruling elite. Where do you come down in that debate? Well, I don't think anybody fully understands the consequences of their actions. Um, you know, and, and, but I also think people aren't entirely naive. They know that they're going to make more money doing X rather than Y, at least in the short run. And certainly for the consultants that are selling ideas, they realize that if they sell, they say to a client, actually everything you're doing is great. Why change anything? There's nothing to sell. So it is something that incentivizes churn, both in markets but also in ideas, that we need to change something here. In terms of David Harvey, whose work I deeply admire, in a lot of ways my work, both this book and my previous works, uh, have been a reaction to David Harvey, who, like a, a, a solid Marxist, has a very structural sense of these transformations which seem almost inevitable. Uh, but I think there's a lot of hand-waving when you talk about the shift from 
as he does from a Fordist to a post-Fordist economy or to a neoliberal economy. These are people making choices. These are ideas that are spreading. And as a historian, you really have to focus on where do these ideas come from? Why do they spread? How do they spread? Um, how do they gain traction in the world? Why did they acquire a new validity? And so part of what I try to do in Tim is really trace those ideas and how it became perfectly reasonable to assume that big corporations with lots of resources were, in fact, sluggish, um, were not able to deliver a new technology or change, which is certainly some how we see the world today. So I think that this is this is an important debate that we're having about the 1970s, about the rise of finance, and it's embedded in the terms we use, whether we use neoliberal, which at its core is really about trade, movement of money and things, and from the classical liberal way of thinking about capitalism, or we think about finance, or as I call it, supply chain capitalism. You know, as we as we think about logistics and the rise of logistics. You know, there's a lot of different ways to think about this, but the debate we have about this is has to be about fundamentally the kind of business world we want to create and opportunities for workers and security for working people. Of course, it may be uh, having uh, worked for the New York Times and going to these New England boarding schools with the elite as a scholarship student uh, that they these uh, the leaders of these corporations may just not be as smart as David Harvey. Uh, they're often, uh, frankly, media, intellectual mediocrities who are, uh, you know, in John Ralston, Saul's term, systems managers. They know how to serve a system, uh, but they don't actually know how to critique it. Uh, I think you make a very important point uh, about electronics that I found very interesting. You're right. While Marshall McLuhan saw media as the key driver of the cultural speed up, electronics were actually speeding up the economy. Explain what you mean by that. Well, what's interesting with the electronics industry, and I take great points to explicate its history, is that we think of Detroit and the automotive industry as the model for post-war capitalism. But electronics, by the 1980s, is the largest industry in America. Now, we think of this, it's interesting how this weird amnesia that we have about software and hardware that we think it came with the smartphones, but of course, it's a much longer history. And in many ways, the history of Silicon Valley is a blueprint for our contemporary forms of capitalism, not just in the celebration of venture capital, um, but in the way in which people work. Because we see in Silicon Valley new fault lines of security. Who counts? Who doesn't count in our economy? It's a place where the unionization never really takes off. It employs hundreds of thousands of um, undocumented workers, of uh, migrant workers, of people that are not part of that post-war promise of stability, the white native-born men who are part of the unions. This is a new way of organizing industrial production. And even at the time it was happening, people kind of didn't treat it as if it was actually industry. They treated it tech. Tech has does a lot of cultural work of erasing the people who are putting those boards together, who are making the electronics, sometimes in their kitchens with their children, um, as I talk about in the book. And we see this today. So that every time, one of the things I said in the book was every time someone says robot, we should really imagine a woman, usually a woman of color, 
who's doing this kind of work because that is this imaginary transitional workforce, the kinds of people whose work is not appreciated and is thought of as something that eventually a robot will do. And this language of robots is central to legitimating the present-day inequality of Silicon Valley because of a portended future where robots will do all our work, the Jetsons future, legitimating a very a utopian future, legitimating a very dystopian present. Well, you actually liken it to a throwback to the early days of the Industrial Revolution in the 19th century around piecework. I want to ask around what you call the industrious revolution. You uh, talk about that in, uh, in terms of the industrial revolution, but you brought, make an analogy to where we are today. Explain that. So it's very important to understand that technology fundamentally is not disrupting our society. This just seems very counterintuitive for us today. But when you think about your own work, your own businesses, it's always that you have a problem and technology is being sold to you to solve that problem. It's not that the technology exists and makes that problem for you. And this is true historically as well. So before you could have a steam engine or a powered loom, you had to have people working inside a building together being managed. And the shift to being inside and being managed, this is what historians call the industrious revolution. And so today, the similar way of thinking about this is that Uber is not causing the precarity of work. Uber is taking advantage of the already precarious work that Americans do in the service economy, that employment and labor law and labor organizations have already failed the American worker, and Uber is there just to pick up the scraps. So their algorithm is not making that possible. Their algorithm is just taking advantage of a social transformation. And so if we flip this around by saying it's not technology that causes disruption, but disruption that allows for technology, we can think about, well, what are the alternate ways in which we can use technology to solve those social disruptions? And so today we are living through an industrious revolution again, where we see the emergence of this post-corporate work, and it's been accelerated by COVID. And we have an opportunity to think about how do we want to use technology to solve that problem? Do we want it to push us back into controlled circumstances where we have a boss we hate? Or do we want to use it to liberate us um, into a more self-reliant kind of economy? And so in the book, I, I lay out different ways, both conservative and liberal, um, to think about how we could fashion a more self-reliant economy. You talk about the economic consequences. You write, crisis after crisis began to strike at the heart of the hard-won corporate stability. The conglomerates fell. In their wake came recession and stagnation. Growth came to a halt, at least as it was experienced by regular people. Uncertainty, so long contained, it crept back. The jolt shocked many executives into awareness that recessions were once again possible, creating a skepticism of budgets and forecasts, reminding everyone that an understatement, uh, with an understatement that, as Winter wrote, uh, budgeting is not an exact science. 
what they what they've really done, and now of course we're watching what is it five percent inflation. What they really do, have done is not just made war on the working class and the economic stability and the system of growth, but the stability of the economy itself. Well, instead of focusing on science, focusing on new industries, focusing on, and in doing so, creating new opportunities for demand for workers, they focus on, you know, just incremental change that doesn't deliver the sweeping new possibilities that we've had, we had in the mid 20th century. Those new kinds of industries that were organized in a way that created good jobs. You know, it's not natural that industrial work creates good jobs. You know, until the 1940s, a factory was a good place to go if you wanted to be poor and maybe lose an arm. So we, we are nostalgic for today. We're not nostalgic for the work itself. No one wants to be on an assembly line, but we're nostalgic for that kind of security. So as we imagine ourselves into the 21st century, we need to recognize that nothing is inevitable. The technology doesn't determine our social relationships, that we have technology creates opportunities for us to solve our social problems. Um, and I think that's, for me, that's the important lesson of history. Great. Well, we shouldn't have nostalgia for the old CIO and the wobblies and maybe the Communist Party. Uh, that was Lewis Hyman, professor of economic history at Cornell University and the author of Tenth, The Real Story of What Happened to Your Salary, Benefits, and Job Security. Thank you so much. Okay. All right. Rama's got something for all of us now. This is um, Regina Meredith with um, Rohini Mordai who was born in Tehran, Iran, to observant Hindu parents, and she learned the yogic path, and uh, she talks about the Akashic Records, and this is, um, I mean, the Akash, we're, you know, getting a crash course in the Akash from Commander Cryon of Magnetic Service. <laughs> Through this lady? No, I'm just saying he always talks about the Akash. Yeah. And this lady's going to give her her version insights. of how she reads the Akashic Records, which are there for everyone to see. Okay, Rama's going to start it just in a moment. Here we go. Thank <laughs> you. 
parents were both born in Iran and became practicing Hindus. Now, what percentage of residents of Iran would be considered Hindu? And you said like zero, zero, zero point one. We lived there until 1989, and we were、okay. finally able to flee. My parents moved here with three hundred dollars in their pocket. My, I have to start masking and pretending I'm somebody I'm not to fit in. Did you speak English? Not very well. Not very well. I knew the word apple. Apple. That's. <laughs> The astrologer told us there's a chance that we would have another child, and that this child wouldn't be with us very long. My daughter Rishi was born, and we had one of the most difficult experiences with her birth. Or I have a really hard time saying things happen for a reason or anything like that because so much bad stuff that can happen, little by little. I was led to the words Akashic Records. They kind of shook me up. There's a big chance you're carrying trauma from a past life. That it's not even a part of your soul. It's something you picked up somewhere. Knowing that something like this exists and is real has changed my path in life so much. The realization of today's guest, Rohini Muradi, has lived her trials by fire before returning to her true self. Born in Tehran, Iran, as a practicing Hindu, her family was forced to flee under the Ayatollah. This is when her life began turning dark. But it's always the darkest just before dawn, and that's a big part of Rohini's story. Rohini, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's an honor. You've kind of you, you've been doing what you're doing for a while, but being with the media and, and on camera and everything is kind of new to you. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so、uh, I just want to welcome you and say thank you so much for trusting us with your story. It's a really interesting story, and I think in American culture, history is really、uh, not that、uh, prevalent、mm-hmm. uh, in terms of our. Academic understanding at large,、mm-hmm. and so I thought this is a wonderful opportunity to help expose people to an area of the world that had some very complex history that you were part of、mm-hmm. before we even go into your story. So first of all, your parents were both born in Iran and became practicing Hindus, but they had traveled to India.、Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that part of the story. Where、yeah. this journey begins. Thank you. Well,、um, both of my parents individually traveled to India and fell in love with the culture. And my dad、um, went as far as becoming a pujari for the only Hindu temple in Tehran. And pujari is like the equivalent of priest.、Mm-hmm. So he would run the temple, and my mom's、um, attraction to the Uh, culture and Hinduism in general led her to that temple, and they got married, and you know, lived in the temple together, and then we were born. <laughs> and their practices really were in alignment with the Hindu faith, right?、Yes. The yogic practices,、yes. which is not what we think of as yoginis in Lululemon. No. We think in America that's what yoga is, but let's talk about what yoga is in the deepest, truest sense. So yoga is a way of life, and it incorporates all aspects of the self. And the asana, so the poses, are just a very small part of it. But in reality,、um, I think the true core of what yoga is is getting to know our soul. On a deeper level and understanding our soul. So all these practices that we do on a daily ritual, like cleanliness or the way we cook or the poses or breath work or meditation, are all designed to bring us back to that inner light. And、mm-hmm. so you were raised with this. Yes. 
And can you tell us when you were a little girl how it influenced your life or what you practiced? Absolutely. So when I was a little girl, we lived in the temple. So we were the only family that lived there. We um, would have weekly, I guess, sermons, you would call it, but celebrations really where people would come and we would cook um, and feed everybody and, you know, do a meditation and a teaching. But the way our everyday life looked was you get up. You clean, you chant, you do breath work, you meditate, you do yoga, and then you give back to your community. So it was very common for us to cook huge pots of food and distribute them again uh, around and feed the homeless and things like that. So our everyday life was just tuning into ourselves and then giving to our surroundings. Very beautiful. It was so beautiful. <laughs> okay, so that did take a little turn there for a while. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about what happened because you, we were talking off camera, I said, no, what percentage of um, mm-hmm. residents of Iraq would be considered Hindu? And you said like zero 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 point one. Yeah. It was the only temple. The only temple. The only temple. So when the Ayatollah uh, deposed the Shah came to power, mm-hmm. what happened? Well. My dad and the whole temple in general like struggled a lot, and um, they wanted everyone to conform to the Muslim faith, and they were really against anyone who saw outside of that box, so obviously that temple was a big problem to them. And I remember as a little girl, we would have um, a lot of government officials like come and visit us and sit in on the teachings of my father and just observe what's really happening to see if we're telling people not to be Muslim or, or things mm-hmm. like that. And, um, he, he actually ended up going to jail a few times. What did they imprison him for? Just being an infidel, I suppose, yeah. being mm-hmm. an infidel. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so he was the, what was that experience like for the family? I mean, was he gone for a day or two or a little longer or? Well, we were really lucky in a sense because, uh, my mom's family, um, was connected to the government, so um, he was able to get out safely, which a lot of people didn't. Um, but they, yeah, so they get out for a little while and then they come get him again. Yeah. And so this went on until you realized you couldn't stay. Well, I believe that they were trying to leave most of the time we lived there. Okay. We lived there um, until 1989, and we okay. were finally able to flee. Ah, okay. And yeah. you were, how old were you by this time? I was eight years old. Eight years old. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so that you got safely out, mm-hmm. and you came to America. We did. Why did they choose America? You know, my dad went to college um, in Detroit and just loved everything America. He moved to Florida, like, at 18, and then to Detroit, but... Um, America was glorified in our household. <laughs> so it was just this land of opportunity where everyone can be themselves. And I think that's the main reason we came here. Okay. So when you came to America, first of all, where did you locate in America? We located to the Bay Area in Burlingame, California. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> South of San Francisco, my yeah. hometown. <laughs> yes. And so, okay, let's talk about what began happening there because this was not a life filled with prayer and service. No. You had arrived in America. Yeah. It's a right, uh, it, it, it's a life of individuality, mm-hmm. accomplishment, achievement, and competition. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what happened to all of you <laughs> from your dad's dream of what it would be like? <laughs> I giggle because the dreams were very big. Um, my parents moved here with their $300 in their pocket. My. So you can just 
imagine the the road that yeah. I would take you on. Uh, we lived in a one bedroom apartment, all five of us, and um, I loved it actually. I loved being with my parents and close to my family. But it was just going to school and getting to know the my surroundings that started this inner turmoil within me where I felt like I'm not good enough to be a part of the community where I have to start masking and um, pretending I'm somebody I'm not um, to fit in so that I don't get made fun of for the clothes I'm wearing or <laughs> well, no, what, did you speak English? I, not very well. Not very I well. knew the word apple. That's apple. That's, <laughs> that's limited vocabulary. Yes. Unless you're hungry for an apple. <laughs> so, so you didn't speak the language. Mm-hmm. You had no money for clothing. Mm-hmm. So you, it wasn't easy to fit in with the other. Not at all. For you. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's talk about what that did to you inside and where it took you when you entered your teenage years and what happened to you that led you on really took place. It was, Kind of dark and mirrored a bit of your dad's past. Yes, of course. Not for the same reason. <laughs> no, not at all. But what what that really did was diminish my true spirit in a way, where I, had, mm-hmm. I feel like I had to hide it for a really, really long time. Mm-hmm. And um, I made made up this persona that really wasn't me. I started partying and like doing all these things that I wasn't happy doing because. Really, when I was by myself, I would go to my room and meditate or practice a yoga oh, pose. Oh, really? Yeah, but when I was outside, I was like, yay! <laughs> yeah, let's party. Like me, please! <laughs> <laughs> so, and I feel like that ended yeah. up really killing my self-esteem for a really long time. So, in your teenage years, you were a party girl? Yeah, absolutely. Teenage years, all my mm-hmm. 20s. Yeah. Yeah, it was... <laughs> and, and at one point, you ended up in prison. I did. So well, I was in talk, jail. In jail, not yeah. prison, in jail. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> let's talk about that. It was very close to my 30th birthday, and my husband and I were on a camping trip with a few friends, mm-hmm. and we were drinking for most of the day, and um, we got an argument, and out of nowhere, really, mm-hmm. cops jumped out of the bushes. And I feel like, I know this sounds really funny, but there was a campsite near us that was really loud, and I think somebody called the cops on them. Yeah. But they heard us arguing, and they came, and they took me, and I was there overnight, and um, it was terrifying. It was a really big wake-up call, because after that, um, my father picked me up in the morning. He was just, instead of being disappointed, like, he was loving and, like, went through every step with me, but um, gave me a book, and... I decided to actually implement everything that was in that book. And what was the book? The book was um, Psycho Cybernetics by uh, Walter Maltz. Maxwell Maltz. Maxwell Maltz. Thank I know you. this because my father gave me that book when I was 18. It was the very first book I was ever given about personal empowerment. Yes. Yeah, Psycho Cybernetics. Yeah. It changed my life. Oh, it was an amazing book. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, very good. <laughs> oh, by the way, Mitch Horowitz, who I also interview, mm-hmm. he has the rights to republish that book and has just a kind of a beautiful limited edition of that oh. book that's hardbound now with, mm-hmm. um, I think, gold-gilded pages, gold-leaf pages and so forth. It's really, it was, I was so happy to see the resurrection of that book. Wow. Yeah. That's I just incredible. thought I'd share that with you in case you wanted to maybe for old times sake, pick up a, a new copy. Absolutely. Share it with people. It's still very valuable today. Absolutely. You know, I go through it every couple of years still. Oh, you do? Okay. I mean, just like a little rewiring. Yeah. <laughs> and, and for people that don't know about it, he was a plastic surgeon. Yeah. And what he realized is as he was operating on these clients, mm-hmm. that the clients oftentimes did not feel any better about themselves, even after they had their dream face 
or, you know, yeah. dream knows, dream whatever. Mm-hmm. And he realized there was something much deeper at play in belief systems. Yeah. So anyway, for anyone who hasn't read it, it's, it's very, very beautifully done it's and so relevant. Beautiful. So you read this and you started practicing. Okay. Let's talk about what happened after that. Well, I started really exploring that inner child of mine that I had abandoned at that point of moving away from everything I had known and learning how to love that person again. But during this journey, um, maybe a few months, maybe about a year after that, my husband and I got married and decided to bring uh, my daughter Pele into the world. And I feel that she was really an angel in my life, placed right in front of me to um, help me grow in that way. And I realized that if I want her to be self-confident, to love herself, to follow her dreams, I have to show her that I can do the same. Yes, you had to lead by example. Yeah. Okay, and then, as I understand it and remember, you had an astrological reading. I did, yes. And that indicated this would be a good time to expand the family. Absolutely, yeah. After a few years of just soaking Pele up in every way we could, um, I felt an itch to bring her to like the land of my upbringing and we couldn't take her to Iran. Um, my husband's American and getting a passport for an American yeah. is really difficult. And I explored it for a while, but um, I realized that I could take her to India, which was kind of like a second home to me growing up. Mm-hmm. So we traveled to India and my mom said, if you're going to India, make sure you go to Rishikesh and get an astrology reading so that was pretty much the main event of our trip. We, uh-huh. we made a, we, we made a big, um, sorry, we traveled all the way up, um, to Rishikesh and had an astrology reading with a medic astrologer. And the astrologer told us that, um, there's a chance that we would have another child. And if we did, this child wouldn't be with us very long. And if we did have another child, it would be, um, a girl. So, wow. Yeah, we, that's a very precise reading. It was very precise. And what did you think about that? You thought, okay, we, I feel the urge to do this, but what does it mean they're not going to be with us? I didn't um, understand it. And you didn't. No, okay. we cried all night after, um, because it hit a, a very special place and we really weren't planning on having any other kids. We were so happy with Pele, but this just really stirred something unnatural up in within both of us where we're like, I really do want another child, and my husband had the same feeling. You just ignored the part about that they wouldn't be with you long, or just didn't, I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't understand that. Okay. I okay. really didn't. Um, he kept saying the line, her line fades, but he didn't say, like, she's going to pass away or anything like that. It, it didn't, I didn't really understand it, to yeah. be honest with you. So... So you go ahead and decide, let's go ahead and do this thing yeah. to have another baby, mm-hmm. and let's talk about what happened there. Yeah, so we went, when I came back, I really got back into my spiritual side and was meditating again, and my daughter Rishi was born um, February 18th, 2018, and we had one of the most difficult experiences with her birth, um, maybe not the most, for me the most um, so once we got to the hospital, uh, my pain went from maybe a two to like a 20, way over 10, uh, rather quickly where the nurse was a little concerned, like, okay, this is not normal. Um, but just move around, sit around, let's see what happens. 
And um, it was so excruciating that I started asking for pain medication. Like, let's hold off. Let's see what happens. So I sat down on the bed um, and was trying to work through the pain. And I lost my breath. And my vitals and Rishi's vitals dropped way below um, a level that is comfortable for the hospital. So the nurse panicked. She didn't say anything. She's like, we have to go. My husband had to stay back. Um, she rushed me to the emergency C-section room. Mm-hmm. And um, everyone was just screaming around me like, we need to, we need this, we need that, like panicking. And then panicking me. And at the same time, like, I'm not breathing. Yeah. I'm not breathing. And um then at a certain point, um, I left my body and I was above my body watching myself, um, with the doctors and nurses yelling at me and telling me that I have to move from the bed I'm in to the other bed. They don't have enough people to move me. If I don't move, we're all good. like my daughter and I are going to die. They kept saying that. And I'm viewing myself from above my body at this point where I can't move myself, but it was a very strange feeling of being above myself, but instead of um, feeling fear or any negative thought like that, like I felt a lot of love mm-hmm. and more love than I've ever felt in my whole life. And um, the type of love that I felt was, can I guess best be described as interconnectedness. Like I mm-hmm. felt, so connected to every single person in that room and not in the room. And just, I knew I was going to be okay, no matter what happened. Mm-hmm. It was very calming. Mm-hmm. Um, so at a certain point, they moved my body to the other table and um, my oxygen mask isn't working. And they're just kind of <laughs> more hey, did anything else go wrong. I don't so okay so the then they they were able to get the baby out yeah they were able to get the baby out i came back in my body before mm-hmm. they got the baby okay. out because okay. i started breathing and mm-hmm. um yeah they got the baby out she didn't cry for uh maybe like a minute or so mm-hmm. everyone is panicked but i'm back in my body no one knows what just happened to me mm-hmm. and i'm feeling like so much bliss and mm-hmm. i'm so happy like i'm not worried i'm not scared and, um, yeah, I heard her cry eventually and I held her and it was, it felt like home. Right. Yeah. So this a blissful experience is feeling like home. She's alive. You were alive. Um, did she have, have any health impediments at that time when, or no. was she okay? She was healthy. She was very healthy. They checked everything and she was just perfect on every measure that mm-hmm. they tested. So. Then two months pass. Yeah. And what happened? Well, leading up to the two two months, um, she would lose her breath often when I was holding her and it stopped breathing. Just stopped breathing. Like the same thing that happened to me, mm-hmm. I watched happen to her probably well, maybe like two or three times. And it worried me. I had to like shake her, mm-hmm. kind of like really shake her to wake her up and, um, yeah, one night she went to bed and I had slept longer than I had in a long time and I immediately knew something was wrong and my husband 
rushed into my rooms like we she's not breathing. We need we need to call the doc, you know, we need to call nine one one. So we called. They immediately came. It was about maybe sixty seconds after we called that they came. But we watched them try to retrieve her there. They rushed her to the hospital. I went with her and my husband stayed back with our daughter Pele and I watched them work on her. Um and at this point like I'm pleading with the universe please I'll do anything like I'll give anything up you know like I'll do anything and something in me knew like she wasn't there because the look on the nurses faces and doctors faces and the measures they were taking um but yeah eventually um they told me that she's not coming back and at this point I fell to the ground and um, I, I remember this vision so clearly of seeing my shoes and my coat and falling and, but then watching the back of my head hit the ground and I'm still standing there. I'm like, I'm not in my body again. And I went up and I looked around again, like everyone's crying and people are trying to get me up, but I'm just on the ground. And I realized, Ooh, I'm in that connected feeling again, and that's probably where she's at. Yeah. So, um, yeah, somehow I got myself together. We went and said goodbye to her body and, you know, um, went home and tried to be normal. <laughs> yeah. But something happened in you that took yeah. you to a new level. This feeling of interconnectedness. Now, where did this take you on a spiritual level? And did you ever piece together that what the astrologer told you, did you ever piece whether it was a warning or was it something to simply inform you of a certain destiny? Um, I would go with destiny. Mm-hmm. It didn't seem like a warning. Mm-hmm. And I feel her impact was um, designed in a mm-hmm. way. Um, or I have a really hard time saying things happen for a reason or anything like that because mm-hmm. there's so much <laughs> bad stuff that can happen. But um, I feel that she came and had that impact to change the world somehow. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, and by changing you. And changed me, yeah. By changing you, and you can then help the world. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So she had a short mission. Yeah. And who knows where she is now? Yeah. <laughs> she's watching over us. Yeah. She's watching, and she may even be incarnate or maybe waiting for someone in your bloodline or something one day. Who knows yes. where she is, but she came for this one moment in time yeah. to help you yeah. and help both you and your husband mm-hmm. come to a new level. So this opened up a subject for you that you started diving into yeah. and the notion of looking into the records. Who are we? Where have we been? What are we about? What are we trying to define in ourselves at this time? And you were looking at through the lens of reading the Akashic Records. So let's talk about the leap from after her passing, Mm -hmm. her transition, Mm -hmm. um, to getting into Akashic Record reading and studies. Okay. (laughs) Um, So shortly after she passed away, um, this wonderful woman started having dreams about my family. And the reason I'm telling you this, too, is because for so long, I had hidden the spiritual part of myself and ignored it and just didn't want to have anything to do with it. I didn't want to be 
the odd one in the room who's yeah. talking about, <laughs> right. You know, it was, it was traumatic for me, um, when I was a child. So I'm like, I can't do that again. So I feel like this woman's a big part of it and, um, really opened up my perception once again and made me realize that there is so much that we don't consider or we don't op- let ourselves open up to, at least for me, that that was the case. Um, but so this person, is my husband's sister's husband's coworker. Okay. <laughs> and she works at a construction loosely company. Loosely related, yeah. Very loosely related. But about nine days after she passed, this woman started having really, really deep dreams about us. And um during that same time we were uh building an itinerary to go to back to India to Rishikesh to release her ashes into the Ganges. Um, Rishi's ashes into the Ganges and um, they didn't want to tell us about the first dream but once we were in India she had a very vivid dream about the exact place we were in in India which is a small town called Haridwar mm-hmm. and um, this person this um, not so well known um, angelic person uh in the Hindu tradition came in the dream where we didn't know about her either and was giving her messages to give to us and it just so happens that um and her name's uh Ananda Maima and Ooh. her um her temple and where her body lays is in the same town we were in. Mm-hmm. So this was fascinating. We're like there mm-hmm. there's a lot of serendipity here. So my heart started opening up a little I'm like okay I can take in this information, I guess, and maybe believe it. Um, but these dreams ended up giving us exact directions to go on this very spiritual journey while we were there. Did she ever end up telling you what the first dream was? Yeah, what I have was all it? the dreams. Um, the first dream was about Rishikesh and, oh, the first dream was, um, leaving her body and kind of like being in the neighborhood we live in San Francisco, mm-hmm. even though she didn't know where we lived, mm-hmm. but she mentioned like the, popular parts of that neighborhood and um going up zooming out on earth and seeing um like spirits wisps mm-hmm. flowing everywhere and how some of them would dim and some of them would brighten up and how um it, it was like a symbolism for souls leaving and coming back but the wisps kind of stayed mm-hmm. they just either dimmed or didn't interesting it was very interesting. yeah so where how did this lead you to studying the Akashic Records under Linda Howe? Well, I sat in meditation um, every day and asked for healing and to connect with the spirit of Anandamai Ma and Rishi. And eventually, um, little by little, I was led to the words Akashic Records, and I had never known of them before. Um, but upon first sight, they kind of shook me up and... I sensed such a familiarity um, that I knew I had to explore. I did ignore it for quite some time, though, because, again, I'm very reluctant about um, going down the rabbit hole of, like, the spiritual side of things, just sure. from my experience. Yeah, from ridicule and all that. Yeah. So you start going into the Akashic Records. You mm-hmm. start studying it. You start going into your home. Yeah. So let's talk about what happened there, what happened to your health, everything. Yeah, absolutely. When I first was able to access my own Akashic records, um, 
most of the guidance was how to heal myself and um, how to become a healthy person so I can receive bigger messages, really. So I ended up drinking more water and meditating more. One of the... um one of the lessons was that I have to take cold showers. So I started taking cold showers. I did everything that would come to me in the Akashic records. And at that point, um, I realized that what's happening is I'm preparing my body for something a little bigger than mm-hmm. I can comprehend. Mm-hmm. So and so let's talk about what you were preparing yourself for. And let's talk about the fact that other lifetimes of information started flowing into you. Yeah. So go ahead and tell us that now. Yeah. So one of the most interesting things that flowed through the Akashic records is that um, in a very past life of mine, I was one of the Rishis that were sitting in the Himalayan mountains and meditating. And my daughter, Rishi, was my friend. We meditated oh together and we were um connected in that way and uh we have gone through many lifetimes together and it's it's a very slow evolution to to bring this inner light back to people so it's i i don't even know how to explain it but it's um this profound feeling and mission in a way that I finally decided to accept. And um, I was conducting readings for others for a while and realized that the ripple effect of that is so small. So I eventually transitioned into teaching people how to open their own records because it's really about empowerment when it comes down to it. Mm-hmm. And so did you ever learn any more about Rishi and why And during this, did she tell you why she came for just that brief period of time? To no. Be with you? No, because um, it's a really, our soul is a really sacred place. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm very reluctant to go and search in somebody else's soul. Um, So I only really explored my own Mm -hmm. up until a certain point. And after some exploration, I realized that I don't need to keep bringing up these old wounds and like investigating them Mm -hmm. because it wasn't, it wasn't healthy Mm -hmm. Um, unless it's coming up in my life. I, I kind of leave it, let it be at this point. Um, but yeah, I didn't, I've never really dove in and explored her journey too much. So here you are, you six, you've accepted the mission. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, um, you've, you've come out of the closet mm-hmm. and you're now, you're now starting to accept the spiritual aspects of yourself and what you've come to earth to do at this time yeah. in this lifetime. Mm-hmm. And so, in facilitating people to read their own records, when you're looking at records, you're usually talking about past incarnations. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, it's interesting because that I've had heard that debate in modern society in America for so long. Why do you want to know anything about your past? You just need to focus on your present. Mm-hmm. You know, if you do your present right, the past doesn't matter, and on and on. Yeah. And so I've, I've had so many people debate this mm-hmm. point with me, mm-hmm. and, of course, I have my own perspective on it. And so let's have your perspective on the value of opening up to your own records and your own past lives. Absolutely. There's so much value in it. A lot of times we carry and loop around the trauma that's happened in a different lifetime that we've held on to unknowingly and it shows up in our current life and if something is bothering you if you keep running into the same type of situation with others or yourself there's a big chance you're carrying trauma from a past life so going and investigating that kind of unravels 
the tension around it and gives you the tools to know how to navigate and that and that you actually don't you don't have to carry that with you forever or that's not even a part of your soul. It's something you picked up somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a really important tool. I do always recommend though to not just go searching for anything. I because that just there's so much you can <laughs> unravel there. Right. You know. To be pointed when you go into your search to begin with that there's something specific yeah. that you'd like to be working on. So initially what did besides the life with Rishi Mm-hmm. Um, before, what else did you find out about your past that you were carrying forward by way of any programs or habits in this lifetime? One of the biggest things that I found that I was carrying with me, um, was I had a big vision about being, um, prosecuted as a witch, um, and burned. Mm-hmm. I, it was very vivid and, um, I feel my soul learned to hide its power so that it doesn't reveal itself too much. And so that people can't point fingers. I feel like in this lifetime, I kept putting myself in situations where that would happen to me to be ridiculed and to be made small and to have to hide. But once you unravel that and realize that, wow, that's not who I am. That's just something that happened. And I can move past that now. Mm -hmm. It's very freeing. Very freeing. (laughs) And I relate to that strongly. I remember many years ago, uh, a man that I was spending time with mm-hmm. at the time was trying to encourage me to speak more of my own knowledge and mm-hmm. truth, uh, which, you know, that that's good. That's <laughs> good. But I had that same sinking feeling all the time. And I remember one time I was in San Francisco looking down at this tiled floor and he said, why won't you just speak your own truth and begin sharing what you know? And I said, because it didn't go well last time. And it just, I just kind of blurted it out. And I realized the amount of fear that had been holding me back and to an extent still does from having met, you know, a dire outcome in, in previous times. And I've met many women in particular who were sages in the past that have this same feeling and some of them step forward, some of them are receded and some are somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. But this fear is very great because of course your life was at stake as a result of having knowledge in those times. Yeah. Yeah. So you've seen this in others too, then as you go through and help them discover their own past. So let's talk about how you do that. Okay. Just a little bit kind of functionally about how you do that with people. And then I'd like a couple of examples of where people have been able to find their freedom through understanding their past. Absolutely. So um you mean what happens during a reading? Yeah, what happens during a reading? Um the first thing we do is um, open up our energy centers and this is really vital and important because grounding before you do a reading, just connecting to the earth is important. So we connect, um, we open up our crown and then our hearts. And then I ask um, for access to their soul and I step into the vibrational frequency that they carry around and um, we explore. And usually what happens is um, do you, are, are you intuitively dialed into them so you can see what they're experiencing? Yeah. Yeah. And usually it's a lot of confirmation. You're like, yes, mm-hmm. this happens in my life. Mm-hmm. Yes. This mm-hmm. is where my path is leading to. Um, so we start with a lot of confirmations in the beginning so they know that this we're is serious mm-hmm. and we're together. Um, I then, um, 
after navigating myself, I asked them to bring up a question and we navigate together. Um, and sometimes things come up, sometimes they don't. And I feel like it's, um, it's designed that way in a way too, because when we're stepping into each other's soul, what we're, or into somebody else's soul, what we're doing is we're asking all the energies they've also interacted with to come help. And a lot of times some people aren't ready to hear some of the things that mm-hmm. may come up. Mm-hmm. So I'll be blocked sure. <laughs> from information. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But uh, let's see. What are some examples? One really good example. <gasps> all right. I have one good example. <laughs> Um, there is this woman that came to me very early on in my readings and, um, uh, I was practicing, let's see, I don't remember the exact question she asked me, but she asked me, um, to just like explore a past life of hers. I don't remember the specifics of that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one thing that happens when you read someone's records too, is like the information's not mine. So it doesn't stick with me sure. for very long. Yeah. And I feel the reading gave her, like, the courage to stand up to this person. Sweet and beautiful. But I think that's one one of the biggest things that's come out of it. And um, I haven't checked in with too many people to be honest. To find out where it went after. Yeah. Well, how do you teach them to do it for themselves? I teach them how to open up their energy centers. And the way accessing the Akashic Records works is through vibrational frequency and uh, matching our body up to that vibrational frequency, like kind of like phantom notes. Mm-hmm. So I teach them to open their um, energy centers and then raise their body's vibration to that of the Akasha. And this can be done through the throat chakra, the throat mm-hmm. energy center, um, through a prayer or like an access key of some sort. And it's very common to do that in the beginning when you're getting used to like what that frequency feels like. Mm-hmm. So we practice a lot doing opening up our centers and mm-hmm. connecting. Yeah. Them. I mean, and there are many different ways to get there. Yeah. You just have to find one that works for you. Absolutely. Right? Everyone's so different. So different. I mean, for me, I just, um, if there's something I want to know, I'm usually very targeted. If I ask, I go into a state, you know, into yeah. shift my frequencies and wait. Mm-hmm. The screen's black. Yeah. And if I'm to see something, then boom, it's all there in living color. Everything's shown at one time. Absolutely. And you get about one minute and then it's gone. Yeah. And that's it. It's you very fleeting. <laughs> it's very fleeting. You can't go back and say, wait, 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 I, I missed something. Show it to me again. Yeah. No, you have to be very observant in the yeah. moment. Mm-hmm. And again, like you say, to have vague questions like, oh, I just, um, not sure what, um, yeah. I just want to know about myself. That is not a good starting place. No, not at all. The intention's really important. Yeah. 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 So tell us just kind of in summary what you've seen this do to your life. Uh, Pele's a little, how old is Pele now? By She's way? nine years old. She's nine years old. Yeah. What you've brought into Pele's life and helped her understand what this has done for your own life, not just the people that uh, study your course. I, thank you for this question. Um, I feel that knowing that something like this exists and is real has obviously changed my path in life so much. But um, one of the things that it's done for me mostly is the realization of how connected we all are and how, in a way, we are all the same consciousness um, split up into, like, little bits and pieces. So it's given me a lot of um, understanding towards others, a lot of compassion, and also a lot of compassion towards myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I 
I'm not so hard on myself anymore. And I, I'm okay with letting myself make mistakes and run free and be the weird person that I am. And I feel that it's done the same for my daughter, Pele, too. And it actually helped her heal a lot after losing a little sister, knowing that there's something much greater than we're aware of mm-hmm. happening behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. What happened to her at that time, by the way? I didn't ask when she lost yeah. her sister. Well, I mean... She's confused. Or... Yeah, she's so sweet, but she was really sad, obviously. And um her trauma manifested in like a fear of fires. And she was very terrified for a long time that everything is going to burn in a fire um that's coming from the past <laughs> yeah definitely but um we went to a lot of therapy and yeah. we worked together a lot we talked about it anytime she wanted to and i feel like that really helped did you too. switch to an electric stove <laughs> <laughs> no but our house is very fire safe <laughs> Yeah. Well, thank you. I know that it's it's hard to come on a show, and when you're not used to being on uh, with all the lights and cameras on you and everything, I really appreciate your coming out and starting to share your story more publicly. And you decided to go for it. You named your site Magic Incline. You just owned it. I did. I did. (laughs) And so you do private sessions for people, but do you also do workshops and such? Or yeah, absolutely. I've actually transitioned from public sessions to just teaching people how to open their own records. And also becoming Akashic Records practitioners, just the ripple effect of that is more valuable to me right now. Than one-on-one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you for the good work that you do. Thank you. have you. lovely energies. And, and it's great that you had all those dreams and that the that you had everything so validated also by your Vedic astrologer and, and Rishikesh. Yeah. I mean, that, that's pretty incredible. You had access to that and got a glimpse of who you are. And, of course, in the Hindu faith, uh, as astrology is a huge part of it. Yeah. Oftentimes as an astrologer arriving at birth to tell the parents the destiny of their child. Yeah. You know, so this is really good. You followed it. Thank so, you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. You can go to magicinclined.com and learn much more about Rohini and Akashic Record Reading. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on Open Minds. <laughs> Okay, everybody, we're going to go and listen to a a bit of crying. We'll finish this meditation when we come back on the other side of our astrologer time. But we'll get started. Okay. Tell us what this is titled, Rama. Cryon. Oh, this is from 2021. Is that the one you found? Uh, yeah. It jumped out at me today. Oh. So maybe... Hmm. Um, well, I can do a little astrology here. Yeah, let me see here. I mean, we, we're, we're kind of cutting the time short anyway. A short one would be good if you find something. <clears throat> Otherwise, I can read a little bit of some astrology. Okay, so um, there's a crayon. 
Yeah, I played that. Okay. All right, everybody. This is uh, 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 Robin LaPlante. Mm -hmm. February awakens the faith keepers. Invoking the power of love is the theme of February. As you are anchored from within, grounded deep into Mother Earth, the chaos of the external world won't have the power to throw you off balance. As we move into the second month of 2022, the year of the white rose, self-nurturing, self-care, self-awareness, self-love, Continue to be the major influence to support a life of harmony, joy, health, and well-being. February offers us tremendous support in creating a new way of living and being as we take the opportunity <coughs> to focus on what we desire, what we desire to create. I wanted to share the celestial dance in the heavens, influencing us this month, and powerful rituals to bring love into our expression. <laughs> that sounds good to me, everybody. The whole month is focused on love. How many ways do we love each other, huh? Mm. I love the diversity of cultures and people. I choose to be universal in my faith <clears throat> and feel blessed to have had elders, shamans, holy men, and women from all over our beautiful planet share their wisdom and teachings with me. I always celebrate the first new moon in February. <clears throat> in celebration of the Chinese New Year. It is a time to honor the deities as well as ancestors. The Chinese New Year is frequently regarded as an occasion for families to gather, <laughs> gather for the annual reunion dinner. It is indeed a time to thoroughly clean house, oh boy, to sweep away any ill fortune. To prepare for incoming good luck. Another custom is the decoration of windows and doors with red paper images that display good fortune and happiness, wealth and longevity. Other activities include lighting firecrackers and giving money in Red paper envelopes. Red, red, red. Okay. Mm -hmm. According to the Chinese Zodiac, 2022 is the year of the Watcher Tiger. Yeah. Which will officially start February 1st, 2022. Four days ago. <laughs> in the new moon in Aquarius. The year of the Water Tiger will be a year of great change. I'm so ready, everybody. Well, how about you, everyone? Water amplifies the energy of flow and the ability 
<clears throat> to be receptive. This can only take place as one has an open and receptive heart. Yeah. Okay. Um, where did it go? <laughs> Um, whoops. Okay, so, um, uh, let's see, open and receptive heart. February and March will be opportune months to begin new projects and endeavors, as well as make career shifts and changes. A time to really listen to your heart and ask as you are in the right work or service that allows the gifts you have carried into this lifetime to shine. A time to examine your relationship with abundance and money. Perfect. Oh, all right. Money is symbolized with water. The water tiger, our sister Padme is a water tiger. Sure, we can learn from her on this topic. The water tiger brings in, brings invites and invites you to examine. Quote, what are your beliefs? Are your thoughts in alignment with abundance, consciousness? Or lack consciousness. In the energy of water, whatever you speak or think will flow to you. It is important to focus on gratitude for all that you have and re-examine your priorities. The pandemic brought into our global consciousness the awareness that we, as a global community, are out of balance with our concept of money and power. This is a year where we each choose to create a new reality. Cats are always considered to be representative of the divine feminine. And this is the year she invites you to step into your full power with the influence of the tiger. The primary meaning of the tiger spirit animal is willpower, personal strength, and courage to be all you were born to be. This continues the theme of empowering the divine feminine, which is the major influence of 2022. Wow. Here we go, some more. The wheel of the year begins to shift from a growing time to a harvest time. Oh, interesting. The first of three Celtic harvest festivals, the festival of bread and fruit, is a time as the sun god begins to weaken and the days begin to grow shorter. As the nights grow longer, this is a powerful night 
to be reminded. Oh, this is from the Southern Hemisphere. That's why it's, mm-hmm. wait a minute. So the llamas in the Southern Hemisphere, Lamas, is what's happening in the Southern Hemisphere. Okay, now we are on the right track. Yeah. And the days begin to grow shorter and the nights grow longer. This is a powerful night to be reminded that nothing in this universe is consistent and the lesser begins to give way to the greater. It's interesting because that's going on simultaneously with what's going on and the equator, equatorial zone is what makes that shift. Yet these two things at once are going on and nothing at all. Mm. Very, very cool to just look at that from that perspective. The goddess is honored in traditions and rituals for this night of prosperity, abundance, and good fortune are performed. It is a time of this, uh, is a time of change as active growth is slowing down and the darker days of winter and reflections are back, are beckoning. This is a night to celebrate in gratitude. A ritual of celebration and connection is posted for those who are members of our online subscriptions series. Okay. Imbalak, which we celebrated on the second here a couple of days ago, which is in the northern hemisphere at the same time as that southern hemisphere story is going on, is a time of renewal, rebirth, as the goddess springs forth from deep within the earth, where she has rested since Sawai. These are the first stirrings of spring as they bring the promise that the goddess is awakening. For the Druids, this is a celebration honoring Bridget, a triple goddess of healers, poets, writers, artists, painters, dancers, blacksmiths, and craftsmen. As the goddess of inspiration, she blesses those who bring beauty into the world. Through music, story, and visual expression by gifting inspiration on this night. This is a powerful time to create the foundation that will allow each of us to express our divine light out into the world. That's what that whole story was about that we were just listening to, everyone. Good synchronicity here. Um, so I have added sacred ritual for those who are members. So you can click at that point. You have to get these things up so mm-hmm. people can enjoy doing these things. Okay, so where are we now? Yesterday, February 3rd, Mercury went direct, just yesterday. The first Mercury retrograde of 2022 will turn direct on the 3rd, providing time to integrate the lessons brought into our awareness. This also creates a blissful window of forward motion, as there will be no planets or major asteroids in retrograde. Uh, not until April. 
28th, almost May 2022. This is a, sig- it's a significant because this is a year that all planets will go retrograde at various times throughout the year. Use this window wisely as February and March will provide opportune moments of begin, moments of beginning new endeavors, making a move, opening to a new adventure. It is indeed a time to break ground on a new way of being. We are still under the influence of the December solar eclipse through May. So be prepared as our self-created illusions, denials, and untruths will continue to manifest into our experience until we truly let go. There are three days as Mercury is in the station prior to going direct. This parallels the new moon energy of new beginnings. Everything seems to be in park before the planets that influences communication and decision-making will start its forward motion. I would encourage you to reflect on your own inner landscape. Take the time to write down the following questions and allow your heart to answer. Is this the life that I truly want to live? Am I living the best of me? Connect to your future self and ask, how can I be of greater service? A word of caution, your belief is is your belief. Everyone has their own belief and should be allowed to live and express it. As Mercury moves out of the retrograde journey, let go of the need to be perfect and waiting for the perfect moment. Find the courage to be a unique version of yourselves and take a leap of faith. We have entered a new era. A new journey is beginning as we enter uncharted territory. This is indeed the case, everyone. This hour now. We need to navigate a new world that is just beginning to birth into a new expression by listening to our hearts. We need to release black or white thinking, move toward an expansive way of being, allowing each person to have their own journey. As their behavior or lifestyle does not resonate with you, simply choose to not engage. It is their journey. Some humans truly love their old story and enjoy living it and telling it over and over. A wise elder once shared with me, as while reading your story, you don't like the chapter, then stop reading it mm-hmm. and write a new one. Yeah. Words and prayers are powerful agreements, and we need to see what kind we are using every day as we dialogue with ourselves. As we are using words of encouragement and kindness, or or are you using words of encouragement and kindness, or are you speaking words of criticism and self-doubt? 
All right. Well, we'll continue reading on this, and I'm sure that our visit with mm. the skies through our brother Richard and Tanya Gabrielle and Kay Pacha mm. will shed more light. Mm. Yet for the moment, we're going to take a little break, and we'll see you in a little while. So thank you, everyone, and um, namaste for the moment. Namaste. Pass the talking stick to you, Richard. Greetings. Greetings. Yeah. What an interesting week it was. I don't know about your place, but over here on the southeast side of the country of the U.S., we had an interesting week. The moon went into Pisces, and it rained for like 40 hours until Friday afternoon. (laughs) Now the moon's in Aries at 20 degrees, and it's... Still square to uh, Mars and Venus. Consider this. Take a look. We've been talking about this. Consider this. Mars is at 10 Capricorn and Venus is at 13 Capricorn. And they're moving together. And they rise in the east before anything else. By the time, let's see here, we have Mars and Venus. We have Venus having just recently went direct after being retrograde, is uh, moving at 17 minutes a day. Mars is moving 44 minutes a day, but it's much further away than Venus. So, Venus and Mars rise first in the morning, and then Mercury still conjunct Pluto, rise next, and then you get sunrise with Saturn. Saturn is 17 degrees, Saturn conjunct the sun yesterday. Very interesting, and that conjunction was at 17 Aquarius. So when we get to sunrise, Mars, Venus, Mercury, and Pluto are already in the eastern sky. There's, uh, let's see here, 18, there's 36 degrees of arc between the sun and Venus and 39 degrees between the Sun and Mars. So that's almost three hours. Mars is almost three hours ahead of the Sun. All right. So at sunrise, you got a concentrated Capricorn energy, and that, that, that energy is... Those forces and vibrations, you know, are coming down on the earth before sun up. Now, 
the distance between the sun and Uranus, which is on the other end of the arc, is uh, is 80 degrees. See, 12, 42, 72, 82 degrees between the sun and Uranus. And that is uh, about five hours of travel time. So when the sun gets to the, say, 2 o'clock in the afternoon position, every single planet is overhead in the sky. Because Mars sets before the sun and it's 39 degrees ahead of the sun. So Uranus rises about five hours after sunrise. So there's eight one, two, three, four, five. There's ten hours in that span between Mars rising and Uranus rising. So for roughly two hours in the afternoon before Mars sets in the west, all the energetic planets are beating their vibrations on one side of the planet. All right? Likewise, 10 hours after Mars sets, there's no planets in the overhead sky. Those influences are, you know, influencing the other side of the planet from wherever you are. So you've got a, you've got like an an on-off situation, or another way of looking at it is, in the nighttime, the influences are strictly through the zodiac signs from Gemini around to Sagittarius. And in the daytime, it's the opposite. We got all this energetic stuff coming down on us. So that's what's going on right now. No planets, no planets retrograde. That was a good little review. You read Tara just before we took our break. And yes, definitely use this period of time before the next planet goes retrograde. And I think it might be your planet. All right, let's go listen to Kapata and I'll talk to you in a bit. Okay. Here we go. Hola, this is Kaipacho with the weekly Paleo Report. I made it to Mancara, Peru. Oh my. 
little different beach here than uh, Tulum. Little, uh, well, let's see if we can get some of these big waves, man. There are some big waves here. This is uh, the astrology of uh, for the soul for today is February 1st. These usually uh, come out. I'm trying to get this up here by uh, Wednesday, tomorrow, February 2nd. But I start a workshop tonight, so I'm a day early. The moon is still in Aquarius. By the time you hear this, it will be in Pisces. And she's moving right along. She's going to conjunct Jupiter, sextile Venus, and Mars, and Uranus. Basically kind of be right at the, the midpoint, right? You know, uh, because Uranus is down there in Taurus, Venus and Mars up in Capricorn. Pisces is right in the middle. Yeah. And then on Thursday, finally... It's been a long three weeks of Mercury retrograde. If you have been trying to get anywhere or get anything done, <laughs> it stations direct on Thursday. Hallelujah. By Friday, you know that the moon uh, travels along in, uh, and will be going into Aries, but it's a big day. We can say that the sun has conjunct Saturn all week, but it is exact. Just think of this alignment of the Earth with the sun, and behind the sun, Saturn, right? Direct alignment on Friday. Mars will be sextile Jupiter, and the moon is going to be uh, coming up into into Aries to square that Mars in Capricorn, which is also conjunct Venus, let's not forget that. And then on uh, uh, Saturday, moon comes along and uh, conjoins together with Chiron, Sextiles the Sun-Saturn conjunction. Sunday, finally, we could say that this kind of goes on all week, too, that Mars, you know, is moving through Capricorn and squaring Chiron. That's why I'm doing this workshop right now on strengthening the warrior within. Mars in Capricorn squaring Chiron in Aries. I can be talking about that a little bit. And then uh, finally, on Monday, well, on Tuesday, actually, uh, Mars goes into a nice trine with Uranus. Yeah. And, uh, of course, by that time, the moon has moved into Taurus. And on Monday, we have a nice trine with the moon trining Mars and then Venus. And then she comes into a square with Saturn. So let me just find a nice place to sit here and look at the camera and tell you all about that. All right, everybody. I'm going to try to do this pretty fast so I don't get too sunburned. <laughs> Yikes. And once again, there is so much to say. There's so much going on. I just finished writing the Lunar Planner. I don't know if you've read that or not, but this is a big month. It's a big turning month, right? Venus, uh, you know, turned, uh, you know, to go uh, direct, and, and Mercury now is turning to go direct. So what, it's like, let's just think about December. December, go back to December, almost the whole month of December. Venus had come up to Pluto, right? And you know, stationed and said, whoa, these waters are a little too deep. 
This is like too freaking much. I got. I'm, I, I'm going back. <laughs> and, and, and Mercury came along. Okay, you know, Mercury came along, and in also, it was you know right around December that Mercury passed over Pluto. Dipped down into the underworld, came back up and said, "Oh, there's something more. I'm going back." And so now Mercury is stationing in the underworld, and then Mercury is going to move out of this underworld, and Venus, together with Mars, is coming back, right? And by March second, third, fourth, she is going to, you know, Mars and Venus are going to go down in the underworld. This is almost like to me. Uh, you know, Mercury throat chakra, Venus heart chakra, Mars solar plexus, sacral chakra. We, we were getting this initiation, and it's intense, and it's heavy, and it's deep, and we really want to just kind of understand what it's like. And Mercury is, I'm losing my mind, <laughs> and this retrograde Mercury is just like whoa, trying to. I mean, Mercury. Pluto can be obsessive compulsive, like I can't stop thinking about this. Yeah, it can also be confrontation with external authorities. Okay, somebody trying to manipulate and dominate. Okay, our thoughts and our thinking and control, mind control, the wetico, the propaganda, trying to, and and we need to like really summon up. And this is the this is the other thing. We can't Mercury alone. The monkey mind, the left brain, is not going to solve our problems. We need to engage this heart, Venus, and this will, Mars, into action. So it's like knowledge. Along with experience, gives us wisdom. Knowledge without experience can be delusions and illusions and academia that is just like you know、uh, unapplicable, doesn't make any sense, doesn't work. So what we're dealing with here is, like I say in you know in the mantra today, this is a stripping away of our old conditioning. Our old thought patterns, what we were taught in school, and especially what mom and dad taught us.、Mm-hmm. Our attitudes about life, about ourselves, about whether we are winners or losers or successes or failures—these have their roots down in memory. This Capricorn Cancer axis, and of course the Sun conjunct Saturn. These are the two indicators of father consequences, karma, external authorities, and it's a restructuring. It's a liberating ourselves from these old, outworn, no longer useful patterns. And do they just get washed away in the waves? No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, I was also just gonna. Use Humpty Dumpty for today's mantra. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men could not put Humpty back together again. You know, it's and, and they they show Humpty Dumpty as like an egg, like an egghead, 
you egghead. <laughs> and when our, you know, when our realities fall apart, what we, you know, what we thought was true or real or who we thought we were or our plans, you know, where we thought we were going or, you know, what we would achieve over these last couple years and, and, and looking ahead where, you know, our goals and everything. And it all just comes crashing down. And we, it cannot be put back together again. We are no longer the same after an initiation. We are no longer the same as we grow up. We're no longer kids. We're no longer dreaming. We're no longer naive. Uh, you know, we're no longer taking things for granted or having these high, you know, expectations of life and ourselves. Uh, 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 uh. And so, thank God, Venus and Mars, the heart and the will are coming. Boom, 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 boom. And then the other image that I got for like this Venus <laughs> is like, a, you're, I mean, I'm not really one for horror movies, but just think of the old horror movies where, you know, uh, you know, the, the young girl is in the house and, and it is stormy and there's a monster out in the forest. Pluto is like the forest, the deep, dark forest. Okay. You know, that's very primal and it's dark and there's hidden secrets and mysteries and monsters and, you know, and, and it's storming and there's a, there's a werewolf or there's a monster out in the woods. Okay, but, you know, she ventures out of her house. The house is the ego. The house is the known familiar structure, you know, security. Ventures out into the woods because there's something there for her. There's something that she's going to find, something that's going to empower her. Uh-oh, my wind blown. My bag laying on the rock is falling away. <laughs> it's all falling away. Hope you can hear me. Well, she gets scared. She turns around and she has to go back into the house. You know, it's like Jack and Jill go up the hill. So Jill goes back in the house to get Jack. You know, I'm not going out. I don't want to face... Okay, my shadow. I don't want to face my darkness. I don't want to face my fears alone by myself. So we need to do our Venus, Mars, masculine, feminine, inner marriage work. We need to like really look, you know, at our deepest needs over this next month of February. And we will come to a new awakening. But it's only through Again, this release of the past, it's very fearful. And yet, it is also part of creating a new future. This sun conjunct Saturn is forming and structuring a new future vision. Super powerful. And it's amazing how, you know, it's in the sign of Aquarius, which is we are not alone. 
and and we are going through this together. I'm doing a workshop with a group of people, and it's very, very, it's it's really amazing. I got to read you the Sabian symbol for this. It's fantastic. It is, and it is so powerful for what's going on now out in the big bad world. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. A big businessman. Yeah, a big businessman at his desk. The ability to organize the many aspects of an enterprise involving a large group of human beings. And whether it is the truckers driving through Canada to Washington DC in the United States or to Brussels over there in Europe, you know, it's this organization of large groups of people. It's a movement. A great deal of what is glowingly written about the Aquarian Age is probably sheer glamour. The New Age should be one in which we learn to use the power generated by human togetherness and group interplay. That is to use it harmoniously for the welfare of the whole of which all individuals are parts humanity and the planet earth this has never been achieved and only very rarely attempted mankind today must make a thorough and irresistible attempt or be nearly destroyed except for a creative remnant of seed persons who would have to begin again from new foundations in the field of big business of huge war undertakings or major national efforts great results have been achieved but the motive and the quality of the human interrelationships involved were neither of permanent significance nor invested with a truly harmonic quality the character of the techniques used were totally unsatisfactory from a human point of view. You get this? It's like Aquarius teaches us it's the opposite of Leo, the king or the queen. Aquarius is nobody gets there first because we are all one. It's the quantum field. And nobody gets to the top. And if they get to the top, they have to turn around and serve, heal, raise the consciousness of others. So it's we're not here. We're, we're not on a solo planet. And the age of Aquarius is about really coming together collectively, not being uh, you know dominated by some totalitarian external you know government force, but. Each of us together working in harmony, and not only harmony with human beings, but with nature, the forces of nature approaching me rapidly. The tide is coming in, baby. <laughs> oh my god! So, yeah, you know, we need to like. You know, we can go back and forth with this Mercury monkey mind, okay, and, and, and really 
can't make up our minds. We go back and forth, Gemini, Libra, these air signs that are, maybe this, maybe that, you know, hanging out on the fence, you know, and, and, we, and when we're disconnected. But when we come down in Mars square Chiron, we need to heal this instinctive life, this gut, our will. We know not when you're out of touch with your feelings, you don't know, but your feelings know, your gut knows. So this is a time of dropping down, dropping in, getting off the fence. Saturn Sun says, decide, choose. You cannot make a wrong choice. Just choose. Choose with your gut. Trust your gut. This is healing in and of itself. Ow! Yeah! <laughs> so what is it, man? I'm stripping away old thoughts and beliefs that no longer make any sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, I'm bumping into a whole bunch of them, man. It, it doesn't, you know, this, it, it doesn't, it's not working. No. You know, when your thoughts or your attitudes or the choices you've made, they're not, you need to make a new choice. You need to make a, you need to go a different way. You need to let go of what you thought and change your mind. It's all right to change your mind. Nature changes her mind. The weather, the clouds come. The weather changes. It all moves on. As it's time to create a life I love and not be sitting on this fence. And not be sitting on this fence. That's not what I wrote. Yeah? Yeah? I'm stripping away old thoughts and beliefs that no longer make any sense as it's time to create a life I love and stop sitting on this fence. <laughs> Get off the fence, man. Namaste. Aloha. So much love. Ow! <laughs> Talking stick to you, Richard. Thank you, sir. Mm-hmm. That was a that was a pretty good summary of the current conditions. Yeah, I can't I can't I can't disagree with any of that. I mean, yeah, you know, Sun Saturn is very powerful combined influence. Um, you know, there's. Um, the personal planets are considered Moon, Mercury, Venus, and Mars. 
Jupiter and Saturn are the social directors. You know, Jupiter, Jupiter wants to dance and play and invent, you know, and just have a good old time. Saturn provides the necessary discipline. Because, you know, too much of a good thing goes chaotic. Right? Mm-hmm. So you got Jupiter, you know, Jupiter is the, um, the, in, the inside source of the possibility of chaos. And creates chaos with its connections to, uh, other, other planets, right? Whereas, you know, Saturn is the, uh, the, uh, the necessary disciplinarian. Right? So use your use your own. You know, make friends with Saturn in your chart. You know, wherever it happens to be. My problem is I got a first house Saturn, right? So I, I could I couldn't help but turn out reasonably disciplined. You know? And then there's other things that Saturn in the first house just wouldn't let me do because it's not appropriate to this incarnation, you know, like get very, very wealthy, you know. But it's just not not my incarnation this time. But uh, when 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 Saturn and Jupiter are close together, right? See this, this Jupiter and Pisces is collaborating at Neptune. Neptune and Pisces. You, know, you get to Neptune, Uranus, and Pluto. These are extra human forces, cosmic forces, or representative of the three aspects of the Godhead or divine source, you know, whatever label you like to put on God. So we got all that going on. And then, of course, you know, Uranus and Taurus, divine will, God's in charge. The best we can do is get aligned with God, God's will for us while we're here, you know. Should have been working on that for a long time, you know, wherever your natal Uranus happens to be. So that's another key one when you're trying to find your life path, you know, the right thing that you should be doing, you know. Oh, look to Uranus, you know. Yeah. That's that's pretty we got a whole half an hour left. How long is uh, Miss Tanya's uh, presentation today? Oh, she's 17 minutes. Oh, gee. Okay. Well, that'll give us that'll give us some time at the end. Let me see what I can come up for in the way of a discussion. All right. Okay. I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you in a little bit. Thank you. We'll. I think, yeah, I think what I'll do is I'll pick out a couple of things from our favorite astrologer, Dane. Right. From his, from his mandala, his astrological mandala. I'll, I'll pick out a couple of those to take a look at, see what's interesting, see what my intuition might tell me. All right, talk to you in a bit. Okay. okay. Thank you. 
Wealth Astrologist, welcome to Star Code. This is the astronomy forecast where we look at an upcoming event in the stars and numbers. In this case, it's the Leo full moon happening on February 16th. And what's so amazing is that on that very day, Venus and Mars will be joined together in a conjunction at 16 degrees. Ooh. And it's happening February 16th. So we have a triple 16 code and 16 is one of the big numbers of intuition. It basically confirms that unless you listen to your intuition, it's very difficult to navigate unexpected events or challenges or even dangers. So in a way, it's your your weather <laughs> report on what's going on. It's a warning system and it's an inspirational system. And 16 is all about that ability to listen. So this full moon in Leo, of course, governs the heart because Leo in astrology is connected to that part of our physical body. So there's going to be a lot of heart opening, open-hearted awareness and if you watched my Merlin video on the open-hearted path, this really was a preview, a preparation really for this Leo full moon. Now it happens on the 16th of February at 4.56 p.m. Universal Time in London, which is 11.56 a.m. New York Eastern Time and 8.56 a.m. Pacific Time in Los Angeles. And of course, you don't need to be a Leo to benefit from this forecast because you have Leo somewhere in your astrology birth chart. You have all signs, you have 12 houses, all planets. So somewhere in your chart, this full moon is taking place with the sun at 27 degrees Aquarius opposite the moon at 27 degrees in Leo. Now, Leo is ruled by the sun and Cancer is ruled by the moon. So when we have a Leo full moon, we have both light bodies activated. So Leo governs joy, entertainment, enthusiasm, childlike expression. It's considered the royal sign because of the lion also, the lion is the king of the jungle. And of course, it's ruled by a star, not a planet, the only sign to do so. So Leo really inspires from a platform, from a stage. It's about owning your destiny and expressing your destiny. So it's a very creative sign as well. It wants you to perform your purpose. So activate your purpose in a way that you really demonstrate your joy and enthusiasm and passion for why you're here. So the sun and moon are at 27 degrees, moon and Leo, sun and Aquarius, and the moon is forming a quincunx, 150 degrees to Pluto at 27 degrees in Capricorn. Now that degree number is going to be become very important as we move into February because the Pluto return for the U.S. is exactly on that degree, 27 degrees Capricorn. So this Leo full moon a few days before that return, which happens on February 20th, four days later, is activating everything regarding Pluto as well. And 27 degrees and Pluto are very connected because 27 degrees is really about Endings and a rebirth, letting go, purging, and Pluto governs purging 
empowerment through rebirth. So there will be a sense of letting go of something in your life and only you know what that is. It will be connected to how you feel, how your heart is synchronizing with either info or relationships or some kind of project you're working on or health. Something is needing to be recalibrated, let go, purged. And it doesn't just happen around the full moon. It literally can happen prior to the full moon and after the full moon. Because like I said, Pluto has been activated already and will continue to be activated. Now Aquarius, where the sun is, is all about freedom. So as we let go, we will be lightened up and then the ability to feel free, to have courage, to move forward, courage governing the heart. The word cur, cur in French means heart. So courage is, is being open hearted, just like the open hearted path. And it, it infuses you with a fearlessness so that the passion and enthusiasm have a free flow. So saying no to anything that is formally intimidating you, so manipulating you, programming you, right? Again, you're purging everything that is not allowing you to lighten up here. And so you want to say yes to where your intuition is number 16 for every 16th and that conjunction at 16 degrees with Venus and Mars, the divine feminine, sacred masculine, right? The left and right. All of that is about tuning into your inner compass. Your inner compass is your key to freedom. When you listen, you don't have to figure out what to do, right? Yes, you still need your mind for practical matters, but your intuition will always guide you first. To the solution. So when you're already in the flow, you're engaging with that, that incredible vitality, life itself. And the source of all life is creation, is to be creative and having fun in that process. And that is Leo. Leo is the creatively fun, passionate sign. So when you align with fun and you allow yourself to have that flow of creation, life gives you everything you need. Everything that you desire is actually going to appear. Now, Leo being the lion, the king of the jungle, reminds you that you're here for a specific reason. You have a way to take leadership in your life. And Leo is very generous. So when you attune to whatever that thing is, that mission is, you give, you give of yourself, you share, right? It is the royal sign and the highest vibration of royalty is to create the most bountiful life for everyone to partake in and to be there to settle disputes, to guide, but not to disempower, right? So it is all about empowerment, just like Pluto is about transformation, which leads to inner empowerment as opposed to disempowerment and power over others, which is the shadow side. 
So Leo gives, and giving is how you switch off self-centeredness. Giving is how you true giving from the heart, not giving in order to somehow wish that your karma was somehow balanced out. So ulterior motive giving. That's not what this is about. It's truly giving from the heart. And when you do that, you're not centered on self anymore. So self-centeredness goes out the window and you join unified consciousness, unity consciousness, love. You know, everything that is about gratitude and sharing. And so Leo loves to give. And it is a way to turn around from this very limited, egocentric, where there are many limitations and boundaries that are set up and there's not a sense of you being divine or feeling divine, right? Having the world as your oyster. That then gets switched off when you move into that joyful sense of giving. So Leo ignites that. Leo ignites the yearning within all of us to be generous and to trust in the goodness of life and to trust it so deeply that you express the goodness of life. So the trust itself ignites your passion to express the goodness that you feel when you're in that place. And you trust life itself, the universe itself, to take care of you. You don't doubt that, which means you're enabled to take risks, which is the Aquarius side of this full moon where the sun is. It's the risk-taking, the break breakthroughs, the freedom, the liberation. So you also trust that giving and gratitude are truly the only way to live, that loving is the key to life itself, that life is good. And life unfolds beautifully when you align with that message, when you align with that goodness. Now, your life is already unfolding every moment of the day, and giving will align you immediately with that unfolding of life. So when you are in gratitude, when you want to be of service, that alignment draws abundance and courage to you and gives you everything you need to move forward in that regard. So you magnetically draw goodness to you when you are aligned to the natural goodness of life. When you trust it, when you allow the flow to just bring you what it is that you are focused on. Remember, the frequency is the key here. And I've mentioned this in many other forecasts where you want to focus on a frequency as opposed to the outcome. The outcome is not known. It's the unknown. It's the great unknown. But the frequency is not. So we need to allow whatever is meant to unfold to unfold naturally, not to assume you know what the destination actually looks like. You can only feel your way into the frequency of what it is you're seeking. And the frequency can be anything. It can be awareness, joy, abundance, peace. Really, there's so many frequencies that you can attune to. And so when we are in that place of romancing life, having fun with life, generosity, celebration, fun, <laughs> enthusiasm, we we have a natural joie de vivre that 
propels us forward, right? We then are naturally in integrity. We are not manipulating. We are not protecting for the sake of not letting people in. It's just a liberation from stagnation, basically. And when your day is flowing like this and one thing moves to the next naturally and you're not pushing, you actually are allowing, you're allowing life to happen. And this is really the gift, right? And then when things happen out of the blue through the Aquarian energy, you're okay. And out of the blue is such a great term anyway, because our planet is blue. The water is blue. The sky is blue. When you look at a mountain range in the distance, it's, it often looks blue. It's a blue hue to it. So out of the blue experiences really open our heart. We, they allow our heart to navigate our life because our mind cannot figure out this, the, the plan, right? When something happens out of the blue, we've got to in, be very intuitive. And so the heart is your gateway. And because Leo governs the heart, there is a really big call to action now to feel your way into your day-to-day activities. Now, if there's a lot going on around you, it's very important to take that time to regenerate. So if you are an empath, you especially need time alone in order to just replenish and and stay in a place of peace so you're not pulled into the vortex, into the rabbit hole. So this is a wonderful time to just practice those important moments in your life to really listen. That's the number 16. 16 wants you to observe acutely so that you're not caught off guard, right? There's a difference between something happening out of the blue that you deal with and being caught off guard because you're not stable, right? Naturally in a very inner peace, um, naturally in a place where you feel that inner peace. So really it's about resonating to the beat of the rhythm of your heart, your heartbeat. Focus on that natural pulse, the heartbeat itself, the flow of life that has a natural pulse like the sine wave, and it steers you to the next moment naturally and the next moment and so on. And if you are then in resonance with your heart, and I'm calling 2022 the year of resonance. because This is one of those amazing moments during the year where we are learning to resonate. And keep in mind that we're in 2022 and we always have the ebb and flow. So when there's a heartbeat, there's two sounds. Da-dum, ba-dum. And so two represents that masculine feminine, the back and forth, the to and fro, the up and down. And so in February, the second month, we have that even more activated. And then we get into February 20th, which I will do a Star Code podcast on shortly, which is the Pluto return, and that adds another two into the equation. So two is really the key number of the whole year. And in February, it's very much activated. So when you align to this, natural pulse 
that is taking you from moment to moment as you breathe in and out, another two, right? Breathing in, breathing out. When you align with that, you are in resonance with your heart, and the heart is obviously connected to source, is in resonance with source. So that's one of the core messages of this full moon, and it's really a special one. 27 itself, 27 degrees for this full moon, is a number of unconditional love, which aligns with the heart, of course, as well. So have an incredible full moon and definitely go discover your own code, your own star code, which was born at the moment that you took your first breath. And that is, of course, your birthday, your birth time, your birthplace, and your birth certificate name also figures into your code. And I've created a free masterclass for you at starcodeclass.com where you can dive into your code and anybody else's code, understand them better, but certainly understand yourself better, what your destiny is, what your life purpose is, and so much more. Plus, there's a handout for you as well. So enjoy that free masterclass at starcodeclass.com. And I wish you a wonderful Leo full moon. Lots of love. That's the talking stick to you, Richard. Commander Richard. Mm-hmm. There you are. Yes, here I are. Okay. Oh yeah, this this is very interesting. So what I did was <laughs> first thing I did was I looked up the Sabian symbol for Chiron at ten Aries. And it says a teacher gives new symbolic forms to traditional images. Hmm. And the keynote here, revision of attitude at the beginning of a new cycle of experience. That that fits very well with this uh, entry into the Aquarian Pluto condition, right, which is going to happen in a, in a year or so. He says here, uh, this phase is the fifth of the second five-fold sequence, and in it we find expressed the capacity to restate the problem inherent in the first phase, i.e., the problem of focusing one's energy. Lives and cultural values which exclude far more than they include. The subsequent stages of development taken together 
have added considerably to this attitude. As a result, there arises in the consciousness a desire to reformulate at a new level much that had been taken for granted because it originally had been an evolutionary necessity. The very concrete emotion-arousing images of the past can now be reinterpreted as symbols with a wider scope of meaning. At this stage, a new dimension of consciousness is discovered. Hooray! Revealing higher possibilities of experience and mental development. Yay! This is a phase of abstraction and of emotional allegiance. Ten degrees Aries, connected with the beginning of new cycles. All right, then we jump over here, jump ahead to 11 degrees, you Taurus. See, Chiron and Uranus are 31 degrees apart right now. And since Uranus uh, moves slower, we're going to have an exact semi-sextile here. But 11 Taurus, where Uranus is sitting, very different from the previous symbol. This is a woman watering flowers in her garden. And this keynote is development of the powers of the mind on which ego consciousness is based. The psychomental nature of a human being takes form out of the fulfillment and transcendence of biological functions and drives, much as the bud appears as the sap rises and bursts forth into bloom. As the roots so the flowers is an old axiom. The consciousness attaches itself to this wondrous effervescence. It lavishes its attention upon it, its love. Alas, usually a possessive kind of love. This is my art. Thus, the ego develops. It may develop in a negative reason sinful way if a belated frost destroys the bugs. This sequence basically refers to the overall situation related to the development of the ego. And the key word here is cultivation. Yes, okay, where's my next bookmark? Way over here, I jumped way over here to the last part of 
Capricorn. Right? Got lots of made a make, making a big deal about Pluto conjunct Mercury or Mercury conjunct Pluto. Now Mercury right now is at twenty five. And Pluto's at twenty eight. So if we take a quick look at these four or five degrees here, with twenty five we get I'm just gonna go with the keynotes here. The use of cultural and artistic processes as a means to enhance personal comfort and appreciation. It is a it is a foundation for cultural understanding. And as such it can have a magical or sacred meaning, as in the case of prayer rugs. Now, 26 Capricorn is the ability to perceive the hidden and creative spirit of natural phenomena. The ability to see with the third eye the hidden and creative spirit of natural phenomena. We had a you know what? You know what? A hoar frost is H O A R. A hoar frost. A hoar frost is when you've got humid conditions and cold air comes in, and the, all the ice is in the treetops, mm. and the ground is. Dry. We had one of those uh, a week or ten days ago. Last cold snap, and and from a distance, I happened to go to town that afternoon. And even coming coming back at one o'clock in the afternoon, looking to the looking to the mountains, the tops of the trees are white and icy. And very beautiful with the sunshine shining down on all those ice crystals. And that's an unusual, an unusual thing. Now 27 Capricorn is the ascent of the individualized consciousness to the highest realizations reached by the spiritual leaders of its culture. We had we had other comments tonight related to the ascent of consciousness. We're all doing some of that. We've all been exposed to those techniques of raising one's awareness, becoming more aware of more varied situations around the planet. You've got to be tough. You've got to be tough to... To deal with all the crap going on here on the planet. Uh, okay, now in Aquarius, yes, we want to look at Sun conjunct Saturn at 17 Aquarius. A watchdog stands guard, protecting his master and his possessions. The keynote here is the development of the capacity 
to protect one's self and to safeguard one's individual rights under complex social pressures. Now, that doesn't address the conditions today on the planet, particularly in the interaction between the totalitarian, I'm the boss mindset, and we, the people, is, you know, that's like, that's, we're in full-scale battle here against excessive authoritarianism. That's, that's not to imply that order is not good or that chaos is good or anarchy is good. Or pick your favorite government, you know. The development of the capacity to protect oneself and safeguard one's individual rights under complex social pressures. What seems to be implied in this symbol, considering its position in the entire cycle, is that under present-day social conditions, the individual person needs protection against the ever-growing encroachments of society upon his theoretically recognized right to lead a private life free from public interference. Or how about free from government interference? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. See, in this light, the symbol stands in contrast to the preceding one, depicting the power of big big business and the totalitarian implications of large-scale organizations, oligarchies, at a deeper occult level of interpretation. It also reveals the need to protect oneself against astral, in quotes, astral intrusions, and perhaps, in quotes, black magic the more so as one ventures into supernormal states of consciousness. It is said that the adept trains certain subhuman entities or elementals to protect him. The Christian religion speaks of guardian angels in a related sense. The more creative the person, the greater his or her need for protection. And that's 17 degrees Aquarius, where the sun conjuncted Saturn yesterday. And with that, I wish each and every one of my audience members and regular listeners the best the week ahead. We are smart and getting smarter. We are knowledgeable and becoming more knowledgeable. And with the power of discernment, 
we will succeed. Mm -hmm. I bless you each one if I'm able to bless. And I bid you all a namaste and a wonderful week. Thank you, Richard, so much. Bye-bye for now. Aloha. <laughs> okay, everybody. We're going to get a phone number here, Rama, for our conference call. Oh. There's a sense of so much going on. Uh, seven two zero seven one six seven three zero one, and the pin code is three five three eight six three pound. Okay, so we'll see you there, everyone. Join us for good conversation with good people, and we'll be there for an hour, and then at the top of this next hour. We'll be right back here at BBS Radio Station 2, best radio in the universe of love. <laughs> See you there. Satnam, everybody. And then at the top of the next hour, again, right back here. Aloha. Namaste. Om Tara Tu Tara Tu Re Soha. Oh, my goodness. Okay. We're going to get into something here. It's called, tell everybody, Rama, New Earth Insights. Um, this is what Micah was talking about, uh, the convoy momentum and the energies for February. Questions and answers. It's about the convoy of truckers. Yeah. And it's not a small deal. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Just rescheduling. Just rescheduling is happening. And so every Thursday, we'll have, uh, we'll have, uh, New Earth Insights Live. And then tomorrow, we'll have New Earth TV Live. Those are the two, uh, live streams per week. Uh, another announcement, another exciting announcement here is this Saturday, I'm going to be starting the very first episode of the Healing Code Cards free course. Okay, So every Saturday for the next four weeks, there's going to be the Healing Code Cards free course. So we're going to look at the body deck for this Saturday. And the Saturday after that, we're going to look into the mind deck. Then the Saturday after that, we're going to look into the energy deck. And then the fourth week, we'll be looking at all three uh, decks together and just going over some overall review as well, too. So I'm looking forward to sharing the Healing Code Cards free course live stream. Okay, it will be a live here on YouTube. You guys can join in. So a lot of you guys are uh, Healing Code Card owners. So I would suggest checking this out. It's going to give a lot of clarity to those of you who are using the Healing Code Cards. So I'm looking forward to that again Saturday at 11 a.m. Pacific time. So anyways, why don't we go ahead and get started with some announcements. Beautiful, sacred geometrical clothing, apparel, and accessories imbued with spirit source energy to heal, rejuvenate, detoxify, and strengthen the body. Shop now at HealingCodeShop.com. The latest revelation in alternative healing has arrived. The Healing Code Cards, a spiritual technology unlike anything else. Through the power of sacred geometry imbued with pure source energy, physical ailments can become eliminated and detoxified from your body. 
36 cards specifically designed to work on the major areas of the body, encouraging natural recovery and increased vitality. Working with the cards are easy, and their healing results are profound. Download our collection of free sample cards so you can experience results for yourself. And don't forget to view our customer testimonials. Our printed Healing Code card deck is available now with shipping available worldwide. Visit our website at HealingCodeCards.com. And of course, Patreon is now live as well too. And like I said, my private sessions have now returned also. So I'm currently booked up to May, uh, May 1st for my uh, private sessions one-to-one. And private sessions one-to-one is also uh, 15 minutes and 30-minute sessions. So if you're interested in booking that, just go to NewYorkTeachings.com. If you guys do not want to wait for your own private session, you want to just join in with the group discussion. I had a wonderful group uh, conversation yesterday with the group session. It was really awesome. Got to know people. It was just like having a nice uh, group chat. It was a wonderful experience. So come and sign up with Patreon, right? So there's two levels. There is the silver plan where you have access to digital courses, where you have access to webinars, you have access to exclusive member content that's posted only on Patreon. And then there's the gold level where you have all of that as well. And then you have uh, access to every weekly group Q&A session. So again, check out Patreon. It's uh, patreon.com slash newearthteachings. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and get started today with New Earth Insights. And what are we going to be talking about today? Well, we're going to be talking a lot about the trucker convoy momentum. Okay, so I have two reports here, and then we're going to do a third report. And the third report is going to be the momentum of February. And I'm actually going to be doing that report live with you guys. So I actually already have a tarot spread here uh, ready to go. And so once I get into the third report, I'll be giving you guys a live discussion on the report of the momentum of energies for February. After that's done, then we'll take some questions through the live chat afterwards. All right, so let's go ahead and get started here firstly. So the trucker convoy momentum worldwide and its effects. So we're looking at not just the trucker convoy in Canada, which of course is we're the pioneers for that, but there's also other countries that are starting the trucker convoys as well too. So this is going to majorly grow. So I could already say for the month of February, we're going to see that majorly increase. We're going to see the people taking back their power. So the trucker convoy momentum worldwide and its effects. We have obviously gone through a great deal of turmoil and great depression and suffering through these restriction agendas that have lasted. Oops, sorry, I'm bumping arm button here. Uh, that have lasted. Oh my god, my phone's being a bugger right now. <laughs> Let's try that again. Suffering these restriction agendas that have lasted well over two years now. The good news is that we are now moving out of that old fold. The trucker convoy, not only in Canada but across the world with other countries that are also using the convoy movement are going to bring about a grand change on the planet Earth. This entire movement is going to guarantee the success of the defeat of the old cabal. However, the old cabal will do everything in their power to try and play tug of war. They still believe that they can try and fight this convoy momentum and try to regain their authority of control, although they're very confused and they do not know what to do. They think they can still uh, overcome it, but they're very confused right now. But this will not take place. There will be slander involved. They will try to bash these movements, believing that they are crooked and corrupt. 
uh, or believing that these are paid dark hat psyops. Okay, so I've had some people even email me and say, Brad, are we sure like the, the trucker convoys isn't like some George Soros uh, dark psyop going on? I said, no, no, that is not the case. It is the furthest from that. This, of course, is not the case. You can tell when something is dark hat pertaining to an agenda when, there's a, when there is a great deal of violence involved. This is what's happened in the past with Antifa and BLN in the past. They were a bunch of thugs burning things down, being very aggressive and violent. Okay, that's a dark uh, agenda. That's, that's a proxy army. Those are the proxies pertaining to the cabal and their agendas that have no interest of love, peace, and compassion whatsoever. They will not promote that. They will promote separation. They will promote discord. They will pr uh, promote violence. They will promote chaos. That's how you can tell that these things are not genuine. Because these, these people that are trying to create these proxy groups, they don't know how to love. It's just it's the way they are. They don't know how to come together. They don't know how to unify. Their job is to try to separate everything. So you can tell right away when you're looking at something like the Canada Truck Convoy, where everybody's loving and peaceful and uniting and everybody's feeding one another, and there's just a lot of love in the air and happiness all around. And then you could look at the past, like 2020, 2021, where we looked at Antifa and we looked at BLM. What were they like? They were really aggressive. They were vicious. They were violent. They were throwing uh, fire, uh, I guess, firecrackers or whatever you call it, throwing torches, burning things, being very aggressive, wanting to start violence, wanting to attack people. See, that's that's what they have to play with. You cannot have these dark agendas trying to be all peace and lovey because they're going to try and sabotage everything. Their very nature is to sabotage. They are the essence of the separate self. So that's why nothing in regards to the truck convoy is relating to anything pertaining to George Soros, if he's even alive. A lot of people think he's already gone, right? Or again, people like him that are paying off for these uh, dark hat uh, agendas. But that is definitely not what the trucker convoy is. So the trucker movement is the complete opposite of that. There is no violence at all, as everybody is peaceful and loving and compassionate towards each other. When you see this, this is an organic movement that is very genuine and sincere and stands up for action, justice, and healing, which is what all about, which is uh, what 2022 is all about. This whole movement is bringing millions of people together. Canada is the pioneer of this movement that is responsible for changing the entire landscape of this global agenda of corruption. It brings me great joy to say that, that my own home country is the pioneer of starting this gigantic, powerful movement that other countries are now starting to use as well, too. Good time to be a Canadian, <laughs> that's for sure. So, um, yeah, Canada is the pioneer of this movement that is responsible. Uh, it is going to be it is going to be through this movement that will lead the people of the world into brighter times. The people cannot be fooled by this by the ridiculous lies. I'm just going to hold my phone like this. <laughs> it's going to be easier. The people cannot be fooled by the ridiculous lies and manipulation of these restriction agendas anymore. Even those who have been vaccinated are now standing up and working alongside the trucker convoys and the people involved. It's great to see. This is ending the entire discrimination between the vaccinated and unvaccinated divisions. 
that will no longer be an issue in the times ahead. So we're going to end this whole charade of, oh, here's the vaccinated and here's the unvaccinated. Oh, you're not vaccinated. Oh, you're vaccinated, but now you're shedding and you're doing this, blah, blah, blah. And there's this endless fighting that these dark forces have wanted us to do. Yes, be at each other's throat, fight each other. Don't ever think about trying to unify. That was one of their attempts. They're also trying to use this vaccination agenda to separate people. So, yeah, people will divide. There will be the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated. They'll be pulling out their swords. They'll want to kill each other because they're they're completely divided. But we have something like this convoy, and that's like divine intervention. It comes in and said, no, does not matter if you got the poke. Does not matter if you have if you don't have the poke. You're human beings. You're coming together and you're unifying together. And this is something that dark forces did not see, and it threw them for a complete and total loop. So this is ending the entire discrimination between the vax and the unvax. There will no longer be an issue in the times ahead. The cabal has simply been that bully in the background, trying to egg on division between those who have been vaccinated and those who have not been. But their tactics are running dry, and their restrictions are now starting to shake loose. But they will still try hard to hold on to their restrictions for as long as they can until these people, until, until those people that are holding on to those restrictions are no longer in their position of authority. So we're seeing people of authority run away. Look what happened to Mr. Castro. Right? He ditched. I don't even think he's even around anymore. My feeling is that the, the Castro that you're seeing on the television is a double. Right? It's definitely not him at all. My feeling is that the real Castro has already been apprehended and he's probably already going through processing. Okay? What we're seeing on the, the boob tube right now are his doubles. Right? So maybe there's a double of him in Tofino, Canada. Maybe there's a double of him in Berlin. And now there's a double of him in Ottawa. Okay? These are all just doppelgangers. They are not the real him. The real him is pretty much, like I said, probably going through military tribunal right now. This very moment, uh, this very movement has shaken the entire infrastructure of the corrupt. They are absolutely scared to death. They are shaking in their boots right now. They don't know what to do. They're scared to death of this because they are waking up, uh, people are waking up and standing together and working together through peace and love and support and people, and they're trying to do everything they can to shake it. Let's break their peace. Let's try and break out their unity. Let's try and separate them. Let's try and let's get the let's get the media cameras on them and we'll see if any of them goes out of control. Oh my god, we'll exploit that. We'll put that on CNN, we'll put that on everywhere. But that's not happening, right? We actually see people who are actually patrolling the entire area and looking at people who are actually filming and saying, Who are you with? Right? So there's so much tight security at the same time at these convoy rallies. So there's a lot of responsibility here. This is great. This is why I say this is a very, very tightly woven movement. It's, it's great to see. We've learned from the mistakes of our past. The trucker convoy movements was originally a counterforce operation. It started behind the scenes with a great deal of negotiation and working together with other companies and employees who run these trucks. This is also working together with other branches as well, too, from uh, it could even be like, again, starting with the farmers as well, too, working together with uh, trades so they're basically just working behind the scenes to bring everything together. They're passing the ball to humanity and say, here you go. Here we are together. Run with this. Let's make it happen. Okay? So they're being very supported. There's even like military helicopters that are flying over. 
and you can even see the, the, the I won't say if it's military helicopters, but you see like black helicopters flying over. And at the bottom, you have, you have uh, F. Trudeau right at the bottom. <laughs> it's great. So we have so much support here. We have support from all walks of life, really. We're seeing people in trades coming together and supporting. We're seeing farmers coming together. We're eventually going to see people in businesses just closing, closing down their businesses temporarily and coming together as well, too. So we're seeing the entire world getting involved with this. This is awesome. So they're telling the people to take this ball and run with it. And you are supported all the way to do so. Counterforces do not just involve human beings, but they also involve off-worlders. And they also involve the unseen forces. There is such a, cha a charge behind this entire movement that even goes beyond our physical plane. And it is because of this that the trucker convoy movement is going to succeed spectacularly with what it is set out to do. Okay, This is pretty much guaranteed success, guys. I can pretty much guarantee you that. This will be guaranteed success, and this will be the falling of the corrupt. Because as we go into 2023, what I've gotten for that name for the year of 2023 is the year of reset. Okay, That's the reset year. So this is where I feel like we'll see the introduction of the new financial systems coming together. Just everything resetting. Government resetting, uh, organizations resetting, the branches of our natural human systems resetting. Everything going through reset. 2023 represents reset. There's 2022, year of action, justice, healing. New friendships will come together where people will help out each other, where will help, will help each other out. People are feeding one another, singing songs and celebrating and forming a greater unified bond. Like I just turn on the, the YouTube videos where I see this. Of course, I'm in the West Coast. <laughs> but there's even rallies happening here in Vancouver as well, too. People are getting together. I was just driving down the highway just a few days ago, and the entire highway was just packed with all these patriotic people honking their horns, saying the same thing, right? Freedom over fear or F. Trudeau <laughs> and all of that. So it's it's really great spirit. The entire world has come alive, right? Some people were just asking for hope. Like I said, I'm not really a deliverer of hope. I like to share the truth, but nonetheless, people are hopeful, with all these things that are happening right now. Other countries that follow suit with the trucker convoy movement will experience similar things regarding brotherhood and sisterhood, fellowship, compassion, and holding the line together. This is not only a line that is being held, this is a veil that cannot be broken by the corrupt. It is too large to try and sabotage or to try and break because we are getting the majority of the human race behind the trucker convoy movement. Again, guys, we've waited so many years for something like this to happen, and here it is right in front of your face right now. The very thing you said, let's get this let's get this going, let's get the corrupt out of here, let's see humanity stand up, let's see humanity unify. Here it is, right now, in front of your face. You're looking at it. How do you feel? <laughs> there you go. See? Your prayers get answered, your intentions get answered, and they turn into a manifestation like this. It's a wonderful thing to see. Heroes and saints have come together, and they're in the form of the common man, woman, and child. It's not just truckers who are leading this charge, but there are more of these heroes and saints behind them <clears throat> that are joining and holding the line together. People of all walks of life are indeed the saints and heroes and the knights in shining armor that are standing up against the corrupt, and humanity will prevail. This is guaranteed. So like I said, the, the, the knight in shining armor, guys, is us. It's ourselves. It's you and me, right? 
Where are the heroes? Where are the saints? Where are the knights in the shining armor? It's us. It always has been us. And this is only the beginning of even greater times to come. The people will ultimately decide what will go and what will stay when it comes to the systems, the leaders, and our governance involving the world. It is, as I said, spirit is given the keys of the kingdom back to the people of the earth. Not to old corrupt tenants, right? They were holding the keys for a certain amount of time because we needed to go through this dark age. We needed to go through all these shadows. We needed to see if everything that was not right so that we could put it right. The keys have been taken away from those old dark tenants and it's being put into the hands of every man, woman, and child that is pure in heart, that will work with compassion, and that is all about unity and cooperation. We are the new tenants of the earth. We are seeing that unfold right now. The convoy will be victorious. Old governments will be dissolved as we start to move into the spring, and as we continue to see this further unfold into the summer. It will take different forms, and we will see a beautiful time emerge as unification and healing come upon the planet. As I've said, this is the year of action, justice, and healing. We are seeing all three demonstrated right now. These are strategic plans. Like, we're just starting the year. This is just February. We're just getting the ball rolling of this year. we got so much more to look forward to. These are strategic plans created by the counter forces, both behind the scenes and now in front of the scenes, that will lead to the moving of the signposts and the rearranging of infrastructure that will complement the common person. This will lead into further financial restructuring, governmental restructuring, travel restructuring, technological restructuring, and much more. All of the branches of the tree will be affected in beneficial ways through the movement that we are creating right now. It is such a joyous time to be alive on the earth and witnessing this happen. This is unity and this is true humanity in its purest form. All right? So that's the first report related to that. <laughs> Great news, great information, wonderful. And like I said, this is all coming through spirit, and I'm just doing what I can to articulate it from what spirit is telling me. Like, humanity is a full go. We're blazing a trail here. And this trail blazing is going to enable us to no longer be fooled by the corrupt ever again. We can sniff them out, we know. And we know that if anything ever got bad, we just do this again. And if we had to do it again, it would be even greater in numbers. This is what's educating humanity. So there's still some people out there with the doom and gloom, thinking, oh, the trucker convoy is just a setup, it's just a ploy, it's just going to be false hope, it's false light, right? And it's not going to lead anywhere. Well, no offense, but those people are asleep. <laughs> Their ignorance is blinding them. That is not the case. That is not what I'm seeing whatsoever, okay? I'm glad someone like Janine is basically saying the same thing I am, because this is why her and I have done interviews together. Because we see the same kind of things. Right? So when you look at Tarot by Janine and see what Janine talks about, and because she's talked about this as well too with the convoys, I believe she's also talked about the February momentum, but I'm going to look into it as well too. We're seeing such an incredible time for humanity. We're seeing people just, you know, it's very cold in these coasts, right? They're going to like minus 15, minus 20 plus uh, Celsius weather out there. It's freezing cold and you have millions of people outside standing with the truckers and standing in solidarity and saying, nope, we're ending the restrictions now. And now we're seeing those COVID towers, we're seeing those COVID pillars starting to lose their weight and they're starting to collapse. 
This is why I say, most likely before the end of April, we will see the entire COVID agenda collapse mm-hmm. right before the end of April. I'd say that's a great majority for the for the world. There may still be tiny pockets, maybe after April, but again, I don't think those will stand too long either. They will fall apart. But the great majority of the world, we can see these COVID pillars falling apart before the end of April comes. So we got some exciting times ahead. Okay, so let's move on to report number two. So what is happening to the cabal behind the scenes while this trucker convoy movement is blossoming? What's happening to them? What about these dark forces? What are they going through right now with all of this trucker convoy movement taking place around the world that's now starting to happen all over the world? Well, here it is. The cabal is in complete and total shambles. They are lost, they are scattered, which is kind of appropriate because that's all they preach about is scattering and separation consciousness and being confused and being lost. This is not a harmonized path that they walk in the least. They are walking an inverted path, and it's the most grotesque and despicable and lowest frequency path you could ever walk. So, of course, they're going to be in shambles. They've tried to organize chaos, but it doesn't work. Once the people see what you're doing, you being the sneaky magician, they're able to see up your sleeve with all the magic tricks. They're not fooled by you anymore. And it does not matter what you say. None of them are going to believe you. It doesn't matter if you try to come up with the most convincing story you could ever come up with through your AI. <laughs> it's not going to work. People are just going to say, no, I'm not falling for your lies anymore. I don't believe a single word the government says. I don't see a sing- I don't believe a single word. Any politician says, I don't see, a, I don't believe a single word any leader, any elected leader by the machine has said. So they're done for. They are divided. They are completely in a panic. They are constantly being hunted down. The counter forces are sniffing them out, finding out where their installations are, to which many of them are still hiding, finding them and infiltrating these installations and detaining these corrupt members. Like I said, they do joint forces. You have human guardians off-world working together with the ground crew, right? So you have the off-world counterforces and the ground crew counterforces here of Earth. They work together in these joint forces. They sniff out these installations, and they go in, and they just apprehend all of those that are responsible. So let's see where are they. So they're being sniffed out. Uh, they're still hiding, finding them, and infiltrating these installations and detaining these corrupt members. Their numbers are dwindling, and the counter-forces are becoming even more intelligent and getting help from the off-worlders and the unseen forces to discover where why, where they are, so they can be apprehended and processed. So they're discovering where they are, so they can be apprehended and processed. They cannot get what they want. Okay? They will not be able to fully commit to this vaccination agenda in that sense. This is why a lot of cargo ships have just basically been halted in the middle of the ocean, because a lot of them have contained millions and millions and millions of vials of these vaccinations, right? And they're basically being apprehended and destroyed. So, like I said, there's some that have represented nanotechnology, and wherever there's any of that rogue AI on the planet, it's being hunted down. So they cannot get what they want. They are trying to flip through the pages of their agenda playbook. Like, what do I do? Okay, what do we do here? No, I tried that. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. It's like just trying to f- uh, flip through an encyclopedia, and they don't have the answer because they're run by AI. That's why. 
AI doesn't know how to think. All it does is use algorithms. It's more like artificial ignorance. <laughs> so they're going to their artificial ignorance playbook, and they can't find anything. And everything that they try to do backfires in their face. It's because unity, unity mm. of the planet is already being established. It's at the benchmark of that unity. Once that unity is established, you can never break it. That's the type of earth that we're going into, people. I mm. unified earth with unified human beings working together, like what we're seeing in Canada right now, with people in that sense going out and giving people food, feeding people, making sure everybody's warm. Everybody's being taken care of. Not a single person is being left behind. Now, can you imagine taking that scenario and wrapping it around the entire earth? The entire earth is now being wrapped around with this security blanket where everybody is lending a helping hand. Everybody's being fed. Everybody's being clothed. Everybody has shelter. Everybody has education. Everybody has access to simple technologies where they can live, where they can have power, where they can eat, where they can cook their food, where they have all of the basic needs. Can you imagine the entire world wrapped around that blanket? Well, guess what, guys? That's what's happening. That's where we're going. That's the new earth. There will not be any more poverty. There will not be any more war. There will not be any more fighting. There will not be any more disease. Disease is going to be cleared out. New technology is going to roll out to completely clear that out. Some things like Tesla technology, some things like Rife technology, some things like uh, Organ technology, all these different forms of technology, right? Certain types of med beds, not the SSP, but other types of med beds that can do surgeries, yes. But there's all kinds of rollouts that are happening. Like I said, when we go into the 2030s, we're seeing that new world come together. It is amazing. It's going to be incredible to see. So they try to create fear, but people do not buy into it anymore, right? The people that are still awake, and more and more people are awakening every day. The governments of this world have completely lost the trust of its people, right? I should say, yeah, the governments of this world, I should say the other way. The people have completely lost completely lost the trust of the governments. <laughs> it's a bit backwards. Yeah. So the people do not trust the governments anymore. They've lost the trust in them. No one trusts them anymore. And the numbers to which the common people once decided to obey, these common governments, is dwindling more and more every day. It is so much more joyous to see the trucker convoy movements moving forward and standing for to form an impenetrable wall of love and justice and action. And the cabal cannot stand this. They hate it. They hate that they cannot control people. They hate that their words are not getting through. So what do they do? They tuck their tail in between their legs and they bail. And they just make up an excuse. Oh, my son has COVID. Oh, wait, I got COVID. I got to bail. Yeah. That's the coward running away because they have no, they have no ammunition. They have no ammunition against the people anymore. <laughs> so it is, it is just a wonderful thing to see. The cabal are absolutely terrified. They are in a bind and they do not know the way out because they have no answers through their artificial ignorance playbooks about what they can do to build, to, to basically get themselves out of it, right? to get themselves out of this hole that they're putting themselves in. There are no more holes that they can slip under. There are no more strongholds that they can run to and hide. 
They are being smoked out like rats on the run. Each of them will be hunted down and detained and processed. Every single one of them. They are in such a state of confusion that they do not know what choice will try to liberate them. They don't. They can't. They're just looking through the books. What do I do? This can I do this? No. We're do, we're trying that. It doesn't work. Right? We're we're failing. We're falling apart. Ah, let's run. Let's run away. That's what their strategy is. They bail. They try to hide underground, but now their installations are being sniffed out. And this is again why there has been certain attacks upon these certain areas of the planet, right? Where we see that particular volcanic explosion that way. Guys, that was a mini nuclear device to destroy an installation occupied with the dark forces. Okay, so that's one example. Where if someone says somebody drop a nuke, we see that explosion from orbit on that island. But that was basically an underground installation there that they took out. That was basically a cabal stronghold. There are days of authority and manipulating people. Their days of manipulate. Of, uh, let me try again. Their days of authority and manipulating people and causing wars and committing heinous crimes is coming to an end. The justice of the counter forces is their worst enemy right now, and now they're seeing it much more apparent in front of the scenes through these convoys. The people have have now become their greatest threat, and they don't know how to get out of it. It's simply because they won't be able to. Each of them will be detained, and they will be going through the cycle of justice as it needs to be done. Their empire is dying. They really have hardly anything left. They're clinging to the mainstream media. They cling to the mainstream media. But now that is in the process of being dismantled and overhauled as well. Right? That's like one of their, their last weapons. And some people ask, well, Brad, will we actually be able to see what's happening with these people? Right now in the alternative streams, yes. But in the mainstream media, as long as they still control it, no. When the mainstream media is overhauled and taken over by the counter forces, very most likely, yes. You will see that there will be a lot of people that will be detained. There will be a lot of reports on that. But as long as they still hang their hats on the mainstream media, you won't see it on MSM. But in a sense, many of these these leaders and corrupt officials that have been behind these plans altogether in the alternative streams, yes, you will certainly see that. But definitely not in the MSM, not until it goes through overhaul. Their empire is dying. They really have hardly anything left. They cling to their mainstream media, but now that is in the process of being dismantled and overhauled. The divine energies of this planet is rounding up the corrupt so that they can no longer terrorize or have any forms of position of authority that would endanger anyone. Their days are coming to an end. People are coming together and unifying, and the hand of this justice is completely committed in taking down all of their infrastructure and rebuilding it into people-powered structures. We are being taken into new places and taken into a whole new world where we will see an, an earth unlike any other. And the cabal representing the corrupt will not be a part of that new earth. Before that new earth dawns, all of them will be placed out of the picture. Okay? So those are the two reports that I have just in regards to what's happening in front of the scenes with the trucker convoy, what's happening behind the scenes involving the cabal, and they are going down. They are just, they're plummeting by leaps and bounds here now. So it's great to see. They're not going to be in power for much longer. And I can pretty much say that for pretty much every country around the world. I say practically every country in the world now is starting to see these leaders going down. Right? And if there's not convoys like this in your country, then maybe you might want to talk to some of these groups. Talk to these online groups within your area. Talk to local groups in your area. 
organize, bring it together, right? Okay, so now for a live report, we're going to be looking into the momentum of energies for the month of February for the entire world, right? So I'm just going to bring the cards here together. Okay, so, so far we're seeing people taking their power back, okay? So we're seeing the magician representing the momentum of energies for February, okay? The magician is here, we're taking our power back, we're, we're seeing the power that we hold, we're starting to bring about this great movement, okay? This is representing the past, okay? It's the Ace of Swords, you can't really see it because the green screen here. But the Ace of Swords is here as well too, right? So it's kind of like a sword of justice, we're seeing... Truth prevail. We're seeing the people prevail. Okay, the environment right now. We're cutting through illusion. This is the moon. Okay, we're cutting through illusions right now. Illusions are being cut away. We're seeing exposures taking place. We're seeing the emperor without their clothes on. Right? So all of this is now being exposed. Leaders are showing their true colors. They show their distaste for these convoys. They're scared about it. They're trying to create manipulations about the entire situation, about the environment. No, these are these are evil people. They're terrorists and, and they're proxy armies and they're horrible and they're going to do horrible things. And they're basically just talking about themselves. They're not talking about the people, <laughs> right? So, yeah, the spa's waiting for them, you bet. So, present moment, let the good times roll, all right? We're on an exciting path here. This is the Ten of Pentacles, okay? So this is the present moment right now. Wonderful times ahead. People are coming together. Unity consciousness is prevailing. In front of the scenes, we are setting the right things. We're putting things right. We're moving into the right path. Things are coming together very, very well. So again, people are taking this very seriously, and they're working together behind the scenes. Unification, harmony, joy, people coming together, new friendships, new families coming together, everything being brought into such a, a beautiful aura of love, peace, and cooperation behind the scenes. And we're seeing this all over the world. We're not just talking about Canada here. Okay. This is all over the world. Okay, near future. What is this going to bring in the month of February? Abundance, victory, joy, happiness. Prolific uh, happiness, prolific joy. Incredible, magnificent unification in demonstration. Seeing wonderful things unfold here. Okay? We're being taken into a new place. We're being taken into a whole new way of living. We're seeing how united the people can be. Once they have a cause that so many people believe in, that they know they want to end these restrictions, and now we're seeing ourselves move into this new direction. It's a wonderful thing to see. Behind the scenes, okay, there's still going to be some of the facades of the most mainstream media. There's still going to be some facades of the government trying to slander people, trying to slander and say this is all, oh, this is, these people are horrible and this is a terrorist organization and they're not really up for true, true things. They're trying to ruin everybody, etc. This really just talks about the mainstream media in that way. So they are going to try and do slandering. They're going to try and slander this entire movement. They're going to try and slander the truckers. They're going to try and slander everybody. They're basically going to tell every single one of you guys. That's for supporting the trucker convoy. Well, you're all terrorists. You're all just you're all just deluded. You're deluding yourselves. You don't know what you want. You guys have to get poked. You got to get poked. You got to get jabbed. You don't know what you want, <laughs> right? And so they undermine you. They gaslight you. 
that's what they're going to be doing. That's what the mainstream media is just going to be rubbing our hands and say, okay, let's bury them, just bury them. People aren't listening. They're not listening. Say, nope, that's not true at all. I've been to the rallies. I know exactly what's going on, and it's nothing of what they say. And that will continue to spread. Right? The greatest weakness that the cabal has ever had has been underestimating the power of the people. That is their greatest weakness. That is their Achilles heel. It has always been underestimating us because they think we're just completely stupid. We just think, They just think we're completely pathetic sheeple who don't even know how to tie our shoes together and that we can, we can rule them. We can divide them. We can conquer them. We can control them. We can do all this stuff and we have the beloved mainstream media to do that. No one's paying attention to the mainstream media. It's a joke, right? It's no more different than watching the Days of Our Lives soap opera. It's a complete and total facade. Has no credibility left. So they're running out of their weapons. They're running out of ammunition. And this is where people prevail. So what are we going to see around the end of February? We're going to see the tower. Mm. We're going to see the entire infrastructure of the corrupt blow apart, fall apart. People are coming together. There's no way that hum- there's no way that humanity can lose this. Okay. People can't lose this battle. United we stand, divided we fall. Yeah. Well, what's divided in this case? The corrupt, the mainstream media, right? The leaders, the politicians, those who have completely tried to maintain a clamp mm-hmm. over these restriction agendas. They're going down. They're falling apart. So there's even bigger surprises in store here as we get into the end of the month. We're seeing the tower event. Okay, I've talked about this last month as well, too, about an upcoming tower event. Well, I feel like before the end of February, we may see that tower event unfolding. So again, I'm feeling like the first couple of weeks here really represents the idea of good love and happiness and joy, unification, people coming together. Then we're getting into the last part of the month, right? The last, uh, the last week of, uh, February here. Where again, we're seeing more slander of the MSN. But then something big happens, some sort of big collapse, something that throws the the old powers, so to speak, in for a loop, something that completely destructs them. So that would be very interesting to see all together. So really the whole idea here is just to continue to hold the line, right? So we're balancing things out. We're keeping things together. Hold the line. They're going to try and slander you guys, okay? Mainstream media right now is currently not on the side of humanity. They're on the sides of AI. And so we just have to keep the balance here. We have to look ahead. We have to see wonderful things. We know that the presence of what we're doing right now is changing the face of the game. So we want to be aware of that altogether. Okay? So the life lesson here is that we've been locked up. We've been restrained. We've been restricted for so long. It's time that we're taking this movement and it's starting to move us in the right direction. There's more times to come ahead where we're going to see a lot more of these, uh, I guess you could say, marker points, these milestones being met. We're meeting a first milestone right now. A trucker convoy is just the beginning. There's more to come in regards to unification of humanity. So we're really going to see that throughout the entire year of 2022. People standing up, taking action, Justice being delivered, and of course healing being delivered to the planet as well too.
And then as we get into 2023, that is the year of reset. So everything's going to begin its reset. So really where we see the massive changes taking place, the idea of these seeds becoming sprouts, these seeds starting to bud, and maybe even some of them starting to blossom, will be in 2023, the year of reset. So that is going to be very interesting as well, too. So this is going to be a very exciting year. Just keeping track of it, just going month to month. This is why I've only done like a first quarter report of 2022. I don't want to jump ahead of the gun. We just have to kind of see where the momentum is going. And I'm going to do a second quarter report uh, when I get into March and looking into the second quarter of 2022 and see what comes together with that. All right. So thank you, guys. Those are the reports for today's New Earth Insights for this week. So we're going to go now into some questions. So I'm going to go to the live chat. Hello, everybody. Great to see you all here. People from all over the world on the chat, love to see you guys. It's great that you're here. Glad you're tuning into the new schedule of New Earth Insights as well, too. All right. So let's go down the list here and let's see if we do have any questions. Yeah, there's a lot of questions about knowing that, you know, what about the common people that are attached to the boob tube? What if they're attached to the MSM and they realize that the MSM is not covering these stories and they're going to awaken from that saying, wait a minute, you know, I'm seeing on YouTube all these things about trucker, the trucker convoys. And look at all the people that are here. There's millions of people attending these events. Why isn't the media covering this? Okay, something's up. All right. Well, I'm not trusting the media anymore. Click. And that's what's happening. By them denying to show what's actually happening in Canada and what's continuing to happen in other countries that are supporting this trucker convoy movement, they're just losing more and more credibility. They're losing more and more viewers by the day. Before you know it, they might as well just be a backyard shed trying to grab a, a remote control tower to try and broadcast their feed because maybe they only have about 10 or 20 people watching. <laughs> so they're seeing their entire collapse taking place. They're becoming a backyard shed multi-broadcasting network where now their maximum amount of viewers are going to be about 20 people. Because everybody is getting so ri ridiculously tired of their outrageous and slanderous forms of reporting. It's not news. It's entertainment. It's falsehood. Okay, it's like looking at a soap opera. <clears throat> so Lee says, "What's your thoughts on the pushing up energy prices? The cabal trying to worry people last ditch attempt. It's all these things of trying to create a shortage, right? So that's again part of their plan. They're trying to create shortages. So they may try and spike up uh, prices with energy, prices with oil." Prices with food, they may try and bring things forward in scarcity. Okay, they're scarcity tactics. They're trying to get people to fall in line. Hey, if you keep doing this, you know you're you're going to have scarcity coming together. We're going to jack up prices and stuff like that until you disperse. Right. So these are again, yes, last ditch efforts. That's what they're doing. They're looking into their artificial ignorance playbooks and trying to do that scarcity tactics. Right. Shortages and high prices of oil and all of that. These are all scarcity tactics that they're doing. Absolutely. Let's go down the list a bit more. Mm. Yeah, Kristen says, still loads of people in UK believing in MSM still live in fear and still wearing masks even though it's been lifted. 
just give those people love. This is where our compassion needs to come in, right? We're seeing in the convoys that people are not worrying about that, right? People are standing in solidarity with their fellow men, women, and child. We have children at these events as well, too. They're not concerned about these things. What you can do is you just go into these rallies and you uh, work together and plan meditations. You plan prayer circles, okay? And many people are going to cooperate with you. If you're in your area here, uh, whether you're in Canada or U.S., or if there's another country that you're in where they're starting to bring about these convoys as well, too, or even if you just have your own group circles as well, too, just come together and just give compassion to these countries because the more that you're coating that blanket of love upon those people who are still afraid, they're going to stop doing it. Here in B.C., uh, last summer, we actually had... Uh, the restrictions temporarily dropped for seven weeks. And uh, seven weeks, people were allowed to go in stores without wearing masks. It was the idea that masks were optional. And there were still people that were very much afraid that still had to wear masks, but there were also people who were taking them off as well, too. So like I said, all those people need is compassion. They're afraid. They're afraid for their very lives. They think that they're going to get hurt. They think that their lives are going to be ending. This is why they're so afraid. This is why they do that. This is why we look at these things with compassion. So if the UK has a lot of people like that, then maybe it's time we started organizing prayer circles, meditation circles, to start giving love to those people, right? And sheltering them with that blanket. Like I said, the new earth is this brand new security blanket that's being wrapped around the entire planet. Maybe it's time we start doing that now. If we notice that people are afraid, let's put the word out. Guys, I'm going to do a prayer circle. Guys, I'm going to do a meditation circle. Guys, I'm going to do some drumming. Guys, I'm going to do some sacred dancing. I'm going to dedicate that dance, dedicate this work towards the people that are still afraid throughout the world and let them know that they are supported, that their fellow brothers and sisters all over the planet are supporting them every step of the way. There's no need to be afraid. We don't ridicule them. We don't look down on them like they're peons. Okay? We just look at them. We know that they're afraid. We want to go over and we want to give them a hug. Okay? If we can't do that physically, then we're energetically going to do that. We're going to give a lot of energetic hugs to the entire planet. Let's wrap that security blanket around the entire planet for the people that are afraid, that are ignorant, that don't know what to do. They're confused, right? They feel like they're wandering in the dark. Be that hand that helps them out of the darkness. Okay? It's very important. <clears throat> Okay, so just taking a moment here, guys. Emily asked a very good question here. Are there any messages from the animal kingdom for humanity at this time? Let's see. There's just a lot of love and support. The animals have always been very, very cooperative with humanity. They have been offering us love since the very first day that we've come upon this planet. They've welcomed us with open arms. This is why they're sharing the earth together with us. They've always been here. They've always shared this love. It's humanity themselves who has not yet seen it. It's when you go out into nature. It's when you start working with yourself. It's when you start raising that frequency bar of yourself. You realize how loving the earth and the animals and the vegetation plant and mineral kingdoms, the animal kingdoms, 
how loving they've always been. They have never given up on us. Right? They have always sent that love. That veil of love has always been around. It's always been wrapped around us. It's why we have these animal companions. It's why we go out and why we hear the birds chirping. They have never lost that faith in us. Right? We are just now starting to see it. We're now just starting to realize, oh, look how beautiful the animals are and look how much love they're sharing. They've always been doing that. Always. There's never a day where they've taken a day off and saying, oh, screw humanity. Heck with them. Let them handle things themselves. They've never been like that because they're without ego. They have always been here to support humanity. One of the things we have to understand, everybody, is that you as a human being are a child of God. As a child of God, you are given the authority by spirit to hold dominion over all things, which means all things serve humankind. They serve man, they serve woman. And it's for us to realize that. The ancient masters have told us this for thousands of years. Now people are starting to get it. I've talked about it. I don't really need to go back into that lecture. About Guys, do I recommend you continue to live outside? No. Where do we live? In here. We live from the inside. And that is where we truly see the great depth of everything that exists throughout this world and throughout this universe. And we see that it is truly filled with love. It's not filled with fear. When you truly tap into the heart of everything, there is only love. Love is all that's here. Fear is such a very small branch of a tree. right? But we have zoomed in to that small infected branch for so long. And we've ignored the rest of the goodness that is the tree. And so I've talked about this before. I'd say that the majority of everything that's happening on this planet is way more loving than that it is fearful. But we have just spent so much time zooming in to the small things of fear that we have made larger than Mount Everest. So when you realize that you're living from the inside, that you're living from the non-dual, that you're going inside the heart and you realize everything that's around you, there's love everywhere. Love with the animals, love with nature, love with your fellow man, woman and child, love with the earth, everything upon it. It is truly beautiful and loving. You have to take your time to see this. You have to move inside the heart to know this. That's the truth. Okay. Okay, here's one from uh, Toby. Toby says, question, any combined benefit for those who are a conduit to 5D intelligent energy to gather, connect, and transmit at the same time? Just transmit love, guys. Don't make this complicated. Don't complicate it. Don't worry about so much of the intellectual stuff where we talk about higher dimensional consciousness and 5D intelligence and 5D energy. That's nothing. That's nothing. Love goes beyond that. When you're looking at 5D, guys, all you're doing is you're looking at a stepladder of dimensions that exist within the mind. Okay? Remember what I've talked about relating to what the mind is. The mind is an intelligent design. It's an intelligent construct. But it is not intelligence itself. Intelligence is beyond mind. It is the creative forces. It is the unmanifest. That is the intelligent force to which we cannot ponder intellectually. That shines through the mind. And now the mind follows suit to corroborate and express itself 
through the intelligence that infinite intelligence is sharing with each of us. The mind by itself is nothing. Dimensions by itself are nothing. It needs intelligence. And so you are the intelligence. You are the intelligence that exists beyond mind. So you can work with all of the dimensions. I'm not talking about 3D, 4D, 5D, 6D. I'm talking about every single dimension that exists within this universe is at your beck and call for you to command because you have dominion over all things. That's what you have as intelligence. That's what you have as spirit. The mind is just a construct. It's just a body. It's the limbs. Just like we have our body here, well, this is the nature of the mind. Right through my commands, I can move my hands up and down. I can blink my eyes. I can move up and down my eyebrows because I'm commanding all these things to happen through the body. The mind is just another type of body. It's an intelligent construct. It's an intelligent design. And when you move into the essence of intelligence itself, you can now completely hold dominion over the entirety of the mind because you now are aware of your intelligence beyond the intelligent design. So this is not about 5D. It's not about 4D. Okay, those are just new age terms. Yes, there's other dimensions. Yes, there's other constructs. Yes, there's a physical plane. Yes, there's an astral plane. Yes, there's a causal plane. Yes, there's an etheric plane. Yes, there's an emotional plane. Yes, there's a mental plane. Right? There's all these different planes all together. But when you look at the, the onion itself, rather than its layers, you'll see the whole of the onion. So this is what I'm sharing with you guys, is see the whole of creation. And realize that creation itself is everything that represents the manifest. It's everything that represents form. It's everything that represents familiarity and relationship. But there is even that which is beyond. And that beyond is intelligence. And that's what I'm teaching you guys to tap into. I'm not teaching you guys to go into 5D or 6D or 7D or any of that stuff. You can go there naturally. Once you know your intelligence, once you know that you are spirit, mm -hmm. once you know that you are God, once you know that you are the source, everything's available to you. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm able to share these things with you, because I'm working in that way, living from the inside. Let's go beyond the 5D stuff. Okay, Come into love. Love is beyond dimensions. Love is beyond mind. That's what you're saturating upon the entire world. That's what you're helping people to understand. That's what you're transmitting as a conduit of the divine, which is the divine instrument to which intelligence is piloting the vessel. Okay? Thank you for your question. Dominion can mean whatever you want it to mean, Gerald. It can mean stewardship, dominion in the idea of saying that Basically, what, what man is, man represents God incarnate. That's the nature of man. So you can work together in stewardship. You can work together in guidance. You can work together in the idea of having the entire universe obey every single one of your commands, seeing yourself as king and queen of creation because you are the instrument for God. So it is not to limit yourself in regards to the many terms that represent the idea of dominion. No, dominion is not saying that I'm conquering over somebody or I see somebody as a peon. It's not that. It's that the vessel of humanity has been completely orchestrated and designed to, ho to host God within more than any other instrument in creation. 
That's who we are. That's our nature. That's why humanity is able to do the broad things that it's able to do. Have you guys ever seen an animal build an airplane? Have you ever seen an insect build a house like the way we build houses? Have you ever seen any particular form of animal building power grids and working with advanced healing technologies like we can? No. They can't do that. They have their own certain bandwidths in regards to what they are capable of doing. When you look at the human being, we have an entire rainbow contrast of what we are capable of doing. We don't know ourselves, and that's the problem. When you know yourself, you realize that you can command this entire universe. I'm not saying that facetiously here, sarcastically here. I'm saying that very literally. One who understands who they truly are because they know that God is within them can completely command everything within the universe. And they are able to even create life. That's how powerful we are. We don't see that now. Oh, come on, humanity's too stupid. We're just in the boob tube and we're eating popcorn. We're getting fat. We're eating McDonald's and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and that's true. We certainly are doing that. But we are capable of so much more. And in the eras to come, humanity will start to see that. Right? You'll have many generations in the eras ahead looking back at this time. And saying, oh, this is the primitive time of humanity. This is where humanity was still not even knowing their own power. They were still very ignorant. They just saw themselves as physical bodies and nothing else. Boy, what a difficult time they must have had. And now here we are, able to go to any particular point in the universe just through the power of a thought. I can go from one side of the galaxy all the way to another galaxy on the other side of the universe like that. Just with a thought. Because I hold dominion over all things. I hold command over all things. Because this is what spirit has granted me. And we are capable of doing that. Yogis and sages have demonstrated this. Of what they are able to do. Manifesting things out of thin air. Levitating, flying in the air. Shrinking themselves down to the microcosmic level. Expanding themselves up to the macrocosmic level. Being here and now being there at the same time. Teleportation, materialization. The ancient masters were able to do this. What's to make us think that we can't? We have to start living in the inside. That's the first step. Right? We guys, we truly underestimate ourselves and what we're capable of. But in the times ahead, that will be more well known. Okay. <clears throat> Yeah, here's a good question here from Party Biscuit. Uh, Party Biscuit says, are the behaviors of the corrupt elite we see today due to the shift in frequency humanity is currently experiencing? Absolutely. Yes. Everything is adjusting itself accordingly, right? So when you're looking at the idea of two halves, those two halves are evolving together. Okay. So this is why the dark forces have been able to keep up with us for so long because they've tried to, to go into their deeper plans, their deeper extremes. But there will come a point where they will not go beyond. And they're at, they're at that point right now. So we're at a point now in the state of human evolution where corruption is no longer going to be a thing that's acceptable anymore. It's now going to start being thrown away. That's what we're going to see in this decade. Okay? So that the behavior of the corrupt elite right now is in a state of panic. They're not in a state of thinking, oh, we got this. We're okay. No, they're not. They're frantic. And like I said, they're, they're just spreading away they're running away like rats so 
we're seeing the idea of the cutting away of the corrupt. It's no longer their time. They've been able to rule up to a certain point. It's been very, very recent that now we're just putting the hammer down and saying, no, they cannot be part of this new world. They cannot be part of this because we are clearing away that corrupt and we're going to not leave, we're not going to leave any stone unturned. Every stone is going to be turned and the corrupt are going to be removed from this planet altogether because that's the divine will. It's not up to you guys. It's up to the divine will. This is again the natural cycles. This is why I say you watch the signposts. You can't control the signposts. You can't control the cycles. Things have to happen the way they do because that is how the divine has orchestrated it. How we react to these things is entirely up to us. But the things that come in regards to the flow of events is up to the divine. That's the nature of it. Okay? Lee asks again, will there be an EBS this year? No. I was looking into this recently. I have not seen anything in regards to an emergency broadcast system. Now, it's not to say that's not off the table, but it certainly is a last resort. And I haven't seen anything in regards to an emergency broadcast system happening. Okay? So for Canada, for the U.S., definitely not. For the U.K., definitely not. Uh, if it's other for other small countries, maybe. <laughs> but for much of the Western world, no. I haven't seen anything in regards to, uh, in, in the cars or through spirit, about an EBS. It's certainly in the background. It's on the back burner if it's needed. But I do not feel it's needed. This convoy is going to be all we really need to turn everything around. So we're already succeeding right now. Okay, Clark asks, will there be a trucker convoy to D.C.? Well, why don't we look into that? Why don't we look into the cards? And we'll look into a possible convoy for D.C., to the United States. Okay. So will there be a possible trucker's convoy movement for the state of D.C. in the U.S.? Let's take a look. right away, but it's to come. Yep, there is absolutely a trucker convoy to come. It's not going to be in the present moment. Of course, it's not going to be presently. Right now, in the present moment, there's just a lot of this. Okay, so There's a lot of weight being carried upon the people of the United States, and they're still working to uh, get plans together to moving a convoy forward. So yes, I feel very strongly that there will most certainly be a convoy coming together for D.C., Okay. And I think it will also be coming together for many other states as well, too. Okay, So we may start to see a lot of convoys coming from the western U.S. all the way to D.C. So it feels like that's happening. So there are plans in the works right now of the U.S. occupying D.C. in regards to that. Of course, we're seeing the White House now just being dismantled like crazy. Okay, So that depends if there's still a White House standing. Because <laughs> like I said, we've seen video footage of these gigantic concrete barriers being placed around the White House, like, and those are demolition concrete barriers. So it looks like the entire White House is about to be demolished. Can't say exactly when that's going to happen, but it certainly is looking that way. We're seeing everything being fenced off. We're seeing, again, flashes of lights. People are, I've actually been hearing booms happening inside the White House as well, too. So it looks like it's just going into complete and total dismantling 
and deconstruction. So there may not even be a White House to protest at. So we'll see. But the feeling I'm getting here is, yes, that a convoy is being prepared to occupy D.C. Okay, so that's good news. And I don't think we'll have to wait too long for that. Okay, I think it's probably going to happen here probably around springtime. It could be, could be this month. It could be next month. I don't think you have to wait too long for it. But again, this is not being ignored in the world in regards to what Canada is doing. Okay, Americans are definitely seeing this. We're even seeing American trucks coming up to Ottawa, right, offering their support as well too. So, what I would suggest is, yeah, the U.S. convoys get together, or the U.S. truckers get together, and they start doing the same thing that Canada is doing. And they really go full bore with that, and they occupy D.C. So that is certainly something that is going to happen. So, yes, I don't think you have to wait too long for that. Okay. So then we're going to take one or two more questions, guys, and we're going to wrap up. Okay, this one is from Cheryl. Uh, hi, Brad. Will the truck convoy in Australia make a difference? Well, I've already done a report on this. That everything in regards to those countries that are going to be using the trucker convoy momentum and the movement are going to be successful. Okay, but we'll look into what the cards say as well too, pertaining to Australia. Okay, Australia convoy. Okay, the reason why Australia has had such a hard time is because it has been a cabal stronghold for hundreds of years. Okay, it is a heavily, it's an underworld. Australia really is the underworld of the planet. Right. It's beautiful, wonderful people, beautiful, wonderful country on top of things at the surface, beneath the surface, majorly demonic, major underworld, major criminal cartel taking place there, mafias, everything. It has been saturated with corruption for hundreds of years, Mm -hmm. and now it's just starting to be cleaned out. It's going to take time, but let's see if a convoy is going to come forward here. I'm pretty sure it already is going to. Like I said, I feel it's already happening, but we'll see what the cards say here. So what is the momentum right now of an Australia truckers convoy movement happening and its success? It's definitely being planned. Okay. It's definitely coming together here. They're already in the works of putting all this together. Okay. So it's already happening. The chariot is on the move. Okay. So we're seeing this coming together now. Oh yeah. Yep. You guys are going to see some major changes taking place here within the next one or two months. Okay. So again, we're putting things together. We're on the move. We're taking responsibility for ourselves. People are working together. This is going to be a reinforced movement. Victory is in sight within the next one to two months. Let the good times roll. Unification will come to Australia here within the next few months as well, too. Okay. So before the end of 2022, Australia is going to be completely turned around. Okay. And I'm pretty sure that's going to be the same thing with every other country that does the trucker convoy. Okay. So that's the answer to many of your questions right now. Brad, if my country does a trucker convoy, is that going to turn things around? Most definitely, yes. Uh-huh. Because that is the chariot that we're all riding on, that the people are riding on, to work together and bring unity. Okay, Canada is the pioneer for that. So people will see, oh my God, look how well the Canadians are doing with this. 
let's do this too. Let's talk to the truckers. Let's organize groups together. Counter forces are already probably doing that behind the scenes in your country to making that happen, occupying your capitals and doing the sit-ins, just as we are doing here in Canada as well too. So it certainly will be successful. And like I said, I see the United States doing that, gathering all these truckers together from all these different states, coming to D.C., parking right there, and say, hey, we're going to do the same thing our neighbors of the north are doing. Okay? UK may also do the same thing as well, too. Okay, Australia and so forth. Wherever there's convoys, there's going to be unity. Wherever there's unity, there's going to be success. All right. Thank you for your question. Heather says, when will the normies find out the truth about the vaccine? Well, it's not about the people not knowing the truth about the vaccine, Heather. You gotta understand people aren't robots. Okay? The only thing that's causing people to prevent themselves from knowing what's actually happening with the vaccine is fear and ignorance. Okay? Goes back to like I've said in the past, there is no such thing as an incurable disease. There are only incurable people. You guys got to stop looking at humanity like we're robots, mm-hmm. like we're just mechanical beings. And as soon as we show this on TV, oh, that's it. Everybody should wake up. First of all, that's not your responsibility. Second of all, people are not machines. They are not robots. Just because you tell something to their face, that does not mean that they're going to believe you. You have to leave it to them. They have to awaken in their own way. They have to obliterate their ignorance in their own way. And that needs to come in their own way. Okay, So it's not about taking over the mainstream media and thinking that you're going to blast these reports about how fake the vaccine is. It's going to be very helpful, of course. But you're still going to have people who are ignorant about it. Brad, that doesn't make logical sense. Well, of course not. Because ignorance is not a logical thing. Ignorance is very irrational. Ignorance is promoted by fear. It's created, created by denial. It's created all by that fear of death. Okay? And people are going to be shocked, but there will still be people who will not believe. Guys, if that was the case, I'd be turning every single one of you into a spiritual person right now. I'd be turning every single one of you to living from the inside and not living from the outside. Have I succeeded in that? Not at all. <laughs> a few of you have decided to live inside because you're seeing how it's doing, which means you're handling your own ignorance, just as I've handled mine. If that was the case... Every single subscriber on my New Earth Teachings channel right here would be completely evolved. They would be living from the inside, and they would not even be caring about any of this news at all. That's not the case, is it? No. Because I can't control people. People are not machines. Okay? We're not saying that this is something that everybody has to grasp. You have to get it or else. Well, that's exactly what the government's been doing for thousands of years. And look where the people are right now. You have to let people walk their own path. Absolutely share the information. Absolutely share education. Absolutely help people. But please leave their own decisions about how they live their life to them. It's not your responsibility. It's not your work. So we do what we can to share what we can. The mainstream media will eventually come along because they're going to be overhauled. And they'll be sharing some great news, I'm sure, because they'll be under new management. But it's not for us to say, 
hey, these are just mechanical people, and we'll just snap our fingers, and now their ignorance is gone. Wouldn't that be great? Because now I can snap the ignorance out of all you guys, too. That would be great, too. Just like I snapped the ignorance out of myself. Okay, But we can't do that. We have to let people walk their own path. Just be there, share advice, share education. They don't want to take it, leave them alone. Just bless them in the background. And that's it. That's all we can do. Okay? Thank you for your question. Okay, there's a question here from Gig Gig. 1954 question, 2020 election fraud exposed update. That will be happening very soon, but if you want, I can go to the cards for that. All right, let's take a look at that. Will there be an exposure to the 2020 election fraud update? What's the situation happening? I could look at these things intuitively, guys, but I'm happy just to bring the cards forth so you guys can see what the cards are saying practically. Okay. For certain things. Okay, so 2020 fraud election update. What is happening currently with that? What is the momentum forward with that? Okay, it's still ongoing. Still a process happening right now. Okay. It looks like it's a bombshell ready to ready to go off here very soon. Okay, it's still going to take a little bit of time. They're kind of just waiting for the right moment for that right now. So I don't feel like they're ha it's happening right now. Right, they're still kind of in the background. They're kind of waiting for something to happen first. That's kind of the feeling. But when it does happen, it'll be a bombshell announcement. In fact, it'll be a tower announcement. Okay, that's what's happening in the background when this is ready to drop. So it's going to shock the heck out of a lot of people. Right. So my feeling is that they basically have to renew the mainstream media before they can really make that big announcement. They have to overhaul it. They have to take out the current administration relating to the mainstream media. Once that's out of the way and they now have control of the mainstream media, then we're probably going to see a lot more of those announcements. Right now, they're basically just in withdrawal with it. Right. They're kind of just staying in the background. They're staying in the background and saying, no, let's, it's not time yet. We have to let the timing present itself. Okay. So right now, it's kind of an access denied. Right? We're not seeing it yet. It's kind of like they're just sitting on this. They're sitting on this, and then there will be an opportune time that will present itself in the near, in the, I'd say, kind of long-term future. So it could be maybe later part of 2022, maybe around there, okay? where they will just know, okay, now's the right time to do this. Let's drop it. Let's drop the idea of the election fiasco that's taken place here. Okay? But there is no plans as of yet to do that. Okay, so we may have to wait a little bit longer for that. Like I said, probably later 2022, I would say, okay. from the way things are looking right now. All right. So we got a few minutes left, so I'll see if we can take one or two more questions before we wrap up. I'm just looking at the uh, chat here, guys. One second. Okay, here's Anne. Uh, Anne says, the head of the deep state in, is in Sweden. 
Brad, can you please look at Sweden? Okay, so what's happening with Sweden now? Let's take a look at that. Certainly. <laughs> Nancy puts it well. It isn't your job to fix me. I stand in my power. Amen. Exactly. None of you guys have ever fixed me. Okay? None of you have ever fixed me. I've never fixed any of you. My own liberation has been through my own realization of the ignorance that I've carried. Once I've cleared away that ignorance, now I see the truth. Right? And that is through me. And the best way I could say it is that is through spirit. That is through God through me. And it's the same with all of you as well, too. We do not change people because that's impossible. Right? And so, so let's look into the deep state in Sweden. So what is the current situation? Oops. What is the current situation with Sweden right now pertaining to their deep state, pertaining to their cabal? What is happening in Sweden right now with that? Okay. Looks like things are changing really good in Sweden. Okay, this is the idea of the past. Okay, this is the recent past. There's some really positive things coming in motion here together for Sweden. Okay. Okay. Yeah, this deep state is still present within Sweden. There's definitely that's happening. Okay, but things are being set right. Things are moving into a much more powerful and united path. So my feeling is there's probably going to be some exposures. There's going to be exposures of a lot of these hidden veils, these deceptions. People are going to now start sniffing all this and realize, okay, yep, our leader is corrupt. A lot of this corruption is, ha is happening. They're still feeding these restrictions, right? So they're still playing with these veil games, these deceptions. And now here comes the sword of justice, okay, within the next one to two months. So we're seeing Sweden getting hammered down, okay? Seeing you guys moving away from a bad situation, okay? That is moving uh, a little bit further into 2022. So, yeah, you guys are going to be going through your revolution as well, too, here very, very soon. Again, I'd say in the springtime. Seeing a lot of these restrictions collapse as well, too. But Sweden, again, from what I can feel, is already in a good place, and they're ready to launch a very powerful counterforce union uh, momentum against the cabal. Okay, so they're going down for sure. Thank you, Anne, for your question. Okay. Angela, thank you very much for your post here from Cornwall. Thank you. Okay, guys, I think we're going to wrap up the broadcast for today. So thank you, everybody, for being a part of New Earth Insights. Again, I will be back next Thursday for another episode of New Earth Insights as well. Join me tomorrow for New Earth TV Live, where, again, we'll be doing some meditation. We're going to do some uh, healing work. I'm also going to be talking to you about the new practice, uh, the new technique that I'm going to be filming today. That's called Conflict Elimination, and I'm going to be doing a live demonstration of Conflict Elimination Technique tomorrow for you guys as well, too. And then we're going to go into some Q&A. So we'll have some general Q&A tomorrow as well, too, on New Earth TV Live, happening tomorrow at 11 a.m., Pacific time. Thank you, everybody. Have a wonderful rest of the day, and I'll speak to you tomorrow. Or rather, I'll speak to you again in another perspective of the now. Take care, and be well. Thank you.
my, my. The divination of the day. Thank you, Micah. You ready? Oh, We're doing no. the next one. Huh? I'm going to find it. Okay. Mm. Well, I will wait. I also have something up here too, Rama. Mm-hmm. Did you find it? Not yet. It's coming. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. I can do a little bit of a reading here. had been reading this Robin LaPlante who could read a little more of this February's Leo full moon energy provides an opportunity to restate our dreams and desires that we set in motion during the first new moon of the year a Leo full moon can empower us with courage to be fearless and brave to realign ourselves with our goals and visions as we've gotten off track. The First Nation people lived in harmony, whoops, I heard a kitty, Grandma, mm-hmm. in harmony with the rhythm of the natural world. Mm-hmm. Did you find it? No. Mm-hmm. Um, be good, kitty. Okay, um, with your goals and visions, as you've gotten off track, the First Nation people lived in harmony with the rhythm of the natural world. The Leo full moon is a milestone in one's personal growth. During these times of transformation and chaos, we need to not only achieve goodness and kindness, rather we are, we are asked to be faith keepers. In many Native American traditions, the role of the faith keeper is to remain peaceful and calm while maintaining spiritual awareness and understanding, understanding, overstanding. Okay, let me just finish this last little paragraph. No matter what the tribe may endure, under extreme conditions, as every single tribe member stumbles into fear, doubt, anxiety, Worry and pain, the faith keeper maintains peace, spirituality, and understanding, understanding, overstanding. Therefore, the faith keeper is looked upon as the mainstay. Having the awareness of the faith keeper is that we all have the potential to stand in our faith. The Leo full moon allows us to practice self-love and self-nurturing by filling our souls with the celestial light of the moon. 
Okay. So Ramos found something here. Who are the... What's that word, Rama? Tagetans. Tagetans? Yeah. And they are from, please. Swanu'u of Emma is one of many Tagetans in our solar system, assisting humanity's mental liberation. Swanu'u reveals to Garcia Dusak that her people are kin to humans as both races are descendants of the Lyra star system. Oh, hmm. Lyra, Rama. Okay. Swanu'u explains her task force has amassed in our corner of the Milky Way galaxy over the last century to help humans break free of 3D manipulation. Hallelujah. Hailing from the planet, planets Era and Temur, orbiting the star Tegeta in the M45 star system of Pleiades, the Tegetans have traveled 422 light years to help Earth souls evolve and escape 3D limitations. And again, the host's instructor is Garcia Duzak. Duzak. All right, let's do this. This is 32 mm. minutes. Hmm. for meeting tonight. Thank you for being here with me. To start, could you please tell us who you are more exactly? We are from mostly planets Erra and Teme that are revolving around the sun Taigeta. In the Messiah 45, M45 star system Pleiades, the Seven Sisters. Ah. That is 422 light years away. We are a task force of nearly 18,000 Tigetans in several ships. What dimension are you from? We come from the fifth density. We prefer to call it densities than dimensions. However, all outside Earth is fifth density anyway. It's only Earth that is artificially kept in the super-dense third density. The normal universe is all fifth density. Having said that, 
we don't observe those densities as people on Earth do. We observe everything as a whole, one gradient of softly rising frequencies, not separate densities, as if they had a wall between them. Those ideas are an Earth concept only. You said you are about eighteen thousand Tigetans in several ships. Are you in the orbit of planet Earth permanently, or moving around between various places? And how far from Earth are you stationed? The ships are placed on several orbit height, depending on the individual task of each ship. This one is at four hundred nine thousand kilometers orbit. The big ones are mostly stationary. The smaller ones are moving all over the place. What are the tasks of these different ships? Some ships are command and control, from where everything is monitored, organized, and controlled. Leadership is in them. There are two such ships. This is one of them. Others are dedicated to enforce the blockade. One of them is a science ship, and there are also several smaller agile ships to do multiple tasks. And then there are also the most numerous. These are shuttles to go to and from the ships. These are mostly discoidal or box-shaped. Can you expand on what you mean by ships that are dedicated to enforce the blockade? We stop ships from leaving Earth or from going into Earth without a clear motive to do so. This to prevent hostile forces from entering and reinforcing the negative ones on Earth. The blockade is enforced mostly by three races: Tigetans in command and control, Alphatans from Alpha Centauri, and Antarians. Are the small moving ships the ones that can be seen by us here mostly, the so-called UFOs? Yes. And then you said you monitor ships going in and out. What about the secret space program ships? Have they left the Earth as they claim they have? They bypassed your blockade. There are many ships. Some are in areas like S4, Area 51, but most of the big ones are on the Moon and under Federation control. The U.S. space program has lost all its large ships. Does it mean at some point they did leave Earth? Yes, they did. In the 60s, all the way up to the year 2008, when Asket knocked them all out in a space battle, captured them. Okay, you said you stop ships leaving Earth. What ships leave Earth? Are you referring to SSP ones? Some of the remaining ones are SSP. Others are reptilian or tall white or maitre tall gray ships.
There is a lot of traffic here. Okay, let's leave SSP for another topic then, as it is a big one too. You said everything around Earth is fifth density. Are your ships in the fifth density too when they are close to Earth? Everything outside Earth is in fifth density. How far out from Earth does it begin to be fifth density? The Van Allen belts mark the barrier. How can we see those ships if they are in the fifth, or are they below the Van Allen belts? I have a problem describing them here. They are fighter ships, and I am reluctant to call them like that because they sound very belligerent. And yes, many are below the belts. Many are on the surface, landed, or a low-level flight, and all variants in between. When ufologists say they saw a plasma ship, it's not the ship itself what they are seeing. It's the ionization that occurs in the atmosphere when the presence of a starship's engine superheats and ionizes the air's molecules. In short, what they are seeing is the ship's exhaust pipe. This is the Black Knight satellite. There are 19 of these. They are Alpharaton L-class fighters. They stay in low Earth orbit, nose down, like a bird of prey, looking for cabal, reptilian, or other negative ships. Are more people coming from different places in Pleiades, or mainly from the planets you mentioned? Mainly, but not incarnating. They mostly go in using full immersion technology. They do the same as we do, but as they see fit. However, we all must follow the same rules. What is an immersion technology? A computerized virtual reality where you hack into the digital matrix that controls Earth. You appear and function as a human when you are not. You go in there for a mission or a purpose. Wow, you are biological human-looking beings, right? Yes, we are. From the same Larian branch, our main differences are the 12-strand, 24-chromosome DNA. And as a result of this difference, our nervous system is different, as well as the sexual organs mainly. It's nearly all related to the nervous system, where the nerve voltage is a lot higher than with humans. And the brain has no cerebral lobes, no right and left brain. It's all one mass. We think holographically, understanding duality with no conflict between hemispheres, as it occurs with most Earth people. We also can see in the dark, as cats do. This is also because of a higher nervous system efficiency. And all our senses are also heightened as well. We hardly get tired when running because our recovery time is a lot faster. That is because of added mitochondrial efficiency processing oxygen. And also because of a higher oxygen level in our planet. And ship's internal atmosphere. 
we are at 78% oxygen, 20% nitrogen, 2% other gases. When on Earth, you are at roughly 78% nitrogen and 20% oxygen, 2% other gases. We are inverted. Also, we have no skeletal problems, or they are rare, because our gravity is at 80%.8 than that on Earth. In our planets and in the settings of the artificial gravity in the ships. How do you learn our language? By telepathic download and some practice. As we pass information in bulk between us all here, it's quite easy to learn a new language. Most of us speak fluently more than 10 Earth languages. Okay, I understand you are mostly women. Our population is roughly 75% female, yes. Why is it mostly women? What happened to Ying and Yang? We don't know the answer ourselves. There are many theories. It's more of a 50% 50%. When you look at it from a reproduction only point of view, as most women that are in excess are very old and not interested in having a mate. To be clear, old but still in a 20-year-old body, yes? Some older women in a 20-year-old body and others in older-looking bodies. It all depends on what they want to look like. The reason why most babies are female is also coming from the spirit side. So cloning doesn't work because there is no one to inhabit a male body if most souls are interested in being female. Everything here is for women, nearly everything. It's easier to have a project as a woman because you are more respected in a professional manner. This shouldn't be, I know, but it's how it is. A woman is very respected in science and art circles, and men not so much so, because Tibetan men are mostly interested in love and relationships, romance and sports entertainment, and technology, science and rarely in politics. So even if there are many more women here, most are not interested in men. Well, the men, nearly all, are interested in women. So it's balanced. Totally opposite as here. Yes. What is your native language? What is it similar to? Our native language is Tangetan Pleiadian similar to Earth Navajo language or Inuit. The language is verbal telepathic. This means that individual words are loaded with extensive telepathic data and meanings. Each word is a vehicle for the telepathic load. We talk with our mouths, like you do. But as we talk, we also load details to our words passing close to 1,000% more data than a normal Earth language does per phrase. I see. Can it be said that you are from our future? Because some contactees contact with beings from the future, as they say. There is no future. It's all occurring now. 
It's just your perception and your frequency that determines what you are experiencing in your now. In one way or another, yes, it can be said that we are from the future, but not from Earth. We are not Earth humans from the future. Yes, those concepts are always very difficult for us to understand. Okay, so you are not Earth humans from the future, not time travelers, not us traveling back in time as some people claim. Well, essentially to travel through space using a hyperspace drive engine is time traveling. Yes, I understand that, but I mean, you are not Earth people that advanced several hundred of years and came back, right? Right, we are not. We are kin, both from Lyrian descent, but we are another race, another people, another culture. You and humans here are both of Lyrian descent? Yes, as well as many countless other civilizations with human-looking people in them. Lyrians are the oldest known human-looking race. I understand from our previous conversation that 2008 is when you came here, although I understand you have been here before, too. We were here before, in smaller numbers. We've been here for thousands of years, but we came in force in 1952, and then in a much larger force in 2008, and have been here ever since. You came back in larger force in 2008. Why? What happened exactly? The Cabal was preparing the calling of the people, a mass killing. It was related to the end times of 2012. We stopped that Agenda 21, to be exact. It was to start in high gear in 2012. It's slowed down now, but not off yet, unfortunately. Does it have to do with the New World Order agenda, elimination of human population, etc.? Yes, it's part of the New World Order. Okay, wow, so you came back for that. Now, what do you mean the end times? I understood that 2012 and all that only meant the ascension process. In reality, it is an ascension process, as you said. The problem is that the Cabal used the 9-11-2001 as a start or heating up of the negative plan. So, among other reasons, that's why you came? Yes, and there isn't just one reason, it's many. Can you give me the other reasons of why you are here? Solving the problems of Earth is not something we can do from outside. It has to be done from inside. So what we do is to point things out to people, so they will, in turn, see more. Investigate on their own until a tipping point in consciousness is achieved. And then things will start to turn towards the positive. And you don't have to awaken the masses. Don't worry about that. All you need is to awaken a key core of people. The rest will follow. And they will follow because they are not even real people. 
but manifestations within the mind of the few real people. We are on a massive contact campaign now to give information that will resonate with some people. It may not resonate with most, but it doesn't need to. All we need is to activate a few key people. Then a chain in reaction will occur. But after it resonates with them, is that the purpose of the contact? Just for it to resonate? The resonance is enough? As it resonates, it fulfills. It makes those key people understand who they are. They will be in enlightenment with their true self and will start to manifest a different reality for themselves and therefore for the rest of humanity or for the world. As they manifest, they change the world. They terraform. Those key people are manifesting all the reality you see. What I mean is that If you have 7,500,000 key people and they all understand what's going on, then they will manifest a new reality for all, because the remainder of the population on Earth is just more matrix. As they are just more matrix, they are the product of the manifestation of those mentioned key people. We, or anyone else, cannot come into Earth shooting at all the negatives and cleaning the place, setting a new holographic government up, and all because it won't last. It won't last because it has been done that way before with horrible results. People tend to make us into deities we are not. We are messengers. That's the very meaning of the word angels. And for hundreds, if not thousands of years, they've been penning that angel thing on us over and over again. That's because the people of Earth are brought up that way, to look for a parent to take care of them. And in a way that could be used to describe us versus humans. We are a race who is self-responsible. Therefore, we are adults. The humans, on the other hand, don't know how to be responsible. The people of the Earth have to be told what to think, what's right and what's wrong, who to listen to. First, the father and mother then the teachers in school, then the bosses at their jobs, and the priests, and the politicians. They are guided all the time and don't know how to make their own decisions. They are in a hive mind, at least most of them. So they must learn how to grow up, be self-responsible. The humans must be the ones who transcend the oppressors. Not us. We don't need the credit. We know who and what we are. The humans must do the work. But going back to why we are here exactly now, 
We are here to help and aid the liberation of souls and minds on earth. We are also here to aid and study the ascension of earth from a scientific point of view. And many of us come here for personal reasons as well. Apart from that, but related, we are here to place star seeds on the surface to aid the awakening of humankind from the inside. The ones who want to go in. Then to monitor, find and bring them back home once they have fulfilled their task. I see. And it can be done from your planet? It can and is. But it's faster and much more comfortable to do so from a ship in orbit. The main problem with doing so from the planets is because there is a significant 4.5 to 1 time slip ratio. That is, for each day in our planets, 108 hours have passed on Earth. Four days, 12 hours for each day on our planets. Is this the same time ratio for you now in the orbit? No. From here, time is only five minutes slower per day. If I had a watch and I synchronized it with yours, tomorrow mine will be five minutes slower than yours. Day after, it will be ten minutes slower and so on. But you are still in a fifth density up there in the orbit, so shouldn't it be the same as on your planet's? No, time is relative to each person. It is not a universal constant, as Einstein wrongly claims it is. Time in a planet is the average of the perception of the entire population inside it. So it has nothing to do with densities? No, only because densities are tied to consciousness. Time is a product or a perception of each individual consciousness in itself is non-existent. Okay, you say that the time is only the perception within the consciousness of the people residing in the given world density. Is that why your time in the orbit is so similar to ours here? Because you are closer to the 3D and our consciousness affects you there? Correct. And also because we are coordinating with you and with Earth events. So our collective perception of time is similar from here in orbit. Hmm, okay. Is there another reason you are here? You said it is to help us ascend. But is it important for you that we ascend? Or is your helping us purely altruistic? The question is, why? The deeper why? Is it perhaps that our presence in 5D is needed for some reason? The real population of Earth is made of star seeds, even if they have been on Earth several or thousands of incarnations. They are all star seeds, because they don't originate on Earth. They are source. So essentially, the real people on Earth are us, all, our family, and we cannot be truly free if someone else is oppressed. 
Also, many of us are there and here at the same time. We want to get all our timelines variants out. And yes, you are needed in 5D because 5D is home, as home as it gets outside the non-physical existence. You said you cannot be truly free if someone else is oppressed. You don't feel yourself to be a free race with us oppressed? Complicated answer. My people say and feel they carry a lot of karma. Things like nuking Mars, for example. So they feel that this cleans their karma. The problem is that the karma concept is wrong. You don't have to carry bad karma. You do only because you choose to do so. You liberate karma when you understand the why your past events took place. You overcome karma when you accumulate and process sufficient wisdom to let it all go. From that point of view, we are here only because of altruistic reasons. And you volunteered to come here? Yes, it's strictly volunteer. Mostly it is the young and idealistic Tigetans who come here. The older ones prefer other things. Are other planets in a similar situation to ours? And are you helping them too? Yes, there were exactly nine other planets in similar condition. Ten in total. But none of them are in such a critical condition and are as relevant as Earth is. Now, Earth and another are the only ones that remain in such a condition. The other one is Venus, but the problem there is related to Earth. Why is Earth so important? Because it's closer to us and to a very large variety of species, because it's full of their star seeds and we all must take care of our own. Also for strategic reasons. This is the negative stronghold. If Earth's negative forces are defeated on Earth, the other planets in trouble will also be liberated. The other planets are only nodes of the Earth's cabal. Mars and Venus, for example. Earth is the key planet key in this quadrant, you mean, because the universe is very large. Yes, this quadrant and problem of negative infiltration. Can you specify the problem of negative infiltration, please? The negative forces going in to peaceful planets to overtake and dominate the indigenous population using lies and mind control for service to self-purposes. So this is a key planet for them also. Why so much interest in Earth from both sides? That's right. See it as the negative forces headquarters. And also because in other positive timelines, Earth is also the headquarters of the Federation. It's the negative forces headquarters and the Federation headquarters at the same time. Now, this is interesting. 
You mean we are the headquarters of the Federation in other timelines? So isn't that by helping us here now, you are also saving the Federation in other timelines? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. It's all concentrated here. And why are the negative ones interested in the 3D planet? Or you mean they made it 3D? We, the Federation, made it 3D. The negative forces only hijacked it and used the 3D in their favor. We didn't intend to make it such a difficult place. Going back to not feeling free, as it is still on my mind. You said, and we cannot be truly free if someone else is oppressed. Does it mean you feel compassion for the humans? Or you help just to be free yourselves? Or is it all connected? It is connected. The concept that we are all one is very clear from here. We are a very empathic race and we suffer in the shoes of others as in our own. So we do it because we can do something about the problem. If we do nothing, it makes us as guilty as those who perpetuate the problem because we do have the solution. I imagine that you can provide the solution within the limits of the laws. Yes, correct. And the problem is that many may not understand the solutions as it's very metaphysical. In short though, you change the perception of the real people who are manifesting the matrix from the inside and you change, solve the problem. The problems on earth are the external reflection, mirror of a split and traumatized self of the real people manifesting the matrix. The real people here are the ones manifesting and maintaining the matrix, mind control to do so. The matrix imposed by the negative ones. And to change our perception consciousness is to reprogram the matrix from within. I think I understand. Very unique. <laughs> yeah. This one, Rama. Finding close encounters. Is that it? Um, so I'm getting there. Oh. <laughs> so we go. Okay. <gasps> Finding close encounters. Mm. Um. When will we? reach full disclosure of secret knowledge about extraterrestrial contact. Investigative journalist Paola Harris first became involved in documenting known ET activity after being inspired by the film Close Encounters of the Third Kind, the 1979 story of 
world-renowned scientist Jacques, Jacques Vallée. Her work began with J. Allen Hynek and his disclosures after the government's Project Blue Book came to light. Harris recently co-authored the book Trinity, the Best Kept Secret with Valley, sharing her perspective on the realities of ET contact in the past, present, and future. Here we go. This is 43 minutes. It's coming. Your background is an investigative reporter in the field of extraterrestrial related phenomena. I've been to Columbia. Good sightings there. Not only sightings, there's people coming off spacecraft. Oh my yeah. God. This idea that UFOs are a threat has an agenda behind it. It's time to tell the truth. Will we ever get real disclosure, Paula? I think that whatever consciousness is out there will respond to you if right. you are very sincere. And that's the only way, George, you're going to get your answer because I don't think it's going to come out of the government. Is there a message for humanity based on everything you have investigated? We could shut you down. Like that? Like that. Well, welcome to Beyond Belief and what a great program we have for you. Paula Harris is a photojournalist and investigative reporter in the field of extraterrestrial related phenomena. She has studied extraterrestrial-related phenomena since 1979. Welcome back, Paula, to the program. It's a pleasure, George. Nice to be here. How did you get started in this? With Alan Hynek. I mean, oh. uh, yeah, I mean, the astronomer. When you're working with a scientist, you know that yeah, this is serious. Uh, and I saw the movie Close Encounters, ironically. I was Based teaching. on his book. Yes, and all of his classifications, you know, because he's the one that did close cars, the first kind, which is sighting, second kind, which is physical traces, and third kind, which is contact. And in that film, uh, Jacques Vallée was portrayed by Lacombe. Francois Truvaux, Truffaut, the, the director. His name was Lancôme in the film, yes. And I saw that last scene and I started to cry and I thought, whoa. I don't know anything about this. So I ended up in Evanston, Illinois, uh, at CUFO Center for UFO Studies. I walk in, there's Heineck, and I said, is this real? You know, cause uh, in 1979, it wasn't something we talked about as freely as today. You know, we can talk about it today. Yeah. So he said, do you want to work with me? Speak Italian. And so because I did all of his Italian translations of all the sightings in Europe, I worked with him until he died of a brain tumor in 1986. And he came along in a very slow fashion. When he was heading up Project Blue Book, he was a skeptic, but something changed him, didn't it? Yeah, it did. I think the Air Force's program on Project Blue Book weren't going to be excited if he, he was a believer. So they picked the right man, an academic, a man that's a scientist, 
And I remember, now Jacques told me this because since, you know, since I met Jacques, he said, you know, Paula, the thing that made Alan Hynek change his mind is Alani Zamora case in Socorro. Police officer. The right? police, the, the state trooper. Yeah. Because what Hynek was looking for was the case that he could go to the government with and say, this is real. And that was the case, if I recollect. Zamora was in his cruiser right. coming up along the side of the highway right. and saw what he thought was a white car almost flipped over. He wasn't quite sure. He thought it was an accident. And then as he gets closer, he realizes this isn't a car. And then he sees a couple occupants scurrying around and then it took off. They got in and took off. Yeah. It's and amazing. He's, he's credible because he of who he was. And for us, it's in our book, Trinity, which we're going to talk about Jacques Vallée in my book. We talk about that case because the craft is not a flying saucer. It's egg-shaped. Right. See, I egg. thought when I first heard about this case that it was a lunar module moon landing test because it kind of looked like that. Right. It had that kind of tripod look to it. Right. I thought maybe that was it, that that's what he saw, but it wasn't. No, he saw little people. Yeah. And it gets complicated. And when people see little people, they're seeing something that even today nobody wants to talk about. And that's who's inside the craft. Tell us about Jacques Vallée. How did you meet him? Well, I started working on the San Antonio case, 1945 crash. And actually, you had Ravi Baca and Jose Padilla on your show, on your radio show years ago, because I brought them there. Right. Two little boys who see a crash, 1945 and they were alive, and I know where it crashed because I've been to that location so often now. So I was working on it, and nobody paid attention to it, George. They just didn't pay It was pay a it. great story. It was a great story. And then Jacques started working on it four years ago because he was in Dattel, New Mexico, collecting metal samples. So he wrote me a letter, and he said, I hear the case that you're working on has metal. And I said, yeah, the nine-year-old went in and pulled it off the wall of the UFO. And he goes, would you be willing to tell me about it? And could we go there together? And could you let me meet the people? And four years we worked on it together. Wow. So it's a total of nine years. And Jack said, this is the most incredible story because it's got the location. It's got the witnesses. It's got the metal. And it's one month after the atomic bomb. So he said it's historical. Bingo. Yeah. That's it. That's Regina Meredith on the Gaia show Open Minds talked to you and Jacques Vallée about J. Allen Hynek and what got him started in the UFO research. Let's look. You know, some of my education was in France. I, I was recruited by Paris Observatory, the first team that did satellite tracking in, in French science. Uh, quickly realized that um, UFOs were an unsolved problem, actually unsolved and unresearched because everybody was afraid of rocking the boat about the, you know, the theories that existed. And um, I became aware of the work that had been done in the U.S., of course, you know, in American, American science is a model for European science in many ways. And... Um, I was uh, recruited to work at the University of Texas, where I had access to records, I had access to a computer in a much more open way than I did in France mm -hmm. to 
to study UFOs alongside the astronomical work I was doing. And then uh, through that work, I met uh, Dr. Heineck and uh, uh, moved to Northwestern University in Chicago and was uh, worked actually with him pretty much day to day uh, for about five years. And this was while he was doing his research for the U.S. military and, and uh, intelligence agencies, right? Well, he was uh, the scientific consultant mm-hmm. to Project Blue Book, which was the Air Force project to um, to study reports from the public, mostly from the public, but also from uh, the armed forces, and and try to see if there was you know a scientific scientific value to to those observations. Yes. And I was bringing the databases from the European side mm-hmm. uh, that I had been studying for, for many years and uh, starting to apply computer science you know, uh, research to this. He and J. Allen Hynek, incredible guys. Yes. Aren't they? And great yes. researchers. And, and they were good friends. And their, and their families were good friends. And it was history. Being a, It was UFO history that was happening back then. It, it, it was. Yeah. Could you imagine if we had Heineck here today with Jacques, with Jacques and you as a researcher? I think you're one of the best researchers out Thank there today, you. Paula. I Thank mean, we could, we would get some answers that we still haven't gotten yet. Well, you know, my job, George, I want to make this clear. It's just to do the field work. I, I don't want to do, uh, you know, I, I think in this country there's a lot of entertainment around UFOs. And so when I tell you that I did nine years of going out in the field, I mean – where the location is, there were snakes uh, like all the time when I was out there. You hate Scorp- snakes. I hate snakes. That's the only thing I hate. There were snakes. There were scorpions. It was darn hot. It was. They kept changing the location because they knew I was going down there. At a certain point, there were even poisonous plants planted. Oh, I didn't know this, but the person I was working with pulled them out, and he had. He had a reaction where he couldn't breathe, and then I was wondering, why did they plant these plants just in the location where the UFO crashed? And they, because they're watching me the whole time, knowing I'm coming back, knowing I'm bringing people. I brought Jaime Maussan there, who did the story. He did the story for Gaia, actually, on this case. The 1945 case is powerful. I think it's got a lot that will also help the Roswell case. Tell us a little bit about what happened in San Antonio. Well, in 1945, one month after the atomic bomb, two little boys are are checking the fences. But these aren't regular little boys. I mean, uh, Jose Padilla is driving a truck at that age. Uh, Remy Bach is with him. He's seven years old. These are doing the work of men because they lived on a ranch. And it was like a thunderstorm, just like Roswell. And this thing comes in, this avocado shape. Again, remember, like the Lonnie Zora. Uh, yeah, the, the circular shape takes out a piece of a radio tower and lands with all its integrity. It does not crack up or anything. It does have a panel missing so that when the boys who were curious and saw the whole thing walk down about 500 feet from it, they take binoculars and can see three creatures sliding back and forth. That's the part that's difficult because... You can't make this stuff up. No. They didn't know what it was. There was no Kenneth Arnold. There was no word flying saucer. There was no TV. They thought it was a plane crash and they were going to help the people that were in there. 
And that's what happened with uh, Jose Padilla. He heard them screaming. He said it sounded like a baby crying, and he wanted to run in and help them. That's dramatic. We've got Jacques Vallée again on Open Minds talking about government's disclosure of some of these discoveries. Here's what he had to say. All the attention, everything you see on TV and so on, is what is the government going to reveal to us? Yeah. Now, my you know, my approach isn't that. I think I don't think you should wait for the government no, to I tell agree. you what's going on. Hell I mean, your neighbors have seen <laughs> UFOs. You know, in this case, I have a, a colleague who says, "Well, you know, you had some clearances along the way when you worked on, you know, space pro- projects and so on, but you'll never have the clearances it takes to know what's really going on in a case like this, you know, and at." in the Manhattan Project. Yeah. And my response is, I don't need the clearances. I, I have the witnesses. Yes. You know, these two little kids were there. The government wasn't there. You know, these two little kids were there on the spot <laughs> when the thing crashed. It actually didn't crash. It crash-landed. Uh-huh. It was under power. Uh-huh. It didn't break apart. Uh-huh. And the entire thing was recovering. Okay, it's an, an incredible. So the more, and, and Paula had been researching this for oh, four or five well, years. Oh, you 12th year or something like that. Four or five years yeah. before. Yeah, yeah. Now, I came in because I had been looking at other cases in New Mexico. And um, a, a friend of mine knew one of the, um, of the witnesses, mm-hmm. who by then was in his uh, late 70s and 80s, and wanted to introduce me to him. And then I discovered that uh, Paula had already done research with that witness, so we combined, you know, the, the information we had, yeah. and then we went back to the site, and that was the story. Why hasn't there been much coverage, other than the things you've brought to my show, about uh, this? They don't care. I mean, I'm convinced, you know, some people don't even believe in UFOs who are talking about UFOs. Very little field research is done, maybe because it costs money, but there's very little research done. When I was in Italy, I learned about this case. I was living in Italy, and my first thought was, why aren't my colleagues jumping on this? Because the witnesses are still alive. They're still alive. I mean, what, are you going to wait 60 years? And we lost half of the witnesses. But, you know, I can't understand it, George, because... The only kind of research I like doing is field research. You know, I love that. I love that because I'm there. I talk to the people. They can show me. I don't do things on the phone. I don't pick up. I don't listen to, you know, whistleblowers from the CIA giving me information. I have to go to the place. I have to live what they lived. And then I have to figure out if they're telling the truth, which oh, is the hardest true. part. You know, do you I mean, ever hook them up to a lie detector test? I don't need to anymore after 40 years. You're the lie detector test. Don't yeah. You? For instance, if they're going to ask me for $250,000 or they're going to say something, I'm going to, my red flag goes up. If they say the world needs to know that there was a statement made after the atomic bomb blasted, then I know that their agenda is a little bit different. And that's Jose. Padilla, he said, I don't want any money. He said, this happened. you got to know this happened. I was nine years old. This is the truth. He said, my family doesn't even believe me. He said, but I've had to live with this. He said, because we lived through, and, and Jacques talks about this on that show, 
We had to live through the bomb. It was not a test. That bomb that was exploded there was as powerful as the one in Nagasaki. Right. And they never told the people. And there was 70,000 people living there. And the rain, the plutonium or whatever the rain was, 150 miles out. Jeez. Nobody knew. What happened to the oval-shaped craft? Well, it took them about seven to eight days to recover that, and they had to make a road. The the road that's down there now is made by the Army. They had to cut, and you're going to laugh about this, they had to cut the gate because they couldn't take the weather balloon through it. And Jose and his father had collected weather balloons for the Army, so they, they, you know, listen, they didn't have to, like, cut a gate. Um, and so the boys watched for seven days as they loaded it on the low boy and had to, you know, take a, a, a kind of an A-frame to go sideways over the overpass. There's an underpass near that where it is that that thing had to go through, so it had to be sideways. And I talked to Remy Baca, and he said because he worked for the governor of Washington State, Dixie Lee, who is involved with the Atomic Energy Commission, to thank her for helping her get elected, the Hispanic community, he showed, she showed him the case, the cases in the Atomic Energy Commission files. Oh, it nice. is not in the Air Force files. Were there any samples that they picked up, some kind of metal or something? Well, what happened was, <laughs> Jack and I were working this, on this for four years, and then all at once, Jose says, well... He says, my, my niece was living with my father and you better talk to her. And he didn't know when I went to LA to talk to his niece that his niece was seven years old and had seen the foil, the long pieces oh of foil God. that you, you scrunch up and, and then go back. back. Just like Roswell. Exactly. And so he didn't know that, but she told us that she said, we don't have slinkies in those days, so Grandpa would would give us these long pieces of foil and we'd scrunch them and they'd go back. And that this is the funniest part. When that craft did hit the radio tower, it spewed out about 10 pounds of angel hair that the two boys collected, collected because they lit up. So guess what they did with them? They trimmed the Christmas trees. Where is it now? Well, this is 76 years ago, so... The house that they were living in, I went to the location, burned down. And because this stuff was so beautiful, they had 10 pounds of it that lit up in pink and purple and so forth. Could have been fiber optics or could have been. like that. Could have been. Uh, they gave it to all the neighbors. So I said to Jose, look, you, you're going to need to talk to all your neighbors to see if they have any Christmas decorations left. They might <laughs> in boxes. Yes. For all, you know. Yes. Because they gave it to all the neighbors. Because the neighbors saw it on the windows. What they a discovery, the Paula, if they're still there. Oh, that would be amazing. Oh, my God, get great material. Because that's the original material. And I'm thinking of, you could start a movie with these kids just decorating the Christmas trees and then flashback that they're picking it up and, and all, the, all the mesquite and all the bushes. Because they picked it up. It was so pretty. It, it lit up by itself. And they picked it up and put it in, in a big... Uh, canvas bag. Well, now, Roswell happened two years after right. this event, right? Yeah. Yet, Roswell has the notoriety. San Antonio doesn't. 
I hope it doesn't get notoriety. I don't need to see T-shirts or I don't need to see cups with San Antonio on it. And I hope I don't need or to festivals see or festivals or festivals、like、or people selling lemonade and all their wares. Unfortunately, I have a European mentality. This belongs in university and in science.、Sure. It does not belong in the circus. And the problem with the UFO material the way it's presented is, if you're at the Marriott and you've got a conference, and、uh, somebody walks by who's a scientist and he sees uh, like a, a rubber alien out there, he's not going to come in. And so what I did. Yeah, was have the Laughlin conference in Laughlin, Nevada, once a year, where it's geared towards. I've gone to some of your conferences. Yeah, yeah, well you, put together, by the way. And there's no little gray aliens out there. What there is is the,、uh, the pictures of the Hubble, and you know the red carpet saw the Hubble telescope and、uh, photos of the of the galaxies and so forth. I think Jacques and I have one thing in common, George. We want science to get involved. And that's so important. And that's your background. Your background is an investigative reporter. You want real science, and I think you'll get that eventually. I'm hoping that it doesn't have a stigma because we need more scientists like Jock and Heineck, and they're you know they're afraid that they're going to be stigmatized with the UFO question. But you know, today in 2021, my kids are going, "Mom, it's okay because it's in the New York Times," and I'm going, "Okay." It's in the New York Times. I've been working for forty years. You never believed、That's、it,、right. it but now that it's in the New York Times, now you believe it. Tell me about the researchers that are up and coming, because we've lost so many great ones: the Heinicks, Stanton Friedman, people who are just good, dedicated ufologists who investigated these things. Eventually, people are going to get older and older and older and die、yes. off. Are we replacing them? God, George, that's a good question you're asking me. You and I, we're on the same wavelength with that thought. It's so sad because I know that I'm going to retire soon. All my archive is going to Rice University. Ah,、uh-huh. all right. All Jacques and all Whitley Strievers. So we won't lose the research we did. It's going to Rice at the Department of Religious Studies with Jeff Kripal. I had to do something with all of it, and. I don't know. It's like if I see any young people, and a lot of them we give an award to a young researcher. I I go looking for them, but it can't be a young researcher who wants to be famous or anything. It has to be somebody who, when they were little, that were passionate、Just、about dedicated、this. to it. Dedicated、yeah. to it. Yeah. We've got another clip for you to see. Robert Solis, who has talked about UFOs by nuke sites. Uh, again, I'm Regina Meredith's Open Mind Show. She has collected some great interviews. Here's another one. I get a call from my topside guard, and he's saying, "Well, sir, we've been、uh, the guards and I have been out looking at the stars, and we've been seeing some strange flying objects up here,、uh, going at high speeds,、um, stopping on a dime, reversing course,、uh, making 90 degree turns, not making any sounds at very high speeds." Very high speeds,、uh, very strange, and they're not any kind of aircraft that we know of. And I even said, "You mean like UFOs?" And <laughs> and he said, "Well, sir, we can't explain them. I just wanted to report it." I said, "Okay,、uh, thank you." Now, where were you? He, you say he was topside, so that indicates、yeah. you were not topside. No, where were I'm、you? sorry, I was sixty feet underground. In a hardened concrete and steel capsule. So this is 
extremely secure. I think. Extremely I mean, with secure. that many missiles, it should be extremely secure. Yeah, supposedly we were able to withstand a nuclear blast overhead. Okay. So this was a very secure facility, obviously. And is this where the controls for the silo are located, underneath the ground? The controls for all the missiles were all located underground. They had no controls topside or ground level. Just setting the stage for what's going to happen. Okay. So, um, and this is an important point because uh, uh, first thing people want to think is this was some kind of a hoax that mm-hmm. was perpetrated by those guys upstairs. Mm-hmm. It was not. So anyway, this phone call, the first phone call, I basically hung up on him, thanked him. Thought, you know, it's a little strange. Uh, this guy's a, a professional. I, I, I knew the guard. And he was always very straight and uh, did not joke around, things like that. So I thought, are these guys trying to kid me or what? You know, mm-hmm. so I went back to my book, and then <laughs> five minutes or so later, I get another call. This time, the same guard is screaming into the phone, and he's obviously frightened. Uh, he's uh, yelling uh, into the phone. He's not speaking his words. He's yelling them, and he says, uh, "We've got uh, we've got all the guards out here. They've all got their weapons drawn. I'm looking out the front window, and I see this glowing red object. It's a uh, elongated uh, oval shape." pulsating red-orange light sitting or hovering just above the front gate. No noise. Absolutely silent. And they're scared to death. What does your lie detector say about that? It's incredible. I know him very well. His testimony at the citizen hearing years ago, years ago, shook all those congressmen and, uh, you know, senators that were there. This goes with the idea that, and I always tease, you know, that UFOs or whatever that is, is not on vacation. Right. They're seen over uh, particular places uh, that could be detrimental to us. And and I want to say two things. Number one, Robert told me later that when he was down there, I said, did you get any impressions? Robert told me later that in his mind came, we could shut you down. Like that. Like that. We can shut you down. They were pointed because it was a Cold War and they were pointed, you know, at the, at the Soviet Union and, and Europe and the Soviet Union evidently had a, um, an incident where the code started on their own. So it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that 1945 was a message. I don't think those things were just flying around because they wanted to, to see New Mexico. They picked up an atomic explosion on this planet, two of them, in 1945, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And they realized these people are in the game now. We have to go there. These people are affecting our level of dimension. Because when you um, blast a nuclear bomb, and and the A-bomb was nothing like the the H-bomb was worse. You could be carrying something in space. Who knows? Exactly. And you're coming into our territory now. No. If they were a threat, they would have done it then. If they were a threat, they would have done it then. They would have said, these species are crazy. Wipe them out. Wipe them out. Let's just start over again with this planet. This huh. it, this idea that UFOs are a threat has an agenda behind it. 
and UFOs could have, could, well, they didn't do anything. I mean, they, they scared those poor military guys. They scared them. But did they, sh- they shut the missiles down and you could, you could bring them back up in a week. If we had a voice analyzer who deals with truth watching Robert Salas, I guarantee you, Paula, he would say, that man's telling the truth. Of course. Well, they, they were scared. He's tough. I mean, the, 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 he's not going to go and risk his career as a military man. And, and Stephen Greer's Disclosure Project shows that all those guys risked their career. But they thought it was time to tell the truth. And, and it is time. Let's, let's get over it. It's time to tell the truth. Is <laughs> there a message it. for humanity based on everything you have investigated? What do you think is happening? They're visiting us. They're coming here. They well, have been since the beginning of mankind. What's going on, Paula? I'm not that wise, but I did talk to Edgar Mitchell once. I miss him. I miss him too. Apollo 14 astronaut. astronaut yeah, he said, moon. you know what he said to me? I said, do you think people are ready for disclosure? He said, no. I said, why? He said, because they can't get along with each other. How are they going to get along with extraterrestrial races that look completely different from them? How are they going to get along with all these different types of races? Now, you know that Clifford Stone said there was 57 different species he was dealing with that he had seen in a manual. Yeah. I mean, we have exo-racism as it is. The reptilians are bad. The You know, there's abductions. The Nordics are good. They're angels. I mean... The what greys we, do their thing. They, I mean, you know. it's ridiculous how we have already made a decision about something we don't really know that much about. And so when Mitchell told me, I felt sad because I think you and I want to know. We want the answers. We want the answers before we, we go the to the other place. It's like, we we want the answers, but even the ETs, I don't think, want to give us the answers right now. And Jacques says something very beautiful that I want to share with you. He said, look, he said, this phenomena is a teaching mechanism to show us who we are as a species. He said, every now and then we look up and wonder, we see a UFO, and he says, we, because he did when he was young, and he says, we have to open our minds, and we have to think outside the box. And I love that because in the end, there isn't a whole bunch you can do with a sighting. Exactly. When you saw the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Heineck walked in with his pipe. Right. And you saw Lacombe. Had you known Jacques Vallée no, no, I prior know. to that? No, you didn't. No. So you didn't put the two and two together no, no. that he no. was that person. Now, if you went and saw the movie today. No, I put two and two, two that he was that person, but he was. He but was, you didn't know him that well. I didn't know him at all. I mean, I just work with Heineck and I asked Jack about that. And he had already moved to Silicon Valley and worked in Silicon Valley and where it was in California. Destiny, which has guided my career has placed all these incidents and all these people, whether it be Edgar Mitchell, Colonel Corsa, in my life right. just to do a job. You've been and, blessed. You yeah, know that. I do the job. I do what I'm supposed to do. I archive it. It's going to Rice University. And, George, that's really all there is. The government has released a report that was mandated in the COVID-19 bill legislation, which basically said nothing. Other than we don't really know what these are. We can't say they're ours. We don't think they are. We can't say they're Russian or Chinese. We can't say they're extraterrestrial. 
All we can say is they're UAPs, unidentified aerial phenomena. We don't know what they are. Will we ever get real disclosure, Paula? I think you can answer that. For what reason? You know, because they decided they're going to tell us the truth. I mean, the vested interest in the back engineering and the advanced technologies is really the secret. I didn't know that until I met Colonel Corso. So if you see even Stephen Greer's movie, The Cosmic Cox, you realize we've back engineered stuff. So we don't know if it's our stuff or their stuff we're looking at anymore. It's, it's so confusing. My uh, test is if it has an agenda and, and the agenda, if you look at Harry Reid, Marco Rubio and all those guys is to go to Congress to say it's a threat. So we get more money to do something. <laughs> if that's the agenda, then, then, you know, it, it, we're not looking at honesty, um, and that's not where I'm going. Like Jacques said, that's not where I'm going for the information. I'm going to the witnesses. I'm going to the countries. I've been working extensively in Latin America right now. I've been to Colombia. Good sightings there. Oh, not only sightings. There, there's people coming off spacecraft. Oh, my there God. With witnesses, five and six. Journalists in, in the Chilka Desert, see Sopaz. Journalists are there. The thing uh, uh, lands, and you'd say, well, why does it happen there that it doesn't happen here? Because here, if something lands and somebody comes out, just like the day the Earth stood we'll down, we'll shoot them. Yeah. yeah. You're right. They're, they're, you know, there's all these people, and they're so nice, and they're out in the desert, and the thing's going to land because it's, it's basically safer. So f- for me, I'm not looking at the government. I'd rather go to Colombia, Argentina, Chile, I've been to the Atacama Desert twice. I like to go there so that I'm there looking at the people that are not lying, that don't want to be on TV, that don't ask for money, and ask them, what did you see? What were they like? What do you think the message is? And all I can share with you right now is that in Latin America, the message is we're in ecological last days disaster. Interesting. Now, All of this lately has been from that 2004 incident off the USS Nimitz where our Navy fighter pilots witnessed what they have called the Tic Tac UAPs, whatever they may be. Let's look. On December 16, 2017, two videos emerged on the Internet that showed Navy pilots encountering mysterious spherical objects that move through the air in ways that mystified experts. A third video, released in March 2018, depicted a similar encounter. These three videos are referred to as Floor One, Gimbal, and Go Fast. Years earlier, the videos captured by a U.S. Navy F-A-18 Super Hornet documents an incident that occurred in 2004, known as the Nimitz Encounters. So named for the fighter pilots of USS Nimitz Carrier Strike Group, who spotted the mysterious flying bodies. The pilots reported a strange-shaped object resembling the popular Tic Tac breath mint, 
about 100 miles off the coast of San Diego. What makes these particular videos so significant is the fact that in September 2019, the official spokesperson for the Deputy Chief of Naval Operations for Information Warfare confirmed publicly, The Navy designates the objects contained in these videos as unidentified aerial phenomena. While that statement alone is of historical significance, what the videos themselves suggest is remarkable. Ongoing incursions of unidentified aerial phenomena, or UAPs, are being captured on video by the U.S. Navy that maneuver in ways that are impossible for any current acknowledged aviation technology. Dramatic. It is. It's dramatic. But can I add something? When I was living in Italy, I got similar uh, photos uh, from a pilot who was my friend, who who was a pilot for um, Alitalia. And he had gone across the Atlantic and he actually photographed those things. So pilots have seen these things. And I love this the video because the guys look like they're having a great time. It's oh, like they, were, they love chasing it's these like, things. He's chasing them. They're cat mouse. It's like a video game. It's, it's like a video game. If they would leave it at that and not make it a national threat, that's cat and mouse. I mean, that isn't like those things are after anybody. It's like saying, hey, we're here. You know, Maelstrom is like, hey, we're here. We can shut you down. We're it's watching been and all that. We're just you know, watching. Kind of we're, we're watching. Don't go overboard. Uh, we're here. I mean, anybody that uses logic knows if, hey, we're here, you, you, you consider that a threat that you're going to make space-based weapons to go uh-huh. after them and have a space war? I remember Colonel Corso telling me, he said, Paula, he said, we were, we knew they were there. He says, but the technology is so great that if we ever shot at them, it would be like shooting cannons Yeah. in the old days. And this is That's Colonel Corso. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Tell me about Trinity that you wrote with uh, Jacques Vallée. Well, you know, we decided to call it Trinity because Jacques did extensive research on what really happened at the end of World War II to get Japan to, um, you know, surrender. He read so many books that I, I read the books he was reading on the history. And the Manhattan Project was very important uh, every time I, you know, the, the crash happened 13 miles from even that banner that Oppenheimer put down there. That Oppenheimer, you know, had quite a career afterwards, almost regretting his role in, in opening up he, the nuclear. He was the father of the atomic bomb. I know, and so was Fabmi, our our Italian, <laughs> our Nobel Prize. Uh, it did stop World War Two. Well, if you read our book. It's very interesting that, that the emperor was going to um, surrender before that. Me. And uh, yes, Me. yes, and that brings almost Jacques very emotional because he read the Japanese version, and they couldn't they couldn't go on anyway. But the the Nagasaki and Hiroshima was a statement. It was a statement. It was like we can annihilate you with this new. Weapon, but what happens is then other countries get that weapon, George, and you're playing chess. And look what's happened. Look where we are today. Today, you're playing chess. So the only way you can uh, you can win this game is to do play to keep it a checkmate. Yeah, exactly. And you don't think that whoever's out there is watching this? They're going. I wonder if they're going to destroy themselves like ecologically first. Then maybe somebody an accident. We're going to have an accident. We had Chernobyl. We had Fukushima. 
UFOs were seen around those two areas uh, when we had that. And, uh, you know, that was serious. I mean, especially Chernobyl and all the food supply and everything. And I don't think people are looking at the behavior of the humans. They're looking too much at the behavior of whoever's visiting. And I don't have a name for that. Why aren't they landing so it's so obvious for us? You saw the, the day the year stood still. We did. And we shot them. We did. And, we and shot. then I remember reading Childhoods, the book, and it's the overlords came over and took all the kids off the planet. It would be it would be really interpreted as an alien invasion. Will we ever get these answers, Paula? The answers to the questions you've been looking for all your career? And you've been looking for them. And I've been looking for them, too. Yeah, I know. Thank God I've got researchers like you to do the yeoman's work. And you go out there in the field and things like that. I'm the facilitator, but you're the real investigator. But I think you want to know. Absolutely. Uh, Since I was a kid. Since you were a kid. And Jacques, who saw at 15 years old, a UFO that changed his life and went into this area hoping science will follow him. Do I think we'll know? No. I don't think we'll ever know, but it doesn't matter because this is about personal. Uh, I, when I was in Argentina, I saw UFOs over my head in broad daylight. Many. Broad daylight. They were there because it was... Buzzing all over the place? I saw two around noontime, and then I saw one at three o'clock in the afternoon. But there's no airport, and there's no airplanes. And it was a clear sky during the day, and the people were meditating. Where I was, the people were meditating. It's almost like I, I want to say that if you want to have answers, you have to be go internally in a place like where I was in Uritorco, which is near Cordova, and 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 just ask. You can't be in the middle of New York City. You can't be in the middle of you know huge confusion. I think that whatever's out there, whatever consciousness is out there will respond to you if right. you are very sincere. And that's the only way, George, you're going to get your answer because I don't think it's going to come out of the government because I don't think they know. I mean, we're dealing with the Navy, right. which who's in charge of you. What about the Air Force and, and the Army? I mean, it's so compartmentalized that we can't find out that way. I think the only way we can find out is on a personal level, but that's not what I'm here to do because I know it's real. You said something at the beginning of the program that you're contemplating retirement. Yeah, it's it. The kind of retirement I'm contemplating is uh, I don't feel like playing around anymore. It's not entertainment. But we need you. This this field needs you. There aren't enough of. I'd rather go to a university and teach a class. On what? On what I learned. You think they'll really let you? Let's go to the university and get a class on UFOs by we Paul can't call it. We can't call it UFOs. It's like the department. <laughs> we could call it philosophy or um, we could call it social sciences or whatever interact. We could call it contact or because Carl Sagan, you know, was a famous skeptic before he died. Do you remember he did the movie Contact? Oh, and the book. Absolutely. He didn't say what he said, but he said what he said. Exactly. If you're if you're intelligent, you get that Jodie Foster did miss missing time. She did meet up with consciousness that looked like her father, but the words that came out of that father was, "We've been here for thousands of years watching 
your species, you know. That was Carl Sagan, who was a skeptic. And we're looking for the same things you're looking for. Exactly. Paula, thanks for being on Beyond Belief. Thank you. One day we'll get the answers. UFOs, UAPs, call them whatever you want. They're coming from somewhere, and we will find out. Thanks for watching Beyond Belief. Very good. That was interesting. Well done. Okay, have one more here. Uh, let's, this is called Olox. Zarina Caparina and Andreas Dijon's. And, uh, you'll hear it when you hear it. There you go. Hey. I call Brainiers. It's a traditional greeting from my people to you. We're soccer people from Arctic Siberia. There is an old saying, the tree doesn't move without wind. It means that we're all sitting here for the reason. We're all of change. We are brought here from the wind of our ancestors whose shoulders we stand upon. We are wind to bring a better life for future generations. Thank you. My name is Zarina. My soul brother's name is Andres. He's going to join us very soon. Together we created all this project Okay, I think we have, uh, Caroline, um, I just wanted to ask you, maybe you could mute out. I can hear you. <laughs> Caroline? I'm muted. Oh, you are? Uh, you're muted? I thought I heard you say that. <laughs> yeah, All you right. heard me say that. I'm, I am muted. Oh. Come, I heard you did. <laughs> okay. I guess I hear something else. All right. Let's continue. This. Thank you, Karen. The life. All this means the life in my uh, Saka native language. The vision of all of this is to create a bridge between ancient wisdom and modern life. Let me tell you about my Saka people. I was born in a small village of 900 people in the most remote places in the world. Uh, you can see from the map that um, Yakutia is in the uh, Arctic Circle, and it would be one of the six largest countries in the world if it was an independent country. It is one of the coldest inhabited places in the world where winters can reach a loss of uh, minus 94 degrees by Fahrenheit. It's very cold there. So that's why we deeply respect the power of nature and we do, do believe that everything is alive. Let me show you some picture of this beautiful world. 
The reindeers are the lords of tundra. Our um, Yakutian horses are central for our lives. This is a majestic beauty of our winter. You will be surprised by natural forces, natural wonders of uh, our homeland, uh, such as lemon pillars, the beauty of our borealis. Uh, Saka culture takes its breath from shamanism. So the word shamanism actually came from our culture. It is one of the ancient and sacred traditions in the world. Shamans are healers of people and nature. Winter made us a strong people. We're also well known and we have uh, famous artists who work with uh, silver and gold. Second people celebrate New Year during solstice. Uhyak is a collective ceremony of cleansing body, mind, and soul. We connect to the sacred with the dance. You can see here beautiful crane dance. Over 200,000 people are involved with the Saka ceremony Uhyak. And here you can see a large circle of Ahoka. This is circle dance. Our ancestors' wisdom is written everywhere. We receive our energy from the sun for the whole year. We respect the spirit of the fire. We are horse people. The sacred life is written and it's woven into our beautiful costumes. Out of the most severe environment on earth comes some of the most beautiful spirits. My people also have challenges in this era of globalization. For the last decades, the permafrost is melting at enormous speed. You can see some pictures here. This summer, a news about wildfires in Siberia broke my heart. So much of my homeland was destroyed. Mining by big corporations creates a lot of destructions. There are large wounds all over the face of Mother Earth. So, let's pray all together that all sentient beings may be free from suffering, that we bring our dances and songs to the challenges of precious earth, that we awaken our inner shamans for the healing of this world. <laughs>
I think we did something very well uh, tonight to listen to our friends there. That was uh, inspiring, to say the least. 
of this uh, song of the heart. Uh, Rainbird, that sounds very familiar to you, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm going to just pass this talking stick to you because I know you have some wise words to tell us. Here it comes with those angels and fairies and feathers and rainbows and crystals and hobbits and menahunis and all the little people we can think of. Here it comes. Okay. I got that talking stick. Thank you. And thank you, Tara. Thank you, Rama. Yeah, we really had a day with it, didn't we? <laughs> lots, of, lots of good stuff going on. And here we go, keeping on, keeping on. Lots of gratitude to our Canadian friends and all the people around the world who have taken, taken up that 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 model, that, that stick, and said, yes, we can. So... Lots of gratitude for we the people, and uh, lots of gratitude for all that we do here, and for you and Rama and all the people that came with us tonight. <laughs> so thank you, and I pass the talking stick over to you, Rama. Here it comes. Okay. Tell us what you got there, honey. Thank you, Rainbow. Thank you so much. Alan Watts, the present moment. That sounds good to me. (laughs) I would like to see if you could change your basic notions of economics. And I mean the economics of energy. We are always scripting and saving because our economics are based on scarcity rather than exuberance. But notice that the economics of nature are allegedly wasteful. They're based on exuberance. Many more seeds than are necessary for trees. Many more spermatozoa than are necessary for people. Many more stars than anybody could conceivably want. Galaxies galore. Nature is a vast celebration of energy. But if you complain about this and say, oh dear me, it's all running out. That means, you see, that you are looking for fulfillment in time. And you say, if there is not enough future, we won't get the golden goodie we're looking for at the end of the line. See, there is that feeling. There is the great golden goodie. And it's represented in religious art by the golden flower. This is everywhere. When you, when a human being tries to symbolize what it is that he really wants at the end of the line, very often he thinks of a flower. There is the celestial rose in Dante's vision of paradise. There is the golden lotus of Mahavarokana, the great sun Buddha, at the center of the mandala. There is the rose garden of Our Lady. There are rose windows in cathedrals. Always that flower at the end of the line. 
that flower, that golden goodie, isn't at the end of the line. You're in it. The radiating petals, the mandala, the great circle of the flower, is the galaxy in which you live. It is uh, the whole universe radiating around you in which you are. And this radiation um, is also cyclic. It's the dance in which you're involved. If you'd only realize that the purpose of life is not in the future. And if you think it is, you'll go on and on and on looking for it there and never find it. Because the future in its own way fades out in the same way as the past fades out. You get older and older and older. And if you don't come crash, you just peter out. It wasn't there. You may feel very cheated about the whole thing. You were given the come on. But there was something coming. There was that thing at the end of the line, the golden pudding. You've been sitting in the middle of the golden goody all the time. So, in, in this way of thinking, let's put it in another dimension for the moment. The whole idea of our being driven is connected with the idea of causality of life moving under the power of the past. And that is so ingrained in our common sense that it's very difficult to get rid of it. Because I want to turn the thing round completely the other way and say that the past is the result of the present. So you see, if you insist on being moved, being determined by the past. That's your game. But the fact of the matter is, it all starts right now. So then the question is, are you here? Recollect. See, most people aren't. They're bothering about yesterday and wondering what they're going to do tomorrow. And aren't all here. That's the definition of sanity, to be all there. So to be recollected is to be completely alert, available for the present. Because that's the only place that you are ever going to be in. Yesterday doesn't exist, tomorrow never comes. There is only today. A great Sanskrit sort of invocation says, look to this day for it is life. In its brief course lie all the realities of our existence. Yesterday is but a memory. Tomorrow is only a vision. Look well then to this day. Such is the salutation of the dawn. So, uh, Shmiti means then recollecting this in the sense of being all here. In the sense that this is the only, only way of there is 
Angels watching over all of us, everyone. We are the angels. We are everyone and everything. There's only one of us here. So much love, everyone. Until we meet again and see you in the dreams on on that bridge. Inshallah, Satnam. Satnam Ji. Aho, Mitakuyasin. Thirteen thank yous, honey in the heart. No evil. And we all live long and prosper. See, namaste, everyone. So, aloha.